get for your money And it seems such a waste of time If that's what it's all about Mama, if that's moving up Then I'm moving out From 1977, that's Moving Out by Billy Joel. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis, and this is being recorded live and broadcasted live on August 23rd, 2017. The time right now, 8.31 p.m. The opening song I played, Moving Out by Billy Joel, 1977. If you listen to the lyrics about it, listen to the lyrics of the song. You will notice it's about a working-class Italian family in the New York area trying in vain to appear like they've made it, appear like they're doing well. And they work long hours, and they they try really hard. They even get a Cadillac at one point. But uh, it's all futile because uh, the characters in the song end up with things like a broken back and a heart attack. So the, the message of that song is that uh, you shouldn't overextend yourself in order to give the appearance you're doing better than you are. Just basically be happy with uh, where you are in life and make the best of it. It actually, in a way, predicted 
the yuppie movement of the 80s, because this song was from 77. But that actually became much more common in the 80s, where status symbols became a very big deal. Where people were trying very hard to not just succeed, but look like they were succeeding. In many cases, look like they were succeeding more than they actually were. Now, this was going on in the 70s. This is going on before that. It's even going on today. But uh, it kind of hit its peak in the 80s. So when the song was uh, released in 77, that was actually before that had really taken hold. Most of Billy Joel's songs are about the New York area in some way or another. Some of them aren't, but a lot of them have something to do with New York. This was also made into a Broadway musical, by the way, in 2002. It ran for about three years on Broadway. It was called Moving Out. And it was kind of loosely based on the song. They even tried to move it to England, but it did not do well there. I'm surprised it never came to Vegas. It seems like the type of show that uh, they would bring to Vegas. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And you know what's funny tonight? I thought I might have to do the show by myself because uh, I didn't get a message from Calwatt. Usually Calwatt's like right there. Like whenever I text him, it's like he never sleeps. I can text him late. I can text him early. He always responds really quickly. And yet today I texted him about 4 p.m. Pacific time and I got no answer. So I thought, uh, I didn't know what happened. In fact, I hadn't heard from him since he went on a trip to go see the eclipse. I I hoped he didn't get in an accident on the way back. But uh, he's here. He's alive. He's here. And in fact, he tried to call onto the show and said he got a voicemail. So that's fine. We'll call him. I'm glad to hear he will be part of the show tonight. I thought he was just maybe sleeping or unreachable. I think I just took for granted that Calwatt's always so easily reachable. But I reached him here, so welcome to the show, Calwatt. Hey, Druff. How you doing? All right. So I'm I'm glad you're here. You know, I just uh, I'm going to be here for a short time again. Oh, I think uh, that's why. Okay. So so, <laughs> so, so well, what, are, are you I tired mean, I just, or I, yesterday I drove for 14 hours. Man. Oh man. So you you actually uh, so I guess you stayed overnight after you saw the eclipse on the 21st. And then drove back yesterday? Yeah, well, we drove down, stayed overnight, and then uh, did the eclipse thing during the day down in Illinois. Yeah. And uh, then stayed overnight and then drove back. We actually had – this is going to drive you crazy. Uh-oh. We actually had another night in the hotel that we paid for. Um, but it, the only way that we could book that hotel was if you book it for three nights. Oh. Like, that's what they were doing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dirty trick. I, yeah, I mean, um, and so we booked it, and we're like, you know, we weren't sure where whether we we're going to stay another night or not, but I, I just had so much stuff to do, and the kids were driving us crazy, so we said, forget it. We're just going to head back. Um, but yeah, the only way we could book it is if we booked three nights. Now, was this in Carbondale? Um, this was actually about 40 minutes north of Carbondale. Okay. Um, and, and let me tell you, man, like, sure, we got gouged a little bit for what we did. Um, but we stayed in a decent hotel. There was a Motel 6 that was charging almost $400 a night. Yeah, I heard some of them charging more than 500 so, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's another one. There, there was one room in the town we were in. Uh, someone came in and asked, right? And uh, the lady at the desk said that there was one hotel in town 
and they were charging $2,000. Crazy. People just went nuts for this eclipse. So I went I went nuts, too. I did something that was uh, a lot of trouble to do, though probably less trouble than a lot of people, maybe even including you, went to see it. So I, I guess, I, I mean, as I was doing it, I'm thinking, this is a lot of trouble. But then I thought, you know what? This is actually less expensive and less trouble than many others put out for this. But... What I did, and I mentioned it on a previous show, was I saw the eclipse from the air intentionally. I took three flights, never left the airport for the sole purpose of seeing the eclipse from the air. So two of the three flights were pointless. All I did is you know, fly to and from the flight that uh, could see the eclipse. So, And I had to wake up very early for it. So I, I went with my dad, and we went at uh, 6 a.m. We had a flight from... L.A. to Portland to take a, a flight at 9.30 from Portland to Kansas City, which seemed very likely to be crossing the path of totality so we could see the full eclipse, which is uh, basically what most people were chasing on the ground, like you, that went to cities that uh, would be in that path of totality. So I, I did it from the air, and... Uh, the there were, first of all it was gambling because there were some things that could possibly go wrong uh, delays or whatever but uh, fortunately we did get on the we made the connecting flight at nine thirty from Portland and we actually talked to the pilot before he got on board and he said he's going to make every attempt to do that to actually make sure it's in the path of totality so we were happy with that and I want to back up a little bit. We had originally, when we came up with the idea to do this, uh, it was too late to get a window seat on that on that plane from uh, Portland to Kansas City on the correct side of the plane, which is the right side. Now, it wasn't guaranteed that was the correct side, but from everything we could figure out, it seemed like that was the correct side of the plane. So there were window seats back in coach, but not in first class, and... I'm tall and my dad is tall, so you know we, we wanted first class. My my dad he's especially very big on first class. I'm I, I make less of a big deal about first class. I just want the leg room. So um, we we booked the first class there on the other side of of the plane, and the other side there's only one seat, so you get a window seat no matter what. And as we were getting closer, I was saying to my dad, you know, I just don't like this. I I think that. Um, there's a chance we're not going to be able to see it because maybe someone on you know, the people on the other side won't let us come over and look. Maybe they'll just hog the window and say, no, this is our window. You can't look. So, so I say, I hate having to count on strangers to let us come over and look. And if they do, well, you know, they'll give us a few seconds to look. They're not going to let us sit in their seat or anything, obviously. So I said, yeah, I don't like this. Let's, uh, so uh, I, I really think we should think about seeing what's still available in coach and, and downgrading, even though we've already paid for it. It wasn't a big deal. It, it, this was sky West flying under the Alaska banner. So uh, it was technically Alaska Airlines. It was really SkyWest. So the, the first class was not that much more expensive than the coach. So I said, let's, let's just eat the difference and move move to uh, an economy plus seating coach, which has the leg room, but uh, not as nice as first class, but at least we'll get the correct side of the plane. So we looked and we found, sure enough, there were two seats on the correct side of the plane at the window in the economy plus section. So my dad said he'd call up and have them switch it. So he called up, and they said no. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. What, what do you mean they said no? You're, you're offering to downgrade to 
a lower class of seat on the plane and not ask for, you're not asking for any money back? And they said no. And he said, yep, they said no. Now, can you guess why, why would they say no to that for a free downgrade? No idea. I Overbooked, had no idea. Maybe? Well, so I, sort of. I had no idea either. They, they told him, and this was really frustrating, they told him that they would have done it for him, except we technically connected the flight from L.A. to Portland. You, in the old days, it was like, not even that old of days, but you know, some, some years ago, if you had two legs to a flight or a round-trip flight or whatever, if you booked them all together, you'd get some kind of discount. It's not like that anymore. For the most part, the round-trip fare is the same as two one-way fares. Uh, you know, of both flights you're taking. You're not getting a, a round-trip discount. You're not getting like a, a multi-city discount. You're not getting that. They just add up the airfare for each leg. So I almost booked it as separate legs, but at the last second, my dad convinced me to just book it as one because it'll be easier. It'll be more convenient. So I actually backed it out and did the full, but it, but it was the same price either way. So they said, because we have it booked as one reservation, the LA to Portland and Portland to Kansas City, that the only way we can downgrade the... Portland to Kansas City is if we also take the downgrade for L.A. to Portland. <laughs> and that's what they told him, and they, and they just absolutely refused to do it. Not working. So, yeah, I know it's not working. I, I, I just turned it on. I think it'll work better now, the sounds. So, I, I, gotta, I don't want to interrupt you, Druff. Yeah. Um, I got a booty call. I'll be back. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know how it is, okay? Are you serious? Yeah, this is really happening? Is that true? Yeah. That's the truth? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Bye. I'll be, I'll be back. Okay. Now we get to see how long Calwatt takes. Now we get to see how long he lasts. I, I have to admit, I've never thought of that before. I don't really want to think of it, but this is, this is inevitable, provided he's telling the truth of what's happening here. If his wife really has come to him and said that you know, she wants to have sex with him now, and, and he's going to go do it, like if he comes back in three minutes, that's bad news. I guess we'll see. Though I guess he might, like, he could be done in three minutes and then just, like, wait 20 more minutes to come back so it looks better. We'll never know because we can't see. Anyway. Um, finishing this story, though. They, uh, so I said, let me take a crack at this. So I called up. And boy, was it a fight. I'm not going to bore you guys with the rest of the details. But boy, I had to press and press and press. And they gave me every excuse in the book why they could not do this. Not just why they couldn't policy-wise, but why, even if they wanted to help me, they could not. Because I got a lot of that, too. Oh, we would, but we can't because of such and such. Uh, another good one they told me was that we can't switch because on their flight, they sell a certain class of tickets where you can't pick your seats till 24 hours beforehand, which is true. So those people need to pick seats, and if we take two si- seats from the coach section, that'll leave them with two seats few in the coach section for those people to choose from. I said, yes, but you'll have two first-class seats to give. And they said, yeah, uh, we don't want that. that. That'll be a big problem. <laughs> and I said, how could that be a problem? Do you think anybody will say, oh, man, I paid for coach. How dare you put me in first class? I don't want this. Get me out of there. No, no one's going to say that. I can't recall any time ever even if it's done at the gate. I can't imagine at the gate they're going to be saying, oh man, it sucks we have two first class seats instead of two coach seats to give away. Wow, we wish these we were, if only these were in coach. If only these were to be in coach, our lives would be so much easier. The passengers would be so much happy if we gave, so much happier if we gave them a 
coach seat instead of first class. So anyway, this went on for like over an hour. I was arguing, arguing, arguing. Well, finally, they backed down. I couldn't believe it. Airlines are very, very hard to deal with. I'm sure you guys all know that. It's very, very hard to convince an airline to deviate from any kind of policy or decision they have made. But I got them to. They finally downgraded me. And then just as they were about to do it, my dad's like, wait, wait, wait. I actually don't want to switch anymore. So I had to tell them to only switch once. They switched me. They didn't switch him. My dad's reasoning was that there should be one of us on each side of the plane. So this way, there's no way that we're both on the wrong side. I go, yeah, but then there's no way we're both on the right side. So um, he said, yeah, but I think people in first class will let me do it. And I'll bring a whole lot of extra glasses along. And, you know, <laughs> maybe if, I, if some people didn't have glasses, they'll uh, especially want to help me. So that's what we did. And so I'll tell you what I saw from the air. Because it's, it's probably different from what most of you have seen from people's little eclipse videos and pictures. Because mine was from the air. There's some differences from the air. From the air, you can see much further away. Much, much further away. On the ground, you can see... if no, Nothing's in your way. If nothing's in your way on the ground, the most you can see is like seven miles. Due to the curvature of the Earth. From up at 31,000 feet, which is where we were flying you can see very far away. I think maybe 100 miles. I don't know the exact distance, but you can see much, much farther than seven miles. So for that reason, when you're in the plane, you will not see complete darkness because you will see light off in the distance, which then it gives you the effect of still it being somewhat light outside. So it was not going to be complete darkness. That's the negative side of seeing it from the plane. Uh, another negative is that you're just inside. You're not outside. You're inside of a plane and you're looking through a small window. In fact, this is a, a very small window because the plane is small. This was a, a commuter jet. So that was another downside. The plus sides, though, are that you get to see some things that you wouldn't get to see if you were on the ground. For example, you get to see the 360-degree sunset where there's what looks like a sunset at 11.30 a.m. when we saw it, it looks like a sunset all the way around, no matter where you look, a bright sunset. Yet you look directly down and it's completely dark. Uh, you get to, if you, if you know to look for it, you can watch a shadow coming and quickly following the plane and eventually engulfing the plane because the eclipse was moving at about, I think, 1,700 miles per hour and the plane's moving at about 500. So the eclipse moves much faster and catches up with you. Um... You don't have any weather issues. doesn't matter if it's cloudy. You'll, see, you'll be above the clouds no matter what. So you will for sure see it if you're in the path of totality. There's no weather problems. And uh, you don't have to fight traffic getting there, getting out. I mean, yes, flying's a pain in the ass. But then when you're done, you know, you just sit back in your seat and then fly back home and that's it. And it's actually cheaper <laughs> because... You don't have to rent these crazy exorbitant hotel rooms. Not a lot cheaper because it still costs a good deal to fly three different flights, but uh, it was a little bit cheaper. That wasn't the reason we did it, though. So um, I was all excited for it, and then it seems like, you know, I was, I was using the, the eclipse glasses and looking up at the, uh, watching the sun first have a piece missing, then eventually turning into a sliver. It seemed like totality was coming up, 
But I was looking outside, and I, I, I wasn't seeing anything very impressive. It was fairly light outside. Uh, that sunset effect, I mean, I saw a little bit on the horizon, but it wasn't that exciting. Um, it really didn't appear dark at all. And I thought, this is kind of disappointing. This is kind of a fail. At that moment, I regretted that I was not... Uh, you know, I regretted that I did this instead of either doing nothing or just going, you know, doing what Calwa did, going to a place that's in the totality and standing outside and, and, and waiting for it. But then things started to change. And it was funny because the pilot announced that we're pretty, quote, pretty much in totality, but that he can't deviate any further because the air, the, the air traffic control will not let him change his path anymore. He wanted to turn the plane around to let the people on the other side see it, but they wouldn't let him deviate any further. So it was pretty much like, hey, this is it. We're, we're pretty much in totality. I'm like, well, <laughs> it doesn't look like it. It looks pretty light outside. I'm not seeing very much at all. I mean, yeah, sure, I, I saw the sun getting blocked through the eclipse glasses, but if you guys have ever worn eclipse glasses, which you probably did on the 21st, two days ago, all you can see is the bright spot of the sun and something covering it. You can't see anything else. It's completely black. So that's a different effect than seeing the eclipse, like, with everything else around it, you know, with the naked eye. It's a huge difference. So when he says we're pretty much in totality, and no, I can't deviate the path, I'm thinking, oh, this kind of sucks. This isn't what I was expecting. But then things started to change, and I started quickly noticing that it was getting darker, especially below us. And I started to notice the sunset out in the distance was getting brighter. And within four minutes... The ground below me was completely dark. In fact, to see anything that wasn't dark, I had to look out in the distance. There was a very, very bright sunset on the horizon, or what appeared to be a sunset. And then I heard someone on the plane say something about naked eye. So I pulled off the eclipse glasses, looked up, and there it was. There was the moon completely blocking the sun with a little corona around it. You know, that picture you always see of solar eclipses? There it was. I saw it. Clear as day. And I'm like, oh, I've got to get a picture of this. So I'm like trying to snap it with my cell phone. It just does not come out well. Like iPhones just don't take pictures of eclipses well. And then I'm going to try it one more time, and then some sun peeks through. I'm like, oh, I can't look at this anymore. So I had to quickly put the glasses on back on. So anyway, uh, it, it was very interesting. And... While I was in the air, I had the internet in the air, so I shortly after this was over, I went and posted, and you could find it in the Eclipse thread on uh, Poker Fraud Alert's Flying Stupidity Forum. There's also one on the Vegas Casino Talk Forum, VegasCasinoTalk.com, my other forum. I posted in that Eclipse thread, too. But you can see the timeline of 11.35 a.m. Mountain Time through 11.39 a.m. Mountain Time. Four minutes, and you can see how much different it is. And uh, it was very interesting to see. Very unique, and... I like that my experience was unique from all the people who saw it from the ground. The next one I might like to see from the ground. It's a different experience, a different thing to see. Different. The whole thing's different. But uh, I enjoyed it. At that point, I was happy I did it. At that point, I thought, okay, yeah, I got... It's a little different than I expected, but it, but it, was, it was not bad different. It was just different. And there were some things I didn't expect I'd see. Like, I didn't know about that sunset all the way around. I didn't think about like a sunset looking thing. So, um, yeah, it was cool. I was glad I did it and I'm glad everything worked out. 
there actually was a delay, but it turned out the delay was after this was all over. The delay was landing in Kansas City. There was a big thunderstorm there, and we had to circle for a while in a holding pattern. Then we landed, and then we, th- we thought we may miss our flight back, but fortunately that plane was delayed too because it couldn't get into Kansas City. So uh, it ended up being a long day because in addition to three flights, there was a two-hour delay as well. But fortunately that delay came after the eclipse was over. So if you guys out there saw the eclipse, I hope you enjoyed it, whether you saw a partial in most of the country or if uh, you traveled to a place that has the eclipse in, in totality and you got to see that. It's, it's one of these things that uh, you've got to do at least once to experience and to uh, it's just something unusual. Some people say, oh, you know, why put all this time and effort into seeing uh, a shadow? <laughs> or, you know, wh- why are you trying to look at something that uh, makes it dark outside when that happens every day? Okay, it does happen every day, but not in that fashion. So, yeah, I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad it wasn't a fail. I was, I was really afraid that there'd be something that would happen and then uh, I would have done all this and spent all these hours and spent the money for nothing. But I, I didn't. Everything was fine. And I got to see everything I wanted to see. And it was good. I hope, I hope Calwatt had a good experience other than paying for additional nights he did not need. But I hope he... I, when he comes back, I'll ask him quickly. I don't want to make this like a whole eclipse show. But I figure I had to mention that since it's two days after the eclipse. So let me uh, go to the uh, intro here. We have a free roll, which started 14 minutes ago at 8.40 p.m. Pacific time. You can still get in for another 11 minutes. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It's a free roll for $77.67. 77.67. You can get in with a full stack until 9.05 p.m. Pacific. Make sure to understand the rules of the free roll, including the qualifying rules, at pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. That's all lowercase, pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. Make sure to read that. It changes every so often. And understand the rules. Ignorance of the rules is no excuse. The four prizes being given away this week, $40 for first, $18.67 for second, 11 for third, and 8 for fourth. That is 40, 18, 67, 11, and 8. This money was not donated by me. It almost never is. It came from the following four people. SMI Florida gave $45. He's very generous. He gives a whole lot to the free roll. I thank him for that. Malibu Elise, one of our few female listeners, Gave $22.67. She also donated a similar amount last week. CL Crew 2 gave $5. And Hong Konger gave $5. So thank you to the four of you that gave our $77.67 that we are handing out this week to the four winners of the free roll. And again, it already started, but you can still get in with a full stack. And it's totally free. Totally free. Does not even require play chips. You do need a form account in good standing, among other things. If you want to chat in our chat room, you also need a form account in good standing. Just click on the chat button 
near the top of the screen. And make sure you're logged in to the Poker Fraud Alert forum before clicking it. You need a flash-capable device, meaning no iPhones or iPads can see it. And don't bother going in there if we're not live, if you're not listening live, because you won't hear us. Or you don't know you hear us, but you won't see anybody in there. It's empty when we're not live. If you want to call into the show, the phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone, which sits on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin I have there. It's a separate line into the show. It's an old 70s rotary telephone. It forwards to wherever I go. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. No matter which number you call, make sure you show your caller ID or you won't get through. We also have the call to listen line. This is not a way to call into the show and talk to us, but it is a way to listen to the show live or in the archives. You just call up 712-775-8162. That's 712-775-8162. It does not require a smartphone, does not require the internet, does not require a computer, none of that stuff. You don't need any of that. You just need any phone in the world that can dial. A phone that your grandmother may have used back in the 1940s. That would work here. If, if it can still get a dial tone and dial, yes, that, that will work to listen to this show. I'm not even kidding. 712-775-8162 is that number. It's located in a little shack in the small town of Carroll, Iowa. And it will not even use up any data. If you have a data plan, it won't use any of your data. It does not even require a very good cell phone signal. You can have a crappy cell phone signal, it'll still work. There will be no buffering, no trouble. It's just very easy. You just dial that number and listen. Now, when we're not live, you can also use it to listen to our streaming reruns where the Poker Fraud Alert server picks a random rerun to play as if it's live. And it plays it all the way through, and then when it's done, it picks another one. Over and over and over again until we come back live a week or so later. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. Tens of thousands of minutes are listened to on that line every month. I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. I have reports that automatically send this to me. Tens of thousands of minutes are listened to on that line each month. And don't feel bad about it, though. It, it doesn't cost me per minute. So I, I once had somebody ask me, if it's going to cost me anything if he just leaves it on when he goes to sleep. I said, no, go ahead, have fun. Anyway, I think we're about done here. If you do chat in the chat room, by the way, I'm probably not going to be reading it that much. I have too much to do, too much to pay attention to during the show, but you can chat with each other. S double PM me something about you mean Southwest. No, I, I flew SkyWest, not Southwest. Very different. I actually th- flew three airlines, uh, Alaska, SkyWest, and Compass. <laughs> Though Compass was operating as Delta, SkyWest was operating as Alaska, and then the first flight was just regular Alaska. You know, people in the chat room sometimes scare me. They go, oh, the sound's bad, or oh, oh, I can't hear him anymore. I can't hear him. What's wrong? I think the show's off, and then I get scared like the show went offline. I see FTP Jesus 
was concerned that the show went offline, but then it turned out to be his error. He, like, clicked on the wrong thing. You guys scare me. Though, I'll tell you the truth, though. If you really have a problem with a show, I do prefer that you let me know, even if it turns out that you're mistaken. Because the worst is when I just go on thinking everything's fine and no one can hear me. Jay Acosta saying sound is bad. See, now I think people are screwing with me. Now I think people are screwing with me and just trying to make me think something's wrong when they're not. I can't imagine why the sound would be bad because I'm on my normal equipment. If it is, I have no answers. FTP Jesus is claiming that the eclipse in 2024 will be a little bit longer. Suggests that maybe I take Benjamin. Someone's saying it's a little bit muffled. I don't know. I don't know. All right. uh, We're going to begin with the content. And if the sound's not good, that's the way it is. Let me see how the levels look. I mean, they, they look mostly okay to me. I don't. I'm not seeing any issue, though. Sometimes I don't see an issue, and there is an issue. You guys know how sensitive I am to the whole sound thing. Like, if the sound is not good, I just kind of flip out. Like, I I hate going back and listening later and find that there were sound issues. Because I picture a listener trying to listen and being annoyed by sound level problems, or to where it's difficult to understand or hear, and I just. It gets me mad because I, I picture people trying to listen and they can't or they can't enjoy listening, relax and listen. And I know it would bother me if I were listening and it was that way. So I hope it's not. I hope everything's okay. So here's the agenda this week and then we'll get going. Uh, Bovada is returning. What do I mean by that? Well, Bovada's poker room is coming back. So we will talk about that. A Poker Fraud Alert exclusive this week. A radio listener attempted and is still in the process of attempting a chargeback against Global Poker on PayPal. I will tell you how that has gone so far for him and some very important information that you probably need to know about Global Poker if you're playing on there based upon what this guy is trying. This has not been posted anywhere even on Poker Fraud Alert, it's not posted anywhere on the internet, this information. So make sure to stay tuned for that if you play Global Poker. A decade-old full-tilt lawsuit has been refiled in the state of California after it's been dismissed last month in federal court. I actually know, or shall I say knew, the main plaintiff. And I can tell you about this person and my interaction with them and what I think of this lawsuit. It is not about the Black Friday stuff. This was filed four years before Black Friday. So this is about a totally separate matter involving only two players on the site. Seth Weintraub has been accused of scamming going back three years on 2 Plus 2. A user showed up on Poker Fraud Alert fairly recently to reaccuse him of scamming, of something else. Well, I was surprised to see that Seth Weintraub messaged me through the Poker Fraud Alert contact form and said that he wanted to respond. And he had a little trouble registering. I guess he's not very computer literate. So I, I actually made an account for Seth Weintraub to take the effort out. 
or if he wanted to respond, it was easy. Like, I, I always want people to be able to respond, even if they're accused scammers. I want them to have a voice. I think that's only fair. So I made Seth Weintraub an account, sent it to him, and he came on today and posted. So I'm going to tell you a bit about that whole situation with Seth Weintraub that's currently unfolding on PokerFraudAlert.com's Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness Forum. A poker player named Kyle Cartwright has been tweeting about his video poker play, and he's made a lot of people jealous by posting $300,000 royal flushes that he got in video poker over the past two months. I believe these to be authentic. I don't think these are photoshopped. I don't think he's taking pictures of somebody else's screen. I think he really did get 300K royals in two months. So is this something we should be jealous of? Should we... Lament that our luck is not anywhere as good as Kyle's luck, who has hit 300K worth of royals in just two months. Or is there more to the story? Well, I don't know for sure, but I will give you my theory on this whole thing. More allegations have surfaced regarding Leon Sukernik, the owner of the Kings Casino, and his alleged high-stakes poker loan welching, where basically uh, he would play high-stakes poker against people who would loan him money to play, and then when he would lose, he wouldn't pay them. So we're going to talk about that. There's some new information that has come out. The head of cybersecurity for the Multi-State Lottery Association apparently scammed the Powerball through accomplices multiple times. So talk about... That crazy story that really isn't getting anywhere near the media attention it should. It's not about poker, not really about uh, traditional gambling, but I want to talk about it. Very interesting story. The 500 Club Casino in Clovis, California, that's near Fresno, which is in Central California, it's been shut down. They don't have enough money on hand. A casino has to have cash on hand to cover every chip in play. They did not. So they were shut down. We'll talk about what's going on with that. And also, we'll talk about how this happened to another casino that I'm sure you're very familiar with. And how this relates to today's World Series of Poker. Because it's all connected, in a way. The Westgate Poker Room has reopened in Las Vegas. The American Gaming Association released a new code of conduct. I'll explain what that is and why any of you should care. And finally, by the time you hear this show next week, you will know whether Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather won the fight, the big fight everyone's been talking about. McGregor versus Mayweather. Who will win that fight? It's a very intriguing fight because of uh, it's actually pitting a, a very successful MMA fighter against a very, very successful boxer. So we've never seen anything like that before. So does Conor McGregor have a chance in boxing against Floyd Mayweather? And if you're in Vegas for that weekend, what impact will it have on the poker games there? We will discuss that as our final topic for the night. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number. You are welcome to call in right now before we get started, and I will take your call. Otherwise, 
we'll have to wait till later in the show. If I don't take your call, all that means is that I'm not ready to take calls at the moment. It's, there's nothing against you personally if I don't take your call. I get calls throughout the show, many of which get ignored just because we're not ready to take calls. So here comes a call, which I will take. So, Scott from the East Coast, welcome. Scott, you there? Yeah. Okay, good, good. I'm going to help you get through so Cal can uh, finish his little booty call. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. So, okay, uh, no yeah, you're welcome to hang out here, Scott, and uh, co-host with me here. Yeah, Calwood's been gone some time. So, as I said, he's either taking a while or he's just making it seem like he's taking a while. We'll never know. You know what I heard? I heard about what what happens when uh, his wife listens to you, too. Uh-oh. And she just gets sliced, man. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> well, I want to start out talking about the Bovada poker room returning. Because this is good news for anybody, I think who is a professional poker player who mostly plays online. Because I'll be honest with you guys. Ignition sucks. Ignition is not a very good place to play. The Ignition games are tough. They also change the lobby to where you can no longer select your table, where they just drop you somewhere. Now, that's still going to be the case on Bovada. But Ignition had that one-two punch that made it crappy, where, number one there really weren't very many fish on there. And number two, you can't even pick your games or watch the games going and, you know, select that. You just They just drop you in a game. So I gave up on Ignition a long time ago. I deposited some money there. I ran badly. I lost. I said, that's it. I'm done. I, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't Sites think... rigged. <laughs> there you go, Cal White. You're finished. Very yep. good. We, we... Go ahead. No, I was saying I, I was I was sure you wouldn't come back in three minutes, even if you were done in three minutes. Well, come on. Three minutes? Give me a break. I'm just saying if you were done in three minutes, you wouldn't come back. Just just uh, just for appearances. Yeah. Well, no, I don't really care. <laughs> okay. So you're saying you would have come care. back? I don't care about appearances. So, so you, you really would have come back if, if it was over in three minutes, you would have been right back here? Yeah, but I don't, I don't even know if I can get upstairs in three minutes. You know? <laughs> But hey, let me. Hey, I'm sorry, you know, for listeners who already heard this. So, in, in uh, the totality, you see what I did there. Was your eclipse viewing experience a good one? Did you get to see something cool? Yeah, yeah. I, I discussed that for a while here after you left. But uh, and my uh, question to you is, what about your viewing experience? Was it good? It was amazing. Like it was a long ass drive to get down there, and we were there, and it uh, the forecast for the day was partly cloudy, and. We had an amazing view of it until it was like five minutes away from totality. Oh. And then this big cloud came in front of it. Oh, no. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I can't even believe it, right? But just as it went to totality, it peeked out from underneath the clouds. And it was it was incredible. Like, the if you're not in the path of totality, you totally get a different experience because you can never look at it without, uh, you know, some kind of special glasses on or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you're actually in the totality, you get to see it raw, and you see the corona and the little diamond ring as it uh, as it reemerges, and it was fucking outstanding. Like I, I really, even though it was a long drive uh, with the kids and all that kind of stuff, like I, I totally think it was worth it. That was just incredible to see. It really was. So, so, so you kept uh, okay. So, 
and I also saw from the from the plane. I also saw the totality, and I was able to take off the glasses yeah. and all that. But once I saw the sun starting to peek through it, like yep. as it moved, I, I just I, I didn't keep watching. I immediately threw the glasses back on. So you're saying you watched yeah. after that, or or not? No, 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 no. We were there. We had about uh, two minutes and forty seconds. So we were the place we we're at was actually the longest in the U.S. Mm. Uh, in terms of the the time of totality. Um, but no, I mean, shortly after it, uh, the diamond ring thing emerged, it just got too bright to stare at it without glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I found. And I was too scared yeah. to continue looking anyway. But yeah, no, I'm glad you got yeah, to see and, it. I'm, gl- I'm glad and, it didn't. And it was kind of, you know, it was kind of cool to watch it as it slowly eclipsed. But after the uh, totality was over, like, we didn't really care anymore. Yeah, that's like, what everyone oh, was okay. like, yeah. <laughs> and, here, here's a <laughs> question. Tough. How dark was it outside when this happened, when the totality happened? Was it like pitch dark? Or how dark was it? It it actually got and it was pretty hot where we were too. Um, it got very dark, um, probably more like dusk though, not like a pitch black midnight. Um, and also, all the crickets started chirping. Huh. The, the crickets and cicadas. As soon as it got dark, like it got really loud. Like it was almost creepy loud. Like you know oh, something out of a horror yeah. movie. Something. <laughs> you know. That's interesting. Um, and that was really cool. And but I think the reason it didn't get pitch black and the the sky turned like a, a deep blue, not a pure black, um, and it might have been the clouds, oh. right? Because there was some amount of clouds there, so whatever sunlight was there did get you know kind of d- dispersed in the clouds or whatever. Okay. Um, so it got quite dark, but it didn't get like midnight dark. And I think for that to happen, you'd need to be, um, you know, no clouds in the sky at all. Okay. Yeah, I, I was saying yes. mine, mine was never pitch dark because I'm so high up that you can see you, you see this 360 degree sunset all, way off in the distance, which was oh, cool. Neat. Which was cool, but but it, it also wasn't completely dark. But if you looked directly down, then it looked completely dark. Like you couldn't see the ground anymore. It was like flying at yeah. night if you looked down. So yeah. it got it got quite dark, but not like a you know a midnight dark where you can't yeah. see anything. Yeah, I was curious about that, having been in the plane and on the ground. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Might, you know what? It might have been comparable to. It might have been comparable in darkness to um, a full moon night. Like if you're out on a, a, a night where there's a full moon oh, okay. and you yeah. can still see a little bit. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So well, I'm glad you had a good experience there. I know it's it's a lot of trouble if you if you don't live right in the area. It's it's a lot of trouble no matter what you do to go see it. So I'm glad it. Uh, Whole thing wasn't a fail, like with the clouds blocking it the whole time, or something, or, or the or right right when you needed to see the totality, that would have been the worst. So, uh, okay, so glad you're back here, and yeah, sorry about that, but you got to do what you got to nah, do. No, it's you know? fine, it's fine. So we're just talking about Bovada reopening, and the, as I was saying, this is a good thing because what was so good about Bovada for all these years, and Bodog before it was called Bovada, was that it was fed by a constant stream of fish, mostly sports bettors, who were not very good at poker. The best time for Bodong and Bovada, and I can tell you this from playing on those sites for many years, was during NFL season. Because you'd have the people who would win in NFL and then take the money to the poker tables, and you'd have people who would lose in the NFL, and they'd try to get it back at the poker tables. So I noticed in these games during football season, that's when you would get the real fish sitting down. That's when the ratio of fish to pros was highest. When it was not during football season anymore, it was noticeably worse. And I heard this from the people who played No Limit on there a lot, too. I I play only limit games on there for the most part, but uh, I heard from the No Limit people that also that's the same situation. 
So I always looked forward to the beginning of NFL season, mainly for that reason. And I was so upset when they took away poker from Bovada and moved it to Ignition. And pre- they pretended it was sold, but it's really the same company. But the problem with Ignition is that there was nothing feeding it. Yeah, there's a casino, but that's not going to do much. So there were no more sports bettors on the site that would dock off their money in poker games. And that really made the games worse. So I gave up on it. Well, apparently they, they've rethought the poker situation. And this has really surprised a lot of people in the industry. No one saw this coming. People thought that this was just the company deciding that they're done with poker and that they're going to shuffle it off to the side, which is what Ignition was, and no longer let professional poker players take the money that fish are depositing to bet on sports, that they want to they wanna beat the fish. They don't want the poker players to beat the fish. And we thought that was going to be permanent because we've, we've been seeing for years – Bodog and Bovada slowly moving towards this, slowly becoming less and less friendly toward the professional poker player. So this seemed like it was it. We never expected them to reverse course, even if Ignition was a failure. So it's possible that the fish were requesting this, that the fish who were, you know, they think are going to come in and deposit to bet on the NFL. We're saying, hey, where's the poker room? We'd like to have that too. Maybe there were enough complaints from people who were mainly on that site because they could play poker and bet sports. Since they couldn't play poker anymore, they were upset. And maybe just being directed to a separate site, Ignition, wasn't good enough for them. Maybe they wanted to have the bankroll in the same place. And you know know how it goes. So whatever it was, they've decided that it's in their company's best interest to return to the days of... Bovada also being a poker room. Now, sadly, they're not returning, at least not yet, to the days of being able to select the game you want. So that's also pretty big. That's also It's not going to be the same Bovada you remember. But at least it will, it will be fed by the fish again. At least so I think. And it's right in time for NFL season. I, I, just, I just don't think that's a coincidence. I really think that they did this specifically because NFL season is coming. And they, it, it just abruptly happened. They didn't warn it's coming. They didn't toss out clues that it might happen. It just abruptly was announced. So I'm going to give it another shot. And the games might suck. Basically, the games I'm looking to play on there are Limit Hold'em, of course, Omaha 8 or better, and I may even uh, play some PLO if the games are good. But those are the three. I don't want to play No Limit Hold'em. Um, so if those three, if any of those three are decent, then I might stick around. But otherwise, uh, <laughs> then I won't stick around very long. I'll, I'll leave. Like if this new lobby that they've had for a while on Ignition is a hindrance to where I can't really play a game where I I feel it's a good game. Because it sucks because you can't pick where you sit. So if it it just seems to be dropping me with pros all the time, I'm going to give up on it. But I'll see. At least it's worth uh, giving another shot. And it's definitely good news for the professional poker player. Now, here is the FAQ posted on Bovada's website. Poker is back. What is new? 
why is poker back? Well, let me, let me start off there before that even says that. We recognize over the past year that there's been a large appetite for poker. Yeah, over the past year. They've, they've only been offering poker for like 17 years now, and they, they've just recognized there's a large appetite for poker. They're, they're the biggest U.S.-facing online poker site. They're just, they're just learning that, uh, oh, you know, people like to play poker. We didn't know that. Hmm. We've decided that bringing back our full suite of poker offerings is an opportunity to enhance the player experience and bring even more excitement to you, our valued players. How is it enhancing anything? You guys took it away. It's just, it's just returning back what you took away in the first place. Okay, why is poker back? Our players have spoken, so we've listened and brought poker back. But I think that's probably true, but they, they also failed to mention. And our extension of poker, where we moved it to, has been an appalling failure and nobody likes it. How do I get started? Uh, can you still play on Ignition? Yes. Yeah. In fact, that's covered in the fact. But yeah, yes, you can. Uh, oh, okay. How do I get started playing again? Getting started is easy by following our step-by-step guide to download the Bovada Poker Client. I should get... They should pay me for this. I, this should be like... I, I'm giving them free publicity here. I'm, I'm giving people instructions how to play again. I mean, this is... I, I do so much free advertising on this show. It's just not fair to me. If you still have the Bovada Poker Client installed on your computer, you'll be prompted to download an update. If you had previously disabled your account and want to re-enable it, contact us and we'll be happy to assist you. So basically they're saying, uh, if you still have the Bovada software, just run it and it'll update itself like it always does. If you don't have it, just download it again and play. And your account should still work unless you specifically disabled it. That's what they're saying. Uh, What are the Poker Client features? We have added a new quick seat feature to the same great features from the past. Mobile poker, zone poker, and anonymous table. So what the quick seat feature is what they're talking about is how they just drop you at a game. You can't pick your games anymore. What poker games will be offered at Bovada? Bovada will offer the same poker games on the same PWL network. That's what they call their network now of uh, various Bovada skins, which are, all, I believe, all owned by the same company, them. Uh Ring games, scheduled tournaments, sit and goes, and zone poker. What will happen to my Bovada poker points I had before? When Bovada poker closed, all unused poker points expired. Unfortunately, we are unable to credit the poker points back to your account. Can I transfer funds from Ignition back to Bovada? Remember, you could transfer from Bovada to Ignition initially. What do you think the answer is to that, Calwatt? Yes. Uh, the answer is no. You cannot. Boo. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I probably just to pretend like they're two different companies, but yeah, it says uh, you're unable to transfer funds from any other brand on the PWL network. Am I allowed to have both a Bovada and Ignition Casino account active at the same time? What do you think the answer is to that one? Yes, you're correct. Yes, you are able to have an account on Bovada and Ignition at the same time, as they are distinct entities. Yeah, sure. However, you are not permitted to play poker simultaneously or in the same tournament at any point from separate operators. From separate operators. Attention Z, what, Justin. What would be stopping you from doing that? Um, I don't know. It's too, it's too bad I'm not on better terms with Justin Bonomo. We could have him come on here and explain that. <laughs> so it says, still have questions? Contact us and we'll be happy to assist you. So, so basically, it's very simple here. You just get the Bovada poker client again off their site, bovada.lv, or just run it again if you still have it, and go on your old account and... You can play. And that's it. It's coming back. It's there immediately. So we shall see. We shall see if it uh, goes back to what it was. And if all of the, the sports betting fish come, I mean, that will bring everyone in. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, they'll I, even bring in like wreckfish who think they're good and you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm wondering what it'll be like. I really am wondering. Uh, I think it's going to be good, okay, crappy. It's hard to tell, but we shall see. And it's going to be hard to tell because. I won't be able to see the other tables. I can't just say, oh, okay, well, I'm at a bad table, but I can see this one over here. If I could only get into it, look how good that game is. No, you can't even do that. You can't see what else is running. So it'll take a little time to ascertain the quality of these games. It could even be the reverse. I could be sad at great games and think it's wonderful, and then it turns out I'm just being sad at the few good games on there, and then uh, after those are over, it'll be crap games from that point forward for a while. So I don't know. Uh, I do need some Bitcoin to deposit on here. So if anybody on here has Bitcoin to sell, and I, I don't mean if you got fifty dollars, I don't want it. But if you've got, I'd say a, a minimum of uh, three hundred dollars in Bitcoin to sell, preferably more, but yeah, three hundred or more. Let me know, and I will buy it from you at whatever the going rate is at the time we do the trade. So I'm not going to give you any markup. But you're not going to get any marked down, and we'll do it at a fair price that's determined by a trusted third-party site like uh, Coindesk or whatever. We can just pick one. And then uh, I will obviously uh, not stiff you in any way. You know that. Uh, see, this is good. If you've, got, if you've got Bitcoin to sell, I'm a very good one to sell it to, unless you want markup from someone. But if you don't want to sell it at markup and you want to get a, a reliable person paying you, you know there's no way I'm going to screw you with it. So, you know you can send me the Bitcoin, I'm not going to fly the coop. And we don't have to play a stupid game of, uh, you know, know, who sends first or anything. You you know if you send me the Bitcoin, you're getting the associated cash in whatever account that we've agreed that I'm going to put it in. So, I I would like to get a good deal of Bitcoin, not to invest in this, but to have as a bankroll. Because I I really don't have much Bitcoin at the moment, and if I'm going to undertake playing these games, I need a bankroll. And that's the one thing that's a pain in the ass of playing online these days, is it's, it's not easy to get money on these sites. So, that uh, is a request I have for anybody out there who is interested in selling any Bitcoin. If you feel you have more than you're comfortable having, or you don't really have a good way to sell it, we can easily arrange that. Text me at 775-372-8355 if you want to do that. Seven seven five. Bitcoin is still kind of a sensitive subject with me. <laughs> how much, you know, the, the Bitcoin that were lost that you had mined, how much do you think it's worth today? I, I don't even want to talk about okay. it. Hundreds okay. of thousands of dollars. Okay. okay. That's really too bad. I, I've told your story to some people. You know, people say, oh, man, you know, like I, I lost uh, a few thousand dollars and such and such happened. I'm like, you want to hear a bad story of someone I know? And I tell them about your. The computer that's sitting in a landfill somewhere with, at the time, which was like 100000 when you hold the story, when it was worth much, much less. Bitcoin, for those of you who may be listening in the future, maybe you're yeah, listening... I, I don't calculate it, Druff. Like, okay. I'm not that masochistic <laughs> that I want to know to the penny how much money I would have. Yeah, they, I, really, I really just don't want to know. For, the, for those of you that are listening in the future, like let's, see, let's say you're listening to this show in 2020, and, and Bitcoin has uh, crashed down to... $12 a coin. You will know on this date that it was $4,065 as we were per coin as we were recording this episode. Uh, I also feel some frustration, nothing like yours, but I had a lot of Bitcoin about a year and a half ago, around like March 2016. I probably sold off... I mean, I, I sold off a lot of Bitcoin 
at about 400 something per coin. So it's gone up almost 10 times since I held all that Bitcoin that I sold. Now, I didn't hold it very long. It's not like I was holding it for a long time and chose that point to sell it. I received the Bitcoin and I quickly moved it, not wanting to play the Bitcoin up and down game with a lot of money. But had I sat there with it and not sold any of it, um, I would have made a staggering sum of money. Uh, I'm, I'm not even kidding that when I say if I had just kept that Bitcoin and uh, not touched it, uh, I would have made close to one million dollars. Do you hear that, Calwat? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm I'm sure mine is way up there. No, but did you hear the, did you hear the sound effect or no? Yeah, you want to play it again so I can feel even worse? No, no, I, just, I wasn't sure if you heard it. I, okay. No, no, I'll play it five times. So no, I look, God, this is about me, not you, though. I, this, this, <laughs> I, I can talk about my own pain here. This this is my own pain. Now, the, the only thing I can say, though, the only reason this doesn't hurt too much is I never considered maybe I should just hold on to it for a long time and, and, and see how high it goes. I never thought maybe I should do that. I just thought, okay, I've got a lot of this Bitcoin here. I I, I just want to convert it into cash, not screw around. That That's... And I... I it, you know, I didn't lose money on it. It's not like I. It's not like I got it for a thousand and it fell to four hundred and I sold it. I, I just uh, sold it. Now, what's also annoying is that uh, I had about uh, ten thousand worth when, or maybe thirteen thousand worth. Yeah, I think thirteen thousand worth when it was uh, back in like uh, February, and it was like around a thousand then. So that would have quadrupled that. But that's not nearly as painful as all the all I sold a year and a half ago. But anyone who sold Bitcoin in the past, I mean, we have people listening who sold it back when it was ten dollars a coin, or who screwed around with it online and lost a gambling or whatever just because it was worth so little. And uh, so, yeah, everybody's got their own story of oh, if I only just kept it and didn't touch it, a little money could be worth a fortune now. But not many people saw this coming. In fact, I remember that the Winklevoss twins when they had done a massive investment in uh, in Bitcoin, they were trying to pump it up by claiming that they thought that uh, 10000 per coin wasn't unlikely at some point. And everybody laughed at them and said, they're, they're just saying this because they own a whole lot. They're trying to get more people to buy and drive the price up. The funny thing is that's not even unrealistic at this point. It's not close yet, but it's not... Uh, if it's 4000 uh, 10000 is and it, you know it's, and it's quadrupled in, since the beginning of 2017, it, it's not unreasonable to believe it can get to... Uh, to, to get to ten thousand, and it, it keeps getting to like the forty four hundred or forty three hundred something, and then falls again. So, like in the past day, it actually has been in the forty three hundreds. But it seems like every time I look, it just keeps yo-yoing between those spots. So, anyway, Calwood, I'm sorry that I've uh, depressed you with this. So I, I tried to tell my own story so you could at least uh, have company in your misery. A different way, but you know, it's it's still we we each have our own. Uh, Cross to bear with this. It's still different from just throwing it out. No, I you know? agree. I agree. <clears throat> throwing it out because you don't think it's ever going to be. I mean, I was just playing around. I thought it was like a yeah. little toy. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, this will never amount to anything. And, and honestly, like when I got rid of that computer, it wasn't even on my mind that that was on there because that's how, you know, worthless all this stuff seemed to me at the time. Jeez. You know? Yep. That's, that's brutal. It really is. So, okay. Uh, 
I want to talk about something that I guarantee no other radio show has ever discussed, and I guarantee you will not find anywhere on the web right now that this is posted. I shouldn't say I guarantee it's possible. Someone else could have done something similar. But I always like bringing exclusive stories to this show because uh, that Adam Schwartz over there on 2 Plus 2, even though he listens to this show, and I am very happy about that, and even though he has nice things to say about this show, sometimes he even gives us a little plug on there. But they beat us to everything. They, they, just, they, they get to all these stories first, unless they happen to happen like the same day, like when we're on. But I really like exclusive stories in Poker Fraudler where I can tell you guys about something that you cannot find or read about anywhere else. So this is one of them. This is about Global Poker, which we've talked about on this show. And they, they have this weird... It, you know, it's a, it's a U.S.-facing site. They claim it's legal. They have this whole weird setup there involving uh, gold coins and, and, and sweeps cash and all this other crap. And they, they claim that the way they have it set up, that it's legal by the way they're doing it. We discussed on a recent show about the random number generator, where someone was questioning whether that was uh, a real random number generator. Not just whether it works, but whether it's actually real or whether they've just uh, gotten a whole different, you know, a big list of permutation of, of different ways the cards can be, and then they just pick one of them. So uh, that that was questioned, and that person never got a real answer. So we've discussed them some on this show, but we're not going to talk about really the random number generator here, or about the poker play itself, or even about uh, the, the weird setup they have going there, and whether it's legal or not. We're going to talk about what happens if you attempt to charge back, because they are one of the few sites that allows you to buy in and cash out through PayPal, which is very surprising, because PayPal is very, very anti-gambling, and they've been for more than 15 years. So if PayPal catches that you are using their site for gambling in any way, they will shut down your account. And I don't just mean online gambling. I mean any kind of gambling. If you send $50 to your friend and put in the note, you know, for the bet we had on on the football game last week, if the bot on PayPal catches that, your account's gone. So really any kind of gambling, they shut you down. Legal or illegal. Even legal gambling that you use PayPal to facilitate in some way. For example, uh, Let's say somebody uh, you know buys a piece of your you know of some event you play or something. You, you can if, on PayPal if 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 it's used for that, then they will shut you down. Even though it's totally legal to sell pieces of yourself in, in poker or in any other kind of gambling. So they just don't want anything to do with it. So it's very surprising that a site like Global Poker will claim, oh, PayPal is an option. Well, yeah, for how long? <laughs> and not only that, you may get your PayPal account shut down if it's uh, seen that you're sending and receiving money from them. So I can't imagine that's a viable deposit and payout method for the long or even uh, medium term. It's even amazing it hasn't been shut down yet. So a radio listener had some frustrations with Global Poker. And he decided he's going to do a chargeback. Um, here are the reasons that he felt that he could do a chargeback. 
First of all, uh, he claimed that uh, the random number generator concerns are bothering him. Second, he said that he never used the gold coins, which are actually play money on their site that he purchased. All he used were the uh, sweeps cash that he got for free anyway. So he was claiming that, uh, you know, for these two reasons, that he felt that uh, he just wanted his money back. He's like, here, take your take your stupid gold coins back, which are just play money anyway. I never used them. Yeah, I ran the free sweeps cash through, but that's, uh, he's saying that that's free anyway. Now, I don't know if he got that for buying the gold coins, then that would be a good reason on their end to say no, but uh, he said that's all he ran. And then he said the, the random number generator... He doesn't uh, believe the real random number generator, and they're not being honest about it, and uh, they won't answer anyone's questions about it. So these were the justifications he used in his mind for trying to make a chargeback. Now, uh, am I saying I agree with this? Uh, not necessarily. Um, everybody has their own standards for when it's appropriate to charge back to a poker site. Charge back meaning that you, whatever pay, payment method you use, that you want the money back, and basically the money comes back from the poker site into your account. Which, you know, if you just use it because you lose, you know, let's say you play on a poker site and you lose, and then you charge back and claim fraud or claim something else, and then you win the charge back, yeah, you've really free rolled the poker site. You've, you've ripped off the poker site. At the same time, I, I never have too much sympathy for poker sites when they're the victim of chargebacks because. The, uh, when you're running an illegal gambling site, which is this is, I mean, they can claim it's legal, but I don't believe it is, and they're definitely operating on PayPal against their terms and service. When when you're doing that, and when people then charge back to you, uh, that that's part of the whole thing. And the truth is, far more players, far 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 more players have been screwed by online poker sites than the reverse. So when I, whenever I hear about someone getting over on an online poker site that's running illegally, I'm like, you know, even if I wouldn't do this myself, even if I don't really agree with what they're doing, I never feel too bad for the online poker site. Uh, much like I don't feel too bad for a drug dealer who gets his stuff ripped off. You know, I, I, just, I just can't feel too bad for any uh, criminal organization that's making money. Even if it's providing something that... Uh, I, I don't think is bad to provide, like in this case, online poker. There, there are too ma- there's too many cases, uh, especially these smaller sites that start up, that collect people's money, that, that don't segregate the funds, that don't operate responsibly, and then disappear and the players are left uh, holding the bag and they, they've lost their money, whether they've won on the site or, or lost on the site. So there's been so many of those that when someone charges back and screws them, I, I don't scream bloody murder about it. Like, you know, this is uh, th- this is part of the whole industry. This is uh, something that's inevitable. And this happens because people are suspicious that these sites are not running honestly. And because the sites do not make themselves transparent. Or even as transparent as they could be while still protecting themselves. They, they really... These sites really provide very poor transparency, even that they have your money. So when people get nervous about that and, and charge back and screw them, I, I say, well, they, you, you kind of have it coming in a way. So anyway, I don't ever do this, but I'm just saying that 
when people do this, I don't think, oh my god, he's a horrible person. Everybody's got their own standards or at what point they charge back. Like, for example, if, if a poker site cheated me in some way, and I really mean cheated, not like I just took some bad beats and think it's rigged. I mean, like, if I really know I got cheated, yes, I would charge back. Of course I would. So, everybody's got their own standards for where they believe that occurred. And when it's a legalized, regulated site, then there are standards set up there are laws set up which allow this or disallow this. When it's like this, where it's operating uh, illegally and they're taking deposits illegally through PayPal, uh, then there really is no independent third party that can determine who is right and who is wrong. And that's when people just start charging back. And you know, if they succeed, they succeed. The problem is there's no judge in the middle that can say, okay, this one's reasonable, this one's not. So anyway, getting back to this. And this person's listening, by the way. I don't know if they're listening live, but this person listens to this show every week, so they can they can provide me with more information. I, I'm a little confused by what they told me about why they charged back, but that's that's not all that important here. I just I, I am a little curious about why they charged back, other than like, oh, I just want my money back. So the the amount we're talking about is forty four hundred dollars. It was forty four hundred dollars with mostly five hundred dollar deposits each, and. They disputed all of the charges. So a bunch of charges, mostly 500. There's some 300s. All added up to 4,400. And this is ongoing. This is still going on right now. It's not completely finished. But this person PM'd me a few days ago to let me know what's happening and gave me some details. So they said, uh, here's the results I've gotten so far. One $500 dispute was ruled in my favor, meaning he just got back 500 bucks. Two disputes... 500 and 300 require additional supporting evidence, which I've since provided. Five disputes were rejected. And three disputes are, quote, awaiting additional information from the seller. So there's, one was approved. Five of them are either waiting for more info from him, which he gave, or, or, or info from Global Poker. And five of them were rejected. Now, it, I don't understand how these are not all like one way or the other. How, are there, how is there such difference here since these are all payments to an online poker site? But what they probably did is they probably did it from you know, masking it, pretending it's from different sources. I don't know this for sure, but uh, I'm wondering if these are like just a bunch of different payments from different, quote, sellers. Or buyers or whatever. So... I. I wonder if that's why some are treated different than the other. But here's something interesting. The reason he was given for the five that were rejected, the five chargebacks that were rejected, says, Status, after careful consideration, we're unable to decide this claim in your favor at this time. The item violates the PayPal acceptable use policy. It is ineligible for PayPal buyer protection. So, what's interesting about that is the last line. The item violates the PayPal acceptable use policy. It's ineligible for PayPal buyer protection. Well, what the fuck? If it violates the acceptable use policy, then why are they allowed to make these transactions? Right. (laughs) So, what this person's saying is it looks like maybe PayPal's not going to be an option for them much longer, that they're discovering what's going on and they're going to get shut down. But this is a site that marketed that they had a partnership with them. Yeah, that's a, we didn't understand that either. So, so he's saying that 
yeah, maybe they've decided it's not uh, it's nothing they want. And then he also said he didn't give further details, but he said after my last conversation with PayPal, I have reason to believe that I will still receive funds for each of these deposits. I will keep you posted. But it looks like the site's about to have some major issues. So he's even claiming the ones that got rejected and the five that have not yet been decided. He thinks those ten are all going to eventually go to his favor. He's going to get back the entire 4400 from, quote, conversations he's had with them. Now, it's possible he just spoke to someone there at PayPal and it's like, hey, guys, you know, this is an illegal gambling site. They shouldn't have been using you. And I got cheated in such and such way or, or whatever. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we agree with you. We're, we're, we're looking into this still, you know. Don't worry, we're probably going to ultimately give you your money. Like He may have been told that by someone who really didn't have the authority to speak and, and give him this much optimism. I don't know. He didn't give more detail. It's kind of weird to me that they'd be telling him what's, go- you know, what's probably going to happen for him. PayPal doesn't usually work like that. They usually just approve or don't approve or say wait. They usually don't say, hey, we're probably going to rule in your favor. we got to wait. <laughs> so uh, well, that seems to be what he's claiming. But, yeah, with them violating the acceptable use policy, that couldn't be very good for global poker. Unless the, unless this was like a generic message that was sent to him for the reason these were declined and they didn't really mean that. Maybe they just meant it's ineligible for pay, PayPal buyer protection, but that it's not really violating it. Like, for example, PayPal has made it more clear to people that if you send money, friends, and family which doesn't have any fees, that that is not eligible for PayPal buyer protection. So that's usually how people send money to one another on PayPal without having to pay any fees. But if that person screws you in some way, PayPal saying, we're not getting involved, you're on your own. The only way they sometimes will get involved with this is like there's a, like an account hacking or something. But if it's just one person sends money to the other person and doesn't deliver on what they promise that they're going to deliver... Uh, unless PayPal determines that it really is like a, a real big scam, uh, they basically don't get involved. So, like, let, let's say you buy a cell phone from me for for uh, three hundred dollars, but you 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 pay me through friends and family, not through the regular PayPal method, which has fees. Okay, so I send you the cell phone, and the cell phone doesn't work. I sent it to you, you receive it, but it it has big problems; it doesn't work well. So you go make a complaint to PayPal. Hey, I want my money back. PayPal would say back, you're not getting your money back because this is ineligible for buyer protection. If you wanted it to be eligible for buyer protection, you should have done it through purchasing goods and services, not through friends and family. Friends and family were not getting involved. If you want your your money back, sue this guy. That's what they would say. So it's possible they're just saying to him that this is ineligible for buyer protection. And they may have accidentally included the thing about it violates the acceptable use policy. But it's also possible that it really does violate the acceptable use policy, and they've decided that this is gambling, and they're not going to be part of it. Um, when we first discussed global poker, we thought that they somehow kind of tricked PayPal into thinking this is not really gambling, like it's some kind of legal free sweepstakes or something where people can buy you know, free coins to play for play money on the site. So it's possible PayPal is finally realizing what's going on, and that... Uh, you know, lo and behold, I know PayPal is shocked by this, but lo and behold, global poker is actually gambling. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's taken PayPal a long time, but they, they're figuring it out. It's, it's slowly dawning upon them that something called global poker might actually be a gambling site. So, uh, it, Something doesn't make sense, Druff. What? 
Because again, these these guys marketed that they had a partnership with PayPal, right? Yeah. And like you were saying before, PayPal is so they've got such a hard on to to nail people or they're using it for anything gambling related. It it doesn't make any sense to me that they that they would somehow just be flying under the radar. <laughs> you know? I, I think this is what happened. I think sometimes when, when companies make some kind of partnership or agreement, sometimes they don't fully understand what they're agreeing to. And they th- what they think they're agreeing to is something that makes sense to them, something that uh, they're happy to agree to, but then they, don't just fully, they just don't fully understand what they're doing. Th- this is what I said. I know it's a totally different topic, but back when the government approved the PokerStars uh, paying of the players in 2011 at, right after Black Friday... And people said, well, what about my FPPs? And, and PokerStars gave a very unfair way of cashing those out. And I got screwed for like 2000 bucks. I won't rehash the whole thing, but when people complained to PokerStars about how this is unfair, PokerStars said, look, this is what the government said we have to do, so sorry. Uh, complain to them if you don't like it. But that wasn't true. What really happened was PokerStars approached the government with this plan, and the government didn't understand the way FPPs were redeemed before this, and PokerStars kind of tricked them into believing this is a reasonable way to distribute the money, you know, to convert them and distribute the money. So the government's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, this seems reasonable. Okay, stamp of approval. And PokerStars, okay, well, this is what the government says we have to do because this is what we agreed. Well, yeah, it was your idea, PokerStars. So they came up with something unfair. Government thought they understood it, but they did not. They agreed it. They agreed to it. And then when people complained to PokerStars, they said, oh, the government's making us do this. Which, yeah, once they made the agreement, the government was making them do this, but they're the ones who proposed it. So, relating it back to this, I have a feeling that they pitched something to PayPal, which really, really made global poker sound not like gambling. Which is laughable to all of us, but I really think... Wait, wait, wait. Something called global poker (laughs) didn't set off their their alarm? Well, yeah, that's apparently... It it must not have because they they allowed it. So unless unless global poker was just lying about the, the partnership, but... Something we there's something we don't know. There must be. <laughs> it, it none of it makes sense because you you in you can do that personal PayPal payment thing and you can say like as a comment like you, you really shouldn't say anything if you're you know using it for this stuff. But you say good luck in the tournament, right? Yeah, you'll get shut and down. Something like that will get flagged and yeah. we'll get the account shut down. And you're telling me that a company that they partner with named Global Poker, they don't know what it is? Well, this I mean, is... Something is really weird. Well, it's possible that they, they somehow pitched it to PayPal. Like, they, they showed all the reasons it's not gambling and really weren't totally honest about it. And at that point, once PayPal agreed, PayPal wasn't scrutinizing them like they do the rest of us when we send something on PayPal and the bot examines our comments and all this and tries to figure out if it's gambling. Like, if they've already made some kind of partnership, then they're not watched as closely possibly but they they had to imagine at some point that the truth would come out and if if this guy if this guy's statement is true and if if what they told him is true that it's really violating the paypal acceptable use policy then they really are deciding that global poker is gambling and might be kicking them off at that point and then if they get kicked off then they've got the problem of processing payments because Payment processing is a very difficult aspect of running an online poker site. And getting payment processors willing to work for you who are not going to screw you, who are not going to charge you exorbitant rates. When I say you, I mean the poker site, not you, the player. So 
yeah, PayPal's a wonderful solution until they don't allow it anymore and shut you down. So I could see global poker's business model collapsing if PayPal goes away. So that's that's one big, big problem they have. Unless PayPal really is totally 100% on board with what they're doing and fully understands what they're doing. But we don't know. As, as Cal Watts said, there, there could be a big piece of this missing. We don't know. There's got to be. There's got to be. I mean, it's either something dumb, like you said before, like um, the person or the automated response that he got was wrong. Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else it could be. They, maybe they're using a shell company to process the, the payments or something. I mean, I don't know. There, yeah. Something doesn't add up. And though, then how do, you get, sure. how do you get a dispute rule in his favor? He already got 500 back. So if they really have a partnership with Global Poker, and Global Poker, if you're not eligible to get the money back when you pay them, then how did he get that 500? I don't even get that. So... It's, it is possible, though, that really this whole thing's about to collapse, maybe partially from what this guy's doing, maybe what him and various others are doing. I can't imagine he's the only one to charge back after uh, losing on there or whatever reason. So I'd watch out with Global Poker. I know there's people who listen to this show who play on there. I would watch out. I would not keep a lot of money. If you want to keep a few bucks on there to play because it's fun or whatever, fine, if you don't mind losing the money. Just, just keep in mind that if you have like a four-figure sum on there, it may be a bitch to get it off if PayPal goes away. You just have to know this, and maybe you should get it off before that happens. So that's that's my warning to you guys about global poker. And I will get updated by this individual as this continues. So we will find out more. I will update you next week or whenever more information comes to light about this. Yeah, something's just not right here. Yeah. Speaking of something not right, this is a really weird lawsuit involving Full Tilt. People think of lawsuit and Full Tilt and you think, oh, someone's suing them because their, their bankroll was held up all that time or because Full Tilt lied about how safe everyone's money was, blah, blah, blah. You know, something related to Black Friday and how they stole all the money. But no, that's nothing to do with this lawsuit. This lawsuit was filed way, 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 way before Black Friday back in 2007. So it's a, t- a decade-old lawsuit that was filed, I think, first in California court, then to federal court. Yeah, I, I think it got dismissed at a California court. Then it went to federal court, and it just got dismissed after all this time it, from federal court, and is back in California court. That's been refiled. Now, actually, I guess it started in '09, not '07, but you know, same thing. <laughs> it's still way before Black Friday. So this lawsuit was filed by two players on Full Tilt named Larry Kennedy and Greg Amatoy. Now, you probably haven't heard of either of them, though I have mentioned Larry Kennedy before on the show. Larry Kennedy is nothing like the Larry who listens to this show. Not, not like uh, Larry Laffer who came out to the World Series and spent time in Vegas this summer. And met Wait, Larry him. came out at the World Series? <laughs> he might have. You can ask him. I know you've you've been waiting for Larry to to just announce that he's gay. You you really want Larry to be gay? I know, but I'll no, tell you, I, I, I don't have any problem with it. I just didn't know he was out. Okay, well, you'll you'll be glad to know that this Larry I'm talking about, Larry Kennedy, actually does have sex with men. It's true. However, the Larry I'm talking about here has sex with men not because Larry is gay, but because this Larry is a woman. 
Larry Kennedy is spelled A L A R Y. You can Google her, especially if you put Larry Kennedy poker. But if you Google her, you'll see some pictures of her. And she's an attractive woman. Now, some of the pictures are old, like 10 years or more old. But she she's in her 50s now. She wasn't in the pictures you'll find, but she's in her 50s now. But uh, she's a, a pretty blonde woman. And I, I met her once in person, and I'll explain that in a second. And she was a heads-up limit hold'em player. Back in the day when uh, a lot of people made a good living just sitting, waiting for fish to sit with them heads up on various poker sites. Not usually the main ones like Poker Stars, but, but more of the smaller sites. They would just wait heads up. There's kind of an unspoken agreement that they're not going to play each other. And in fact, if anyone tries that, they just sit out. And then they wait for fish to sit with them. They play the fish. If the fish turns out not to be a fish, if the fish is like a new player who's actually pretty good, they sit out after a few hands. Uh, if the fish is bad, then they keep playing them and they crush them because fish are very easy to beat heads up, especially if they stay for a while. So a lot of people, made, not a lot, but some people made a lot of money over the years doing this. In fact, I kind of regret that I didn't spend more time doing that. I, I did it a little bit, but I, I I made most of my money in poker playing uh, like six max and full table cash games, mostly six max. So I, I didn't do that much heads up. So... And these weren't tough heads-up games. This, the, the, the variance was much lower at these because they were almost exclusively playing fish. Now, this Greg Amatoy was the boyfriend of Larry Kennedy. Uh, Larry Kennedy played as... Uh, oh, she had a number of names. I think, I think her name on Full Tilt was Silly Sal. And then I know Greg Amatoy was Grego777. Now, from what I can tell... Greg Amatoy didn't actually play on there. His account was actually a second account of Larry Kennedy's that she actually played on it. And she actually played more than just fish. She would sit she would quit people that she thought she wasn't good enough to beat, and she would quit also if you just were running well against her. She was one of these players if she wasn't running well, she wouldn't just keep playing and playing and losing a fortune. She'd she'd get off to a bad start or you'd go on a good run against her and she'd just quit. But at the same time, she wasn't afraid to play non-fish. She actually did play a number of people who were good. Um, there were suspicions over the years that uh, what if she's a bot? What if Larry Kennedy... Uh, she's a real person, but what if she was operating a bot? The reason there were suspicions of this was that she had no known history in poker anywhere. She just showed up on the scene all of a sudden and was playing like 100, 200 limit hold'em heads up and winning, but had no experience. No one knew her from any live card rooms. No one saw her coming up on sites at a lower level. So they just saw she just shows up there and she's good. So there's some suspicion that maybe she's operating a bot. And the Grego777 account was actually used as a second account of hers in some cases, to get action against people who otherwise would not have played her. So, was this a bad thing? Yes. Should she have multi-accounted? No. Uh, But that was not why she was uh, kicked off of Full Tilt, and they took her money when they kicked her off. They kicked off her and Greg with an accusation of botting. Not multi-accounting, which they were. I, I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure they did. 
but they were actually removed from full tilt for botting. And at the time, botting was a much more egregiously offense in full tilt's opinion than multi-accounting, provided you didn't play in the same game with each other, which they never did. They, they always played separately. So just multi-accounting to get action was not considered a huge deal on full tilt. In fact, they even let some certain people do it. Like David Benjamin had several accounts that he used there. And they allowed him to do it because he was playing the, the very high stakes, you know, the nosebleed games and, and losing at the time. So they wanted to allow him to do this. And he was a well-known player, so they uh, they let Benjamin do it. He thought an account was like running bad. Okay, I want a different account. Okay, sure, David, you can have it. So they let Benjamin multi-account. They let other people multi-account, like Guy Le Liberté, who was a huge fish on there. But uh, botting was a very egregious offense. So Crazy Mike, also known as Mike Thorpe, was obsessed with bots. He was obsessed with identifying and reporting poker bots. He even ran a site for a while called DestroyTheBots.com. Mike did not seem to have any kind of a technical expertise that would allow him to do this. He was just, he would just play them and decide certain people were bots and report them. That was the way Mike operated. I found that while Mike really did op, you know, he really did identify bots that I believe were bots. I think he did point out a number of them and got a number of them suspended. Unfortunately, his trigger finger was a bit uh, too itchy, and I think Mike reported a lot of non-bots as bots and sometimes also got them in trouble when they hadn't done anything wrong. That's just my opinion. I don't know for sure, but there was, there was somewhere I strongly, suspe- I strongly felt they were not bots and Mike got them removed and in some case their money was confiscated because he reported them as bots and somehow the poker site believed him because he just had some credibility to that. I don't feel he did this maliciously. I don't think that Mike was uh, was doing this just to screw people he didn't like, but but I think he was paranoid about bots to the point where some people were falsely identified as botters. So he had a long-running feud anyway with Larry, and he eventually came to believe she was botting. Again, even though he didn't personally like her, I think he, he really did believe she was botting and reported it to Full Tilt. Now, he didn't work for Full Tilt. He did not uh, have any power there. But at the same time, Full Tilt, they, they had a lot of operational uh, issues over there. Full Tilt was not always run that professionally. And I noticed that way before Black Friday. And I was, it didn't make me think something like Black Friday would happen. But I, I always had like a little like feeling that Full Tilt, uh, they weren't totally honest and on the level. So... Among other things, they tended to take Mike's reports about the bots too seriously and, and disabled a lot of accounts because of that. So he reported Larry as a botter, and sure enough, a short time later, Larry's account was disabled. Her boyfriend Greg's account was disabled, and they took all the money, which uh, I think combined was like $80,000. Um, at the time, I actually didn't like Larry. We had had some uh, issues online where she would uh, she would hit and run me. She would uh, tilt and chat, and then but then report me if if I would bash her in chat. She she did some things I didn't like, and we didn't get along. But I was on two plus two back when she got uh, kicked off full tilt, 
and showed up on 2 Plus 2 to try to ask for the community's help. And I read her story. And then I watched and saw Full Tilt responded. They sent a rep to respond there. And I said, you know what? I don't like her. But from my play against her over time, while I admit her beginnings are suspect, I don't think she's a bot. And one of the reasons I didn't think she was a bot is because I noticed she had a tilt problem. I noticed that she would tilt. Her play style would change when she was losing. And that's why I played her sometimes. So, bots don't do that. And uh, she was also always there to chat. Now, that doesn't mean she's not using a bot and chatting at the same time, but there's never a time when you can't get her to answer you in chat. So, definitely it's not playing by itself if it's a bot. And if even if she's using a bot to assist her, um, why is she tilting? Unless, I guess, she takes over the controls and the bot's losing. But So, I wasn't convinced 100% she wasn't using a bot, but Full Tilt's explanation as to why she was a bot didn't add up to me. They, they were not convincing at all in what they were claiming. And it wasn't just my opinion. At that point in the thread, this is like back in 2009, most people were on her side, even though they didn't know her. This all changed when someone brought up that she was multi-accounting. And someone brought up, uh, okay, uh, what about Grego, your other account? And uh, I, I, think, I think her initial post said something about she and somebody else were suspended, and someone said, oh yeah, I know those two, I've long suspected they're the same person. And then that got steam. And they kept asking her, okay, was Grego your second account? And she wouldn't answer. Oh, well, what about the botting thing? Look, you know, they're not giving a good reason. Well, is Grego your second account? Oh, come on, this is so bad here, what they're doing. Forget about the, the multi-accounting thing. You know, let's focus on this. Okay, was Grego your second account? And she, she, she would not answer that question. She would not answer that question. It was so obvious. Because if it was not her second account, this is a simple answer. No. Okay? She never said no. She never said anything resembling no. And I think the reason she didn't say no, the reason she didn't lie at that point, is because Full Tilt was in the thread responding. And if she said no, then Full Tilt could have made her look terrible by providing proof that they were the same person. Or the same person was behind both of them. So she, she just didn't want to answer. And at that point, the crowd turned on her. She lost the crowd real fast. So while everyone was, was bashing Full Tilt for not giving a good explanation for why they suspended her, or, not, or, or you know, banned her and took her money, uh, all of a sudden there was no more sympathy and everyone said, get the hell out of here, you, you, you scumbag multi-accounter cheater, we want nothing to do with you. So at that point, I got involved and I said, look, I agree the multi-accounting's wrong. If you want to say that Full Tilt should take her money because she multi-accounted, then I can understand that argument. However, that's not what they're saying. This is very disturbing if Full Tilt really closed down two accounts for suspected botting if they were not using any bots. Even if the victims are not sympathetic characters here, this is disturbing because this can happen to any of us. And I don't like the supposed technical explanation their expert gave us, which didn't make any sense. So I was going to bat for her on that 2 plus 2 thread. Again, still not really liking her personally. I just didn't like the way this was going. Well, this made her contact me. And she said, look, you know, I know we've had our problems in the past, but I'd like to talk to you. Here's my phone number. 
So I called her up and talked to her, and she basically told me that, uh, yes, she was multi-accounting, but uh, that has nothing to do with this, and that they never closed her account for multi-accounting, and that she never used a bot. She swore up and down to me she never used a bot. And then she said, I want to meet you in person and tell you some more things I don't want to say on the phone. So I actually arranged to meet her in person somewhere in the L.A. area. We went uh, to lunch somewhere. So you went to go meet the woman who never says no in person? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I met her, and uh, she, uh, so she, yeah, she looked, uh, she was very attractive for her age. She was like, I think, 48 at the time, 47, 48. And, I, and you know, now I'm 45. That's not much older than me. But back then, that was a good deal older than me. I still think, I think this is back in 09 still. So yeah, but being good looking for your age, I mean, that's kind of a backhanded compliment, well, right? I, I'm just saying that, um, like, like as far as like 47, 48 year olds go, she was, she was like one of the best looking ones I'd seen. <laughs> okay. Like, that's what I'm trying Fair to say. Enough. That's what I'm trying to say. Like I, like I found her to be attractive and I, like when I was 37, I didn't find very many 47 or 48 year olds attractive, like very few of them. And I, like I found her attractive. I didn't hit on her or anything, but I, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, she's like, I knew her age. I looked some things up about her. And and she looked very very good for forty seven forty eight. Looked young for that age, and 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 she was still pretty. Anyway, she doesn't say no, Drew. <laughs> I don't understand. So the disappointing thing was that she didn't tell me anything of real use when we met there. Just just a lot of stuff that didn't make a lot of sense, and claimed that Full Tilt was using bots also to make action go, but she couldn't really provide proof of that to me. She. Uh, she made a lot of accusations about them over there that seemed kind of unsubstantiated. So I, I didn't challenge all this. I like I tried to get her to give me proof, or but I, I wasn't like, hey, you're a liar. Hey, this just sounds like out in left field. But I, I did still leave, like, I still mostly believed that she didn't bot. And I asked her about her background, and she gave me some, I don't know, some story about family members taught her how to play, and she'd been playing since she was a little kid with her father and all this other crap. So I don't know. I left thinking there's something kind of odd about her and her whole story. And at the same time, the full tilt's explanation for her body made no sense. So I kind of believed that she probably wasn't using bots, but I wasn't 100% convinced. And she told me that, you know, she had a lawsuit going coming, which nobody else knew at this point. So... I guess they filed the lawsuit in in California court at the time, and you know you know how these lawsuits go. It takes years to go through. She sued Chris Ferguson, Howard Lederer, Phil Gordon, Andy Block, Phil Ivey, John Jawanda, Eric Lindgren, Eric Seidel, Mike Mattisal, Alan Cunningham, Gus Hansen, and Patrick Antonius. All of them were part owners of Full Tilt at the time, and. It got dismissed at some point, then it got filed in federal court, and just last month it got dismissed again. Uh, they are currently suing again, you know, in in, uh, in California court after it's been dismissed from federal court. They're suing for a good deal of money here. Right now, the lawsuit is for. One million dollars. Times 900. They're suing for 900 million dollars, would you believe? That's, that's the lawsuit currently being filed in California court. 
good luck with that. Yeah, so it's called a class action lawsuit, but it's only the, these two people, so it's, it's not even uh, what you typically associate with a class action lawsuit. It was filed in Los Angeles County on August 14th of this year. The attorney behind this whole thing is named Cyrus Sinai, and he has a lot of shady stuff following him and his brother, who's also an attorney. And they actually, his brother actually got disbarred from uh, Washington and uh, Oregon over uh, the two of them assisting their mother in a very, very difficult divorce case between uh their mom and dad <laughs> isn't that kind of strange that like they they've the kids are representing one parent against another but they, you may wonder what's wrong with that they they were told repeatedly by the courts they're not to get involved for various reasons and and they just were just they were just disregarding what the court ordered and, and just kept getting involved both of them so his brother frederick sonai actually got disbarred in washington and oregon over this and there's a number of other things that have happened over the years that uh, involves both uh, Cyrus and his brother Frederick Sinai. So these are not well-respected attorneys. These are just kind of like fringe attorneys who uh, break all the rules and not necessarily in a good way. So when you need someone who's willing to file like a really out-there case for a real out-there sum of money, those are your guys, I guess. So yeah, not not every attorney makes a big bucks. In fact, the majority don't. Yeah, that's 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 true. That's why, like, when you see an attorney that's taking all these crap traffic cases, like I can I can get your traffic ticket uh, brought down to a parking violation for uh, for fifty dollars. That's an, that's not an attorney making the big bucks. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the the federal case. Uh, was dismissed, the presiding judge, George Wu, they actually uh, filed papers to have him alter his own judgment that he previously made in the case. (laughs) That doesn't sound like a smart tactic. A a judge rules against you. A judge rules to dismiss the case, and then you file to have him overrule his own ruling. How often is that going to happen? How often is that going to work? So uh, this is this is what uh, George Wu wrote last month. In the end, the court still finds that the Third Amendment complaint is deficient for the reasons stated in its July 6th tentative ruling in its early de- earlier decisions. Specifically, the court is unpersuaded that moving defendants directly and pro- approximately caused plaintiffs' injuries through rate collection underlying the allegedly illegal gambling business based on factual allegations in the Third Amendment complaint. Uh, amended complaint. The Injuries directly and proximately linked to any illegal gambling business were criminally prosecuted, successfully so, and were the subjects of civil forfeiture actor action in, in alternate forums. And even there, the civil RICO claims were dismissed for lack of direct and proximate causation. So, so he's basically saying here that th- their whole case doesn't really make very much sense and that there was a much better case, very similar to this, in the uh, in the, the criminal action that took place involving Full Tilt having to do with Black Friday – and even there, that part was dismissed. So if the much better version of this case that the government brought uh, could not get their RICO claims honored, that there's no way that these two private defendants will ever manage it. That, that's basically what he's saying. That the, we, this has already been done. 
And not only does he disagree with it, but that it already this was already tried in a different way in a case that was much better for the plaintiffs and still failed. So that, that's what he wrote. Uh, in, in response, then uh, Cyrus and I filed the, the motion asking Wu to then vacate his own order. And then also to order new briefings and new oral arguments. And uh, there's been over 220 filings in this federal case since 2010. Most of them were, mo- were motions, joinders, and uh, memoranda that Sinai fi- filed. So, I mean, this is wasting a lot of time in the court o- over nothing. This all stemmed from the money that was confiscated. I guess it was 120k. I remember it was 80, but it's supposedly it's 120,000 that was uh, confiscated from from Larry Kennedy and ten dollars from Greg Amatoy, who's part of this case for the for the whopping ten dollars he lost. I I had remembered it was like I had remembered there was five figures in both cases confiscated. I don't know. Maybe she's claiming most of that was her money and ten dollars was Greg Amatoy's. That doesn't really matter. So how 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 one hundred twenty k becomes nine hundred million? I don't know, but they seem to think that. So it's grown into this ridiculous case that was dismissed in state court, then dismissed in federal court, now back in state court with essentially the identical refiling. I'm surprised this attorney's even continuing with this. I mean, wouldn't, even if these guys are shady, wouldn't they realize at some point that their goose is cooked and they got to give up? Like what? Why? Why even waste their own time with this? I don't imagine that Larry Kennedy's uh, paying them per hour on this. I have to think this is a contingency thing. Maybe they're just—they've spent so much time on this already. They just don't want to give up. So this this whole mess is moving back and forth between the court systems, and it's it's almost certain that this is going to uh, be dismissed again, and that'll be that. But yeah, eight years this has been going on. I don't think they're going to see a penny. No. No, I can't ever imagine this. That the, it gets dismissed, it gets refiled. The federal it gets dismissed, or we're back to state court with almost the exact same case. So, kind of weird, but that's happening. If you read about this full tilt loss, quote class action lawsuit, it's it's not what you think. It's this. It's this weirdness. Kyle Cartwright is a professional poker player. He is played a number of tournaments. He's cashed over $1.6 million. I don't know if he's a winner or loser overall in tournaments. doesn't really matter. But he's been tweeting his successes in video poker. And he has sent out three different tweets since June. So this is in the last two months. That have shown him hitting $100,000 royals. The first tweet was back on June 15th, probably referring to not uh, doing as well in the World Series. He puts a consolation prize, let's fucking go, and then it's a picture of a royal flush at $25 a credit video poker. He was playing 9-6 jacks or better, and he had a heart royal flush. It says jackpot $100,000. July 11th, four weeks later. Holy fucking shit, you guys. Once again, this, it's, this is fucking real. Let's go. He loves to write, let's go. 
By the way, if you want to see his Twitter, it's uh, twitter.com slash D-A underscore K-Y-K-Y. Da Kai Kai, you know, like Kyle. Da Kai Kai, D A underscore K Y K Y on Twitter. So on July 11th, he tweeted another one. Again, all hearts. Again, $100,000. Again, it was at 9 6 jacks or better. Doesn't say where he was playing. August 19th, about five weeks later, just four days ago, he hits another one. This one is at. 9-5 jacks are better, which doesn't sound like it's much different, but it's actually a much worse game than 9-6 jacks are better. But he was playing that again at $25 a credit and hit another heart royal flush for $100,000. That's 300k jackpots in just a tiny bit over two months. So you see things like this, and you think to yourself, you know, when I play video poker, this never happens for me, and the few times I'll step up in stakes, I just get clobbered, and how come I can't ever run like this, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what most people think when they see this. Even if you want to say, okay, this guy obviously has a gambling problem, you can't beat negative expectation casino games, eventually the odds are going to catch up and he's going to lose, you still can feel a little jealous for the moment that he's just running so well, that he takes some shots at, $25 a credit video poker and hits not one, not two, but three Royals in two months. Mike Matisau actually tried to point out that this is not going to last. He tweeted out on August 19th, this guy doesn't know it, but he's dead broke within five years. Worst thing ever is to win a jackpot like this. And then Kyle Cartwright did not like that the sass mouth from, from the mouth. Mike Matisau. That's the voice of experience talking. Yeah, he, he said, uh, Mike, how's your money situation going these days? <laughs> so, Mike said back, I don't even know you. I was giving you good advice. Take it how you take it. So, well, let's talk, you know, obviously, we're not, you know, yes, if the guy has a negative EV gambling issue, this good run's not going to last and he'll go broke. That, that's, Without question, we don't have to even discuss that here. But how lucky has he really been? Well, first of all, the important thing to know is he's playing $25 per credit video poker. And that's not $25 per hand. Because, unless you're an idiot, when you play video poker, you always want to play max credits, or otherwise you get royally screwed when you get the royal. So you literally get royally screwed. And that's because the Royal Flush pays you much, much less unless you're playing five credits. For example, in a Jacks or Better game, if you play one credit, you get 250 credits for hitting a Royal, two credits, 500, three credits, 750, four credits, 1,000. So it's proportional up till there. But then five credits, 4,000, instead of the 1,250 you'd expect. So you're getting more than three times better pay on the Royal by playing that fifth credit. Three times meaning better than what you'd have expected uh, compared to uh, one, two, three, or four credits. So instead of getting 250 credits per coin you're playing or per uh, you know, whatever the credit is worth, you're getting, a, you're getting 800 times. There's a huge difference. So unless you're a moron, you always play five credits on video poker. And if you think you can't afford that, then you just step down in limits. 
So let's say you want to play $25 a hand, then you would play $5 video poker, not $25 video poker. If you want to play $5 a hand, you play $1 video poker, and so on. So that's very basic. Any the, the recreational video poker players all know this. So he was playing 25 per credit, and that really can eat you up fast if you're not running well. Even $5 can you can eat you up fairly fast. But 25 per credit is 125 per hand. Now you may think, okay, 125 per hand, that's, that's a good deal of money, but it's, it's not terrible. I, I wouldn't consider that really high stakes, you may say to yourself. Well, the thing is, it's not like playing 125 per hand in blackjack. Why? Because blackjack is a slow game. Blackjack, you put out the 125, it takes a while to deal the cards, it takes a while for them to deal other people, it takes a while to... To, to collect the cards and put them back in and shuffle. And, you know, blackjack is not a fast game. Video poker is an extremely fast game because it's all video. So an experienced video poker player will typically play around 500 hands per hour. Some people can do it faster than that. And some people are slower. But on average, I'd say the experienced video poker player, that is anybody who's played it a lot and just basically knows the strategy and can run through most hands without even thinking... They can play about 500 hands per hour. So if you get out a calculator here, 500 hands per hour times 125 uh, per hand is $62,500 wagered per hour. Which you may say, okay, that's wagered though, but he, you know, obviously he's not losing it. There's no way you'd lose all 500 hands. So what's the return on the game? Well, ignoring that crappy 9-5 game he was playing, the 9-6 jacks are better is actually a fairly good returning game. And that if, if you play perfectly, which is very hard to do because you can make some small mistakes, you can make misclicks, you can not play 100% perfect strategy. But even saying you play 100% perfect strategy, the theoretical return of the game is 99.54%. So 99.54% of 62,500 uh, is... You're, not losing very much per hour. Even at that high limit, you're only expected to lose about uh, 2800 per hour. But still, still, or not 20, sorry, not 20, much less than that. I, I miscalculated wrong. Uh, put this through the calculator here. Yeah, $287 is what I meant to say. That sounded wrong as soon as I said it. So you say, okay, $287 per hour. Yeah, $100,000 jackpot. That would take forever to lose back $287 every hour of play. So this would seem to support that he's kicking ass. However, he's showing you the royals he hit. I don't think there were any 100K royals he did not tweet out, since that's just what the guy does. So one thing people don't realize about video poker is that if you're not hitting a royal, which you usually will hit about once out of every 40,000 hands on average, if you're not hitting a royal, then your payout is about 2% less of what the theoretical payout is. So for all the hands you don't hit a royal, you're going to average about 2% less than what the game's return is. So for all the hands he doesn't play that hit a royal, that don't hit a royal, Sorry, all the hands he plays that do not hit a royal. His actual return on those, if he's playing perfectly and running average, would be at 97.54%. 
So that changes it to where he would be losing about $1,500 an hour for the time that uh, he's not hitting the Royal. And that's a big difference. And that's if he's playing perfectly. Now, you may say, okay, $1,500 an hour, that's not that much. But these are about a month apart, these Royals. How many hours is he playing of video poker? Do you think these are his only video poker sessions? Do you think these are the only three video poker sessions he's had this summer? And every time he happens to hit that Royal? No. There are probably yeah, probably sitting there like uh, the gerbil going getting the sugar pellets, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so when they did those experiments where every time the the gerbil pressed the little button, they got a sugar pellet. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah so this guy's probably sitting there just whacking it like those guys were. Yeah. So the truth is, if he plays sixty five hours at this rate with no royals, there goes hundred k. He will lose hundred k if his luck is totally average, other than getting no royals. If it's totally average on everything else, and he plays perfectly, he would lose 100K in 65 hours at those limits. Now, you may say, well, 65 hours, that's a lot of hours. I mean, that's, that, that would be playing almost three days with doing nothing else, including sleeping or eating. Yes, but we're talking about a period of over two months. It is not that hard to play 65 hours of video poker if you play a lot of video poker. I played about... Uh, about 50 hours or so of video poker when I went to Lake Tahoe in January. So, as you can imagine, 65 hours, and this is just one trip. It was a long trip, but it was one trip I had that was about uh, 10 days long in Lake Tahoe, and I played 50 hours. And I wasn't sitting there all day and all night playing. I played about five hours a day. So it is not that hard in a period of over two months if you're routinely going to casinos to play 65 hours. In fact, let's say he goes to the casino uh, three days a week over a a period which looks like about 10 weeks here. That's uh, 30 days of play. That's only a little bit more than two hours each session, which is nothing. That is to, to lose 100K back right there. Now, do I think he's up in this time frame? Yes. Unless he's just sitting there all day and all night, then yes, this these three 100K royals he hit are more than what he has lost back when he's not hitting them. I believe that. However, he probably lost back a lot more than you think just from all the play he did when he was not hitting these Royals. Also, he's playing a 9-5 game in one of these. The first two is 9-6, the last one is 9-5. The 9-5, I think you lose like another 1.4% or something like that. I haven't looked it up in a while, but it's substantially worse. Substantially worse. So, the fact that he's even doing this, the fact that he's playing $25 a credit video poker at a 9-5 machine, shows that he's not the second coming of Alan Kessler who has some kind of secret angle that he plays these games but gets so much back in comps and free play and stuff that he's, uh, he's still coming out ahead. He's not Alan Kessler. He's not Bob Dancer. This is someone who's just a degenerate. And if he, if he was not a degenerate, he would not be playing this 9-5 machine. That, the the 9-5 machine right there is proof. Now, could he be playing worse machines? Yes. In fact, the first two, I was impressed he was even playing 9-6 jacks or better, because a lot of degenerates like to play things like double-double bonus poker with terrible pay tables at uh, you know 98% return, and they get clobbered. 
Yeah, but this, this is not a Druff-approved game, is what you're saying. Right, right. So what I'm saying here is I think this guy is playing a good deal, and that 25 a credit, you can lose money very, very fast if you're not hitting Royals. And that, that, that five-year thing that Mattisau said, forget five years. I'm, I'm wondering if in five months he will even have that 300 k that he got from these three Royals. In fact, I bet a lot of it is already gone from the point he was not getting Royals. So reason I'm mentioning this is something poker players love to do is tweet out pictures of video poker where they hit Royals. And it's easy to look at that and go, oh, why doesn't this happen for me? Okay, you know, next time I bust a tournament, I'm going to go sit down and play some video poker. Maybe I'll get my buy-in back. Maybe I'll make $100,000. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. These are negative expectation games. Unless you have a reason why you are playing video poker, such as uh, you've determined mathematically that uh, between that and the free play and the promotions, whatever, it's, it's positive expectation, or you're, you're, you're going towards some kind of status at the casino that you really need for some particular reason, and uh, you know, so for that you're willing to take the negative expectation and uh, you're going to get it back on the back end from the benefits you get from it, whatever. If you have a real purpose to it, then yes, provided you know what you're doing. And make sure you always play the best pay tables and make sure you understand the odds of all the games and make sure you're playing perfect strategy. And if you don't know what perfect strategy is, you go to wizardofodds.com and find, not Wizard of Oz, wizardofoddsodds.com and find the perfect strategy list, which is not even hard to follow. It's not like like regular poker where it takes a lot of practice. Video poker, uh, you don't have to be very good to play very close to perfect strategy just by following along with... uh, what wizardofodds.com tells you what to do. But if you don't do that stuff and you just play, you are going to lose your money. And even those that get lucky, like Kyle Cartwright there, will lose their money. So don't be too jealous when you see things like that because there's a lot more to the story. And always be careful with theoretical returns in video poker because I understand there's a lot of variance and if you're not hitting Royals, it'll eat you up pretty fast because of the minus 2% return right there whenever you're not hitting Royals. So I just wanted to mention that. I saw that those tweets and thought it was something worth pointing out. Something else worth pointing out is the fact that there are more allegations now against Leon Sukernik involving alleged high-stakes poker loan welching. Now the World yeah, Series. This of- is the one I, I read the agenda. Yeah. Anyway, I was looking down. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, oh, this is the one I want to be here for. Okay. So well, I'm glad. I okay. want to hear this one. I glad- like. I like hearing the dirt on this guy. Yeah. So this hey, guy, we got we got Traderuski for this. I think he's going to want to hear this one too. Uh, he's welcome to call in. I don't. Uh, I, I haven't heard from him tonight, but he's welcome. To- Let me see if he texted me at all. Let me see if he texted me at all. He texted me on the the ultra secret uh, regular phone number. No, he didn't text me. Well, Trader Risk, if you're listening, you're welcome to call in for this. But a lot of you probably heard on one of our previous shows, or maybe you read some poker news about this, where Leon Sukernik, who is the owner of King's Casino, which has an association with the World Series of Poker. In fact, the high limit area of the World Series of Poker cash games was called the King's Casino Lounge, or the King's Lounge. And they have a partnership with WSOP Europe. They're they're really now intertwined somewhat. And I've wondered if the World Series is going to have to address this at some point. Because 
First in June, right during the World Series, it came out that Leon Sukernik was being sued by a player known as Aussie Matt, who actually got David Chesnoff, the uh, superstar attorney in Las Vegas, to sue Sukernik for pulling a trick, which happens more often than you think in poker, where someone is playing someone else heads up, the worst of the two players runs out of money and asks for a loan from the guy he's playing. So he literally is playing to try to... He, he's The guy who's uh, the better player, the, the one who's winning at the moment, is actually trying to win his own money. He's yeah, actually, I mean, this kind of behavior is kind of like... <laughs> I mean, I definitely think he still owes the money, but it's kind of like the guys at the bar that keep on feeding drinks to the girl. Yeah. You know, hoping hoping she gets drunk. You know, yeah, or 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 the bar that that lets the guy open up a tab who's broke and is never going to pay. Or that, him. yeah, say yeah. that's a that's <laughs> a even better analogy. Or or not even a guy who's broke, a guy who's already shit faced to begin with. Yeah, you know what I mean. So so this so they this Aussie Matt allowed Leon Sukernik to quote borrow two million as they were playing heads up, and then Aussie Matt won that, and then uh, Leon wouldn't pay him. That's that's the basic. Cliff notes, the super short cliff notes of that story. And we've, we covered it back in June. And it seemed from everything I was reading that uh, it was true. We'll have to wait till it uh, goes through the court system, but from everything I could see, it seemed to be true. In fact, you can see the paperwork. I actually have the court papers posted, which are, by the way, it's nothing secret. These are public record, so nothing illegal about posting these court papers, but you can find them on Poker Fraud Alert, Scam Scandals, and Shadiness Forum under the thread, King's Casino Owner Allegedly Rips Off High Stakes Player. Just scroll down a bit and you will see the court papers for that. But that's, that's a story from back in June. So I don't want This read- guy doesn't sound like the kind of guy that uh, you should be buying any Bitcoin from, Drew. No, no, that's... Uh, well, no, I... <laughs> Actually, he is. You know, if if he wants to, if he sends me the Bitcoin first, that's fine because he can't undo that. So if he if he sends me the Bitcoin first and I receive it, then no matter how shady he is, he can't screw me. Then he has to count on me to pay him. Now, I guess I could screw him and pay Aussie Matt instead. <laughs> I'm just forwarding the money. I'm forwarding it to who you owe. But uh, your wages have been garnished. Yes, but anyway, th- this this lawsuit was was filed, and I, I guess what happened was that. Uh, Aussie Matt only got paid back one million of the three million million borrowed. It wasn't two million borrowed. It was, it was three borrowed, and then one was paid back. So, I don't think much has happened with that. But from reading everything that I've read in this lawsuit and from the story about this, I, I believe Aussie Matt, and I believe Leon really uh, did this. And there was also rumors that started to go around that he's done this before, and that he does not have. The greatest reputation. No, he doesn't in, the, in in the poker world, and it's kind of funny in in a way that uh, all these guys are still willing to play with him. I mean, he must be just a monster whale. Yeah, and then th- there was also a claim that uh, ten months ago, or ten months, I guess now a year ago, that uh, in August two thousand sixteen, that he refused to pay back a three million dollar loss at Casino Barcelona because he felt he was being cheated, and. Uh, so this is very similar, and this is a poker loss I'm talking about, not a casino loss. So that uh, apparently that's what he does is when he loses. Apparently, what he claims is, "Oh, I think I was being cheated in some way," 
and now I'm not paying you. Of course, if he wins, then, then he, expects to, you know, he expects to keep the money. If he loses, okay, there's no way I could have lost this badly. I had to be cheated. It's a good way to play poker. It's why uh, you pretty much never lose. You either just don't pay or you win. And you don't pay because how could you lose? How could you lose? You're such a good player. There's, there's no way you could lose if, unless you're being cheated. So that's uh, there was also some controversy involving him in June at uh, a high stakes tournament, and I believe it was the Aria, where Justin Bonomo and others did not want to show their whole cards to the cameras because they believed that uh, the way he was playing, he was at the final table, that uh, that he was somehow able to see their cards. So the funny thing is that the guy who always accuses others of cheating and won't pay them. Uh, was being accused of being a cheater himself, and they, and they were afraid to show their whole cards. They were afraid that he had someone there who was feeding him something, and they they were playing for such high stakes at this uh, high roller event that Justin Bonomo and a few others said, you know, at the final table, we're just not showing our whole cards to the camera. We don't care if we agree to do it. This is for too much money. We're we're too suspicious. So, and I I don't blame them if they really were getting this idea, and a few of them were getting this idea. It uh, at that point. Helping out the broadcast kind of goes out the window. So, and, and not just your personal concerns, right? A lot of these guys they had investors that took pieces of them. They've right. got a responsibility to them too. Right, right. So, you know, uh, so that that happened too. And, and Sukernik made some comments, which we've played on here before, where he was bashing Bonomo, saying he's a scandal person. Is what he said right. <laughs> about Bonomo. But so going back to the present, there are some new allegations that are, of course, very similar. Regarding Leon Sukernik doing this at other points. And this appeared on uh, CalvinAir.com. And it was written by a guy named Lee Davey, who's a frequent writer on CalvinAir.com. This was an article published eight days ago entitled Winning and Losing Millions Playing Poker with Elton Sang, Part 2. So, Part 2 has the part about Sukernik. This is what is said. Uh, These are the words from Elton Sang. It was in August at EPT Barcelona. I wasn't planning to go. Then I realized my friends Richard Young, Winfred Winfred Yu, and John Juanda were going, so I decided to go over, maybe play a tournament. It's a beautiful place. I had no no intention of playing a cash game. The next thing I know, Leon Sukernik was hosting a cash game. Richard introduced me to him. I had never met him before. I don't know him. I, he was hosting the game and asked Richard if my credit was good, and Richard said it was. So, so basically, he was playing a cash game and being loaned money to play. You know, Elliot Sang was being oh, Elton Sang. Not Elliot Sang. Elton Sang was being loaned money, or he was playing on credit there. And and uh, this guy Richard told Leon that it's okay that. Elton has good credit, and he'll pay if he loses. So he joined the game. Uh, the first game was 1, 1K, 2K Euro, with a mandatory straddle to 4K Euro. I, along with other players, bought in for 400,000 Euro. Now, if you remember, this is about, I think it was August 2016. So the Euro was, it's more than a dollar, but not like way more. It's probably like a dollar ten at that point or something. So... Yeah, four hundred euro, four hundred k. Trivia draft. Do you know what it was introduced at? Uh, like when it was first introduced. Do you know what the euro was uh, pegged to? Was it like dollar twenty five or so? One eighteen. Hmm. I mean, well, I think that's about where it is now. I mean, there have hmm. been some big fluctuations over time, but I think it's almost exactly where it was huh. when it was introduced. Interesting. Yeah. 
So yeah, I'm just guessing it in, in August 2016, maybe 400 euro was worth 450 euro, but doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. Uh, so he says, uh, Richard Young, Winfred Yu, Peter Chan, Lian Sukernik, Tony G, Tony Guaga, Fedor Hulse, Daniel Cates, known as Jungle Man, and I played in that first game. I was down over 1 million rather quickly and took as much as 2 million in chips as and was down over 1.4 million at one point. That's just if unless someone's backing you, that's just brutal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unless you're just super rich, that's just brutal to be down 1.4 million in a session. It turned around when we increased the blinds to 2,000, 4,000, 8,000, and then eventually 5,000, 10,000. Players sat out one by one, leaving me to play with Tony G, Jungle Man, and Leon. Near the end of the session, I was up 2.8 million, where I had all the chips on the table. Leon, Leon asked me to play him heads up at 10k, 20k, that's euro still, where he would buy in for 1 million, 1 million more. I said okay, and ended up losing 1.4 million back to him. I ended the day up 1.32 million. During the Not game, a bad day at the office. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it sucks to lose half of it at the end, but yeah, it still finished one point yeah, two million. A little million stressful, yeah. but you win uh, over a milli in a day. That's not bad. Yeah, one point thirty two euro, one point three two million euro up in one day is not bad. I agree. Yeah. So, during the game, Leon would write down on a piece of paper all the players' scores, specifically how much chips each player took and returned, and their net winning or lost. He also counted the chips while he distributed it out and collected it back. He would then announce to each player and get confirmation. These chips look like regular casino chips with a said denomination on it. However, I suspect that these chips have no cash value and is borrowed to Leon by the casino, although I cannot be sure. Since, since nor me nor any of my friends that have played bought any cash to the casino, I would have to assume that this is a credit game where credits are given by Leon and hence everybody settles their winnings or losses with Leon. So he's just basically saying that uh, he's not even sure if the chips had any kind of real value. Like if he just ran off with the chips, you may not be able to cash them. He's not sure about this, but he's saying that it's understood there that Leon's pretty much the one running the game and that you buy in and cash out through him. So the next day, I received messages from Peter that Leon has asked me to go play in the poker game. I went down to the casino immediately. When I arrived, Leon and Peter were playing along with Philip Grusium and Igor Kurganov. They were playing 2K4K when I arrived. Shortly after I arrived, Peter left and the blinds of the game increased to 2,000, 4,000, 8,000. Once again, I took a total of two million in chips and lost around one point four million at one point. That seems to be the, the story with him. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to win a flip against Igor and doubled that back up to one point three million. Leon stood up for a while, and I ended up playing Philip and Igor three-handed until ten a.m. This doesn't sound like a good game. No, <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough to only lose one thir- hundred thirty thousand euros that day. So, despite that bad start, again he came back. This time he only, only lost one hundred thirty thousand. So he's still up, probably about one point two million euros here despite all the stress. On the same day I had been awake since 4 a.m., Leon messaged me to start the game around 5 p.m. I arrived at 6 p.m., and we finally started the game playing four-handed. This time it was Daniel Cates, Leon Sukernik, and Christoph Vogelsong. The blinds were 5K, 10K, and we all bought in for 1 million euros. We played for about three hours, but Leon and I played the three biggest pots. In the first hand, I had 7-7. Now listen to this hand. This, this is the <laughs> This is crazy. If you think about the money involved, this is crazy. I had 7-7 and raised to 25k pre-flop under the gun. Gets folded back to Leon, who in the big blind made it 75k. I called, and the flop comes 8-4-3 rainbow. This is what's annoying, you know, in no limit hold when you have a pocket pair like sevens. Think of all this money that's being thrown back and forth here, okay? You've got sevens. The sevens didn't hit the flop, but the flop is all low with one overcard. 
So now you've got it's not to dis- the worst flop in the world. Yeah, it's not. But the thing is, you've got to like commit so much money defending these sevens at this point, where it's just sevens unassisted, which is kind of yeah. Imagine how stressful. Oh that yeah. Would be. I mean, uh, how much heat can you handle? Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's a lot to fade now with a seven. So Leon bet two hundred thousand. Again, this is euros, even more than dollars. And I called. The term was a jack, and he checked. I checked behind, giving a free card of a nine on the river. So now the board is eight four three jack nine. Now Leon, with a stack of over 600K behind, goes all in. The hand didn't make much sense to me, so I called with my pocket sevens. Leon called out ace high. I took down the first major all-in pot, and Leon reloaded for another million. Oh, my God. Can you imagine how much money he won with sevens unassisted? Can you imagine? And and, and not all-in pre-flop? one of those hands where, you know, then... uh... Wait, did he shove all in on the river? Yes. Oh, okay. Never mind. Leon shoved in. Leon shoved in. Yeah, yeah, okay. But he had Never to call. Mind. Yeah. I remember I did this once in commerce in a tournament, and I was all proud of myself, where, uh, like, some guy just went. In fact, that was the tournament I won there. It's the only tournament I've actually won at commerce. It was a no-limit tournament. I won it partially thanks to, like, the, the time I started to really take off was when this guy shoved all in. And I had like pocket fives unassisted or something, and I just had a feeling he had ace king. I just, it's just the way the whole thing went down, looked like ace king. So I called, and he had ace king, and this massive pot goes to me, and people did couldn't you, believe did it. Tilt him and say, "I put you on ace king." <laughs> so, so that the was standard I, fish thing. Yeah, I, I put you on ace king, man. Yeah, I was I was so proud of myself there. That I made that call, but uh, it was a lot easier. That was like a few hundred dollar commerce tournament. It wasn't uh, for. And if it was for a million dollars, what then? No, I was going to let it. I was going to let it five down. Really? So, so uh, anyway, uh, a few rounds later, Leon decided to move seats and sat on the left of Daniel and the right of Christoph. Another big hand this time. Leon raises the button to fifty k. I call with pocket nines. The flop comes seven three three. I check called a seven a one fifty k bet on the flop. The term came in eight. I checked again. This time Leon go, Leon goes all in for eight hundred k. A massive overbet. That's also stressful, you know. <laughs> just uh, seven, three, three, eight. You got nines. You've got to call. You've already called off two hundred k prior to this. So you, you're going to be putting in a million euro with nines unassisted on the low board. Yeah. So I called him again. The <laughs> nine. The nine came on the river. Leon looked like he was bluffing again, as he was shy to show his cards at showdown. But I quickly showed him my pocket nines, didn't want to slow roll of him in a big pot. I was awarded my second big pot of the day. So Leon was kind of like, he didn't want to quickly turn it over, so he thinks his nines were good anyway, even though he hit the right, hit, right. Hit, hit the boat on the the top set full on the river. But he just decided to keep Leon happy instead of waiting for him, just showed it. Leon reloaded for another million and started getting some momentum back in the next few rounds. God damn. He won back 500K and now had over 1.5 million in front of him. I was still the chip leader as the other two t- players barely got involved in any big pot. The last big hand encountered when Leon raised on the button to 50K and Kristoff in the small blind called. I picked up pocket aces in the big blind and made a 200K total. Both players called to see a flop of 10-9-3. I let out with 400K. Leon called while Kristoff folded. So it's again him and uh, Elton and Leon again. The term came a very safe two, and I went all in. Leon called his remaining stack of 900K and showed ace nine for middle pair. The river did not help him, and he lost a total of 3 million euros. 
He reloaded for another 2 million euros and didn't play long before his wife arrived. This is round nine. Basically, full tilt money, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. This was around 9.30 p.m. The results of the game were I won 3.375 million. Uh, I counted it while Daniel also counted it for me. Daniel, that's Daniel Cates, lost 200K. Christoph lost 65K. And the big loser, Leon, lost 3.11 million. So oh, basically, shocker. So shortly after his wife arrived, Leon left the table and said he'd back shor- be back shortly. The game paused after Leon left. Chris and I had a meal on the no. table. Yeah, no, 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 no. I know you're. They sh- paused the game when he left. Yeah, I know. You're sh- <laughs> shocking, Chris. They had oh. a, they had a meal on the table. It's, it's funny how they always just choose to eat or smoke or go to the bathroom when the fish uh, leaves. Yeah, that's, that's just a shocker. Chris and I had a meal on the table while we waited for Leon to return. After the meal, we waited longer for Leon, but he still hadn't come back. At, at About half an hour later at 10 p.m., I counted my chips and eyeballed the other player's chips before I went out for a walk outside the casino to talk to some friends. To be honest, I was worried at some point as to whether I would get paid as the amount Leon had lost became very substantial. I had a long chat, but haven't stayed in the casino to wait for Leon. At around 10.30 p.m., this is about an hour later, uh, according to Daniel Cates and Richard Yang, who was, or Richard Young, who was at the poker room at that time, Leon finally came back and asked Richard, Daniel, and Christoph why the game stopped. Richard said, I don't know, while I'm not sure what the others told him. Leon then quickly picked up the chips and left. Then on August 27th, 2016, Leon messaged me and asked for a short meeting. I went down to the hotel coffee shop to meet him. During the meeting, he proposed to settle my winnings for the first two games only and wishes to cancel the last game. I asked him why, and no reasons were given. He only stated that this is a proposal he's giving. On the same day, six hours later, I asked him to meet again, and we met at the same coffee shop. I explained to him it's not just possible to forget the last game we played, and it's only right if he pays in full. I explained that I won the money fair and square, and there isn't any reason to cancel the results of the last game. He later gave a reason, saying that he thinks the game was strange and not fair. He explained further and said it was not possible for me to call him when he was bluffing and folded when he had the best hand. I simply didn't have a good enough hand to call him with, I explained. Uh, he, he, was acting like gentle, he, was, he was acting like gentlemen through the, through the meeting. He wasn't angry or aggressive. He was speaking like it was a business deal. He kept saying, do you want your $1.2 million or not? At the end of our second meeting, he said there are no disputes over the first two sessions would settle the $1.19 million I won on Monday. I was lost. I was thinking about all the things I can do. I would ask all my friends and the people in the game what I should do. Most people say, give him some time and let him think about it. Then for the next two weeks, so Leon ignores all my messages and he just doesn't want to talk to me. I was furious. It's worse than when the guy completely ignores It's worse when the guy completely ignores you. He, he just said, I'm not going to pay you. I know he just took massive pieces of Ju- Juggle Man and Kristoff, over 90%, so it was me against those three. I also know what he was doing. He, he was doing similar things with Igor Phillip and some of the other Western pros. So he he's basically saying that uh, not only you know what's really frustrating to him is the other guys he was playing were backed by Leon too. He thinks of like like ninety percent of them. So it, it was really you know, he was he's claiming he was the like when he was playing those guys it was it was basically him and uh, against all of Leon's money. Eventually, after months and a lot of convincing, he paid the one point two million. In those first three games, I was sure he was a winner. If he didn't pay me that $1.2 million, that means he collected all the money from the other players and my winnings and didn't pay me. 
he always wanted to use the 1.2 million for leverage. So what he's saying here is in the first two games, Leon won overall. So even if he pays out that 1.2, he still comes out ahead in those games. And it also would look terrible that he won and he's refusing to pay the one guy who beat him. So he's canceling the third game where he lost to everybody over three million. So, uh, or you know, where he lost another two, another two million. So the, the thing is here, he, he, he wants the third game out where he was the big loser. So this way he comes out ahead overall. That's why he was offering to pay anything. It was like saying, I'm going to settle, but I will give you some, not the full amount. He was negotiating with me. He's the owner of a casino. He knows the gambling laws very well. He knows gambling debts are not enforceable in Europe. After a few weeks, Eddie Scharf contacts me to negotiate on his behalf. He, he told me to take the $1.2 million because gambling debts are not enforceable in Europe, and I'm lucky he's offering me $1.2 million. Quick side note here. Eddie Scharf, he made a final table of the World Series in 2005. Hmm. Eddie Scharf was betting the whole way. It was actually a ten-handed final table. So he was betting the whole way with the best hand. A flush card hit the river. He bet and got raised. was very, very frustrated. Made the crying call and was shown the nut flush. He was almost down to nothing and then busted the next hand against that same person. Eddie Scharf actually had someone, even though this is not a televised table, he had someone recording that final table, but very little of it got recorded because Eddie Scharf was the first one out. The one who busted him... And the one who won that event was none other than Todd Dandruff would tell us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Knew you were going to tie that in somehow. <laughs> that, that's the only time I've ever played with Eddie Scharf. I, I'd heard of him before. That's the only time I've ever played with him. He was very frustrated, by the way, when I hit that flush on him. In Limit Hold'em, it's a no-brainer. In Limit Hold'em, you flop a, a, a flush draw. You, you never fold it heads up. Absolutely never. You always have to call that down no matter what. So, I did. Anyway, uh, I contacted some lawyers, and to be honest, they told me the same thing. Gambling debts aren't enforceable. The game he, that he hosted is not even legal, even though we were inside the casino. It was a credit game, so I can't sue him for it. Eventually, Tony G stepped in as the middleman. Same result. Tony G sounded like he was on my side. I played with him before. He's, he said, I know you didn't cheat. Leon will eventually realize he's made a mistake, but it's probably in your best, best interest to take the $1.2 million and let the, stuff, let the rest go. Months have gone by and I can't sleep. It's bothering me day and night. I often think about it and it would rather and would have tears in my eyes. The sadness how this guy treated me like this. I gave him action. I was losing two million euro at one point, and I was sure I I would have lost if I lost I would have had to pay. Then I win. He gives me no reason why he won't pay me. Philip Grissom was the only guy to tell him to pay. Leon was like, "Whose side are you on? Why are you trying to help these Chinese guys?" Philip took a big hit after that. A lot of these German players made their money through Leon, and they didn't want to piss him off. Leon banned Philip from the games. Winfred stuck up for me, and Leon told him it was none of his business. For the next couple of months, my emotions and mind were focused on nothing but this issue. It was a shit time in my life. Depressed, saddened, it was one of the worst times of my life. When my friend lost money to me and needed time to pay back, I'd be okay with that. But this is different. He's just not paying me. I had no options at that time. I spoke to Phil Ivey and asked him what he would do. He said, take the $1.2 million and ask for the rest later. I took the $1.2 million. After that, Leon would send me texts asking me if I wanted to play in the game. <laughs> yeah, well, of course not. Of course. Nice. You want to play in the game? If I beat you, I keep the money. If you beat me, you don't. Want to come play? He would invite me to the casino, wanting me to shake hands and have a photo. He was contacting me as if nothing had happened. Then the Matt Kirk thing happened. Matt Kirk was Aussie Matt we were talking about earlier. 
I thought about speaking up to the media before, but I was too busy with my life. When the Matt Kirk thing happened, I knew it was time to speak up because it wasn't the first time he'd done it. To be honest, I'm not expecting him to pay me back. I think he's stubborn and strong in that sense. He told me he doesn't care if I tell the public. I, I believe he does. I think he wants the fame, to be cool, to be in the media. I've heard from others that he's done this to other people. I'm afraid of what he will do back to me next as well, right? So that's... Uh, that is what uh, Elton Sang had to say. So... That was the story that was going around when this story broke back in uh, June about Aussie Matt. About the this rumor about uh, certain people involved in the game who... Uh, and, and that one of them got screwed by Leon Sukunik for 2 million euro. That was it. That was the story. So it's been verified by... Elton saying that it was him. He told that whole story. I believe it. I, I think I believe just about every word of that. Very, very detailed matches with the uh, Aussie Matt story. And, and this took place before the Aussie Matt story. So you can't even say he's making this up later. Like, like he had told people about this 10 months ago when it had happened. Or, not, I, I, or 10 months before that had happened. He had already told people. So it's not even like he made this up later to say, oh, yeah, it happened to me too. Like he told people before this happened to Aussie Matt. So what's the chance that both are making this up? So really messed up here. And if if anybody takes any lesson from this, it's never to let anyone, even a fish, play on credit. And I mentioned back in June, I know somebody personally that it has nothing to do with Leon Sukernick, but they played a fish at at, uh, not commerce in an LA room. Heads up, the fish lost uh, sixty thousand to them, and would not pay. Same thing. I accused them of cheating without any kind of proof or even reasonable allegation. Just, I think you're cheating me, I'm not paying you. Mm. So, even though in the U.S. you could enforce this, if you could prove it, it's very hard to prove. It's very hard to prove. So, uh, just don't do it, no matter how tempting it is. You have a fish, you know you're better than him, you know you're going to crush him, you figure he's good for it, you figure he's rich, that, that's what tricks a lot of these people, is that they'll do this not with just some stranger they don't know, but some fish who's been there a long time, who always seems to have money, who seems to have a very successful business, in this case, a casino owner. Mm-hmm. You think, oh, of course he's going to pay me. How could he not pay me? Well, th- if they decide you're cheating, even irrationally, even if that's an angle they pull when they lose, then they won't pay you. It's not about, it. can, they, can they pay? It's sometimes, will they pay? In poker, usually it's can they pay. Usually when people don't pay you, it's because they can't. In this case, they just don't want to. So don't ever play anyone on credit unless you know them really, really well. Like it's a close friend or whatever, fine. But not anyone from a card room. Yeah, because like in this case, it could be an ego thing with the guy, right? Like if he pays it, he basically is admitting that... He sucks at poker and and he lost. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and if he if he can rationalize it somehow, where oh, you know, I must have been cheated, and, and he can't pay the money. Otherwise, he's going to basically, you know, it's going to hurt his ego. Yeah, and probably his bank account too. I mean, he does seem like he has money, but uh, he also seems like he's losing a shitload. Yeah. So you know? yeah, right. So 
Yeah, I agree with all that. So just never do it. And this, boy, this guy seems like a scumbag. It's Leon Sukernick. So I, I hope this lawsuit. How long are people going to play with this fucking? I don't know. I, I hope this ends. <laughs> I hope if they're going to play, at least in the future, they never do this credit crap or let him handle the money or run the game that the, they play in just a regular casino environment where there's no way you can get cheated, at least in that way. But boy, that's. And uh, are the high stakes games ever going to run at this guy's casino? It'd probably be fools who will play. Yeah. <laughs> you think so? I mean. I... Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, there'll probably be greedy people who decide it's worth the risk or whatever, but I mean, Jesus Christ, you know? Yep. Yeah, the problem here is they, you know, how many mega fish are going to come in who have that type of money, not mega fish, even fish compared to the competition, are going to, you know, have that type of money to keep sinking into these games. You know, these these I, games don't go because Daniel Cates and Elton Sang want to play each other. It's because they want some person in there who's who's a fish that they can uh, that they have a big edge against. There just aren't many people who are rolled and willing to do that. But you can't let someone in who's going to play on credit and not pay. So yeah, for sure, that's uh, an ugly story there, and looks like I, I bet these aren't the only instances he's done. I'm sure there's there's many others. This is oh yeah, probably just one of of many. Yeah, again, it's like what we've talked about before. It's not the first time he's done it. It's the first time he's been publicly outed or caught, you know? Yep. I'm sure this has happened in a number of cases where, you know, it was smaller amounts of money and people decided to stay quiet or maybe they took, uh, you know, they took the deal, whereas this guy didn't take the deal, you know? Yeah. Yep. A lot of times people stay silent when these things happen, thinking it's the only way to get paid or they're embarrassed. There's a lot of reasons people get stay silent when they're scam victims. And when it comes out that someone has scammed, then there's usually a long list of people that were hit before that just didn't say anything. Yeah. By the way, this is going to be a very scam-heavy show this week. We have a lot of different scam stories. So here's another one. So, supposed to be, right? Yeah. We're living up to our name, Poker Fraud Alert Radio. <laughs> People forget sometimes what this show is really supposed to be about. So this one involves a gentleman known as Seth Weintraub. And three years ago, there was a story about him scamming. And now we have someone on Poker Fraud Alert that is accusing him of scamming again. And Seth has appeared on Poker Fraud Alert to defend himself. And he just appeared today, and I just read it before radio. So maybe... I'll talk to him after this and see if uh, he wants to come on the show and defend himself. It's always interesting to have the people accused of scamming on here. So Seth Weintraub, this is what the person posted. An account was made on here back in January named Poker's Missing Link. And that's L-I-N-C for some reason. And I don't know who it is, but they made this account back in January. They have 12 posts total on Poker Fraud Alert. They created a thread on August 11th entitled Seth Weintraub, who was featured on a 2 plus 2 scam post three years ago, is scamming again. The person writes, Seth Weintraub, a.k.a. Noel57 from Lock Poker, where he took 20k from players, has surfaced and made promised a lengthy staking deal to me at the highest MTT stakes on black chip poker and vowed to post a 1k contribution to our backing fund. Backed out on replacing my buy-ins, he agreed to cover in our deal. Others have come forward saying that he changed their deals and asked for makeup to be paid in cash. I found an archive post on 2 Plus 2. It confirms he's a scammer. We would like to rid him from the poker world by informing the community. 
I have five recorded conversations and countless messages of, of him making a deal with me that he initiated and never putting up the money, including buy-ins he asked me to front him in my games in my games ran for him. This guy doesn't write very well. <laughs> I am out $500 plus on the deal, but I'm glad to have found out who he is to protect others. I can be found on Facebook and will speak to Dandruff and anyone else who wants to get to the bottom of this. Myself and others can provide details on his recent dealings and why we, why we would trust him in the first place. I have five times the amount of files on this, but have wanted not to give too much information to be, uh, to be sorted at first. I believe others will come forward to tell their experiences with Seth Weintraub, a.k.a. Nut No Pair, on the winning poker network, which is America's Card Room, Black Chip, others like that. Uh, I can get his old star scream name and such. He gains credibility by saying he knows Matt Skolansky and Josh Aria really well and is best friends with Andre Reeson in Atlanta. So I guess he's from the Atlanta area. That's where Josh is from. Josh, by the way, just resurfaced. He, he was gone for a long time. Remember, he was uh, he finished third in the main event where uh, in '04, and uh, he kind of vanished for a while. And he just popped up again this year. He even bought a piece of me in one of the, the events I played this year, just out of nowhere. I bet he regrets that <laughs> through, through Tasty Steaks. He probably <laughs> probably does. Probably he, he probably didn't regret it. He probably wasn't following it. But I, I was the chip leader in that event at one point. It was in the 10K limit hold'em. I just. Uh, didn't stay the chip leader. So he, uh, the, the guy is very good at wiggling into a community or forum or Facebook poker group and, gr- group and gaining credibility by making small stakes to players and targeting one day to be able to tell those in ongoing deals he wasn't present. Though he assured us going forward with the schedules and Seth would make it right the next day. It was his birthday. I, I, will, I will provide as much information and calls a recorder for safety as needed to back my claims. Others are already coming forward to tell me that he did something shady with them, especially telling horses to, make, to pay makeup in cash. I have messages of him, uh, of him saying that he was doing that in an investor's private chat. So I'm not fully understanding all this. Uh, you, if you think this is confusing, I do too. But this is what the guy posted. Uh, from what I can gather from this, uh, he's claiming that Seth kind of gets his way into these poker discussion communities, whether Facebook groups or forums, whatever, by first generously offering to just stake people. You know, he's just there, you know, hey, anyone want to stake? Oh, yeah, you know, I, w- I want to I apply the $55 plus whatever today. Okay, done. Sent it to you. Oh, we, wow, what a nice guy. So he's trying to claim that Seth just shows up and gives small stakes to people. No questions asked. Everyone gets to like him. And then uh, then he springs the scam on them at that point. Which, which is a common scamming tactic, to be generous at first, uh, take a loss so you can rip everyone off later. So that's what they're, uh, they're claiming he does. I, I'm not saying this is verified. I haven't looked into this yet myself. There was a post about him three years ago from Locke you know, regarding where, where he uh, supposedly took 20K from players in, in, uh, on Locke Poker and similar scams. And I, I don't... Fully understand the rest. Of it. I don't know what he means by taking, by, by paying makeup in cash. What, do you know what he might mean by that? No, no, I don't understand. I, I'm not really sure what he means by paying makeup in cash. Yeah, I mean, who? Why would you care how it was? Paid? Yeah, this I don't understand either. So okay, so but he does post a few screenshots. Maybe that'll give us some clarity here. Um, Seth, I'd we can rather have cash paid. <laughs> Than chips from Leon. Yeah. <laughs> True. 
Seth, we cannot. This is from someone named Tommy who was involved in this. Uh, Seth, we cannot force a horse to pay anything because that's not how makeup works. Trust me, I, I I want to be paid too, but unless you had an agreement up front that he would pay you cash, you cannot get money from makeup unless he wins it for you from stakes. I'm still not understanding. Is something where he's collecting makeup where you normally don't? But I'm not. I'm still not understanding what they're trying to say happened there. Uh, maybe they're trying to force him to pay makeup. Not out of the winnings that yeah, the guy has? Maybe. Maybe. Then uh, there's some screenshots that I don't quite understand. Um, yeah, so I, I don't even fully understand what's going on here. But uh, this this is Seth's response. <laughs> um, Seth said the following. Oh, here, here's another thing I should I should uh, read here. This is from uh, Lincoln Terrell. This is a screenshot from Facebook on LFG Poker, which is some poker group on there. It's funny all the different poker groups on Facebook that actually get traction. This is an authorized statement cleared through the group leadership. Seth Weintraub stole between 550 and 700 from me, depending on how you see the cuts of day one of our deal. He's been removed from our group for protection. I will do everything in my power to help you all in Getting games on getting games ASAP. Some things are in question because of the dishonesty by an investor. He caused him distrust. I'm left telling the bill for what he stole. I must make it right, even though I'm the one stolen from. Brett and Jeff handled this swiftly. They were not in any way involved in his lies. Since I called him, I caught him and called him out for not putting up his part of the staking fund. My chances of recovering money from from him are gone. But you're all protected. He could have done much worse to you later. This group is a great place and a safe once again. Blah blah blah. Okay, so. Um, since there's several people involved here discussing this in a Facebook group, I, I have to say this looks pretty bad for him. Because this isn't one person's word against another. This is like a group of people who got screwed in some way, it looks like, and, and he's trying to apologize and saying, Let, let's go on and keep all the stakes going. We've, we've thrown him out. Like, f- for Seth to be right here, all these people would have to be wrong. And it's hard to believe they all are, even though I don't fully know. I think maybe what they mean by taking makeup as cash is like this is a staking group. So I, I bet I know what this is. I guess it's like a staking group where they all have a piece of someone. And that uh, instead of uh, maybe he's taking the makeup fully of everybody's pieces that can cash from, from whoever's running it and then just keeps it for himself instead of giving it to all the different people. Maybe that's what they mean. I don't know. But there's it, it seems like there's a number of people who are involved that are that are angry about this and that, that feel like they're victims of Seth. So this is what Seth said back. Posted, uh, I guess I missed the first post. He made his first post on August 18th and he made another one um, yesterday. I just saw it today for some reason. I don't know how this thread got by me. Good morning, all. First and foremost, and by the way, he's, he, he can't write very well, Seth. For whatever reason, he's not, uh, there's a number of, pretty bad misspellings like foremost he spelled f-o-r space m-o-s-t first and and this is in like a typo because in emails he didn't write very well either first and foremost i would like to go into the lock poker situation first i bought money from two people off lock poker using paypal sent them their money there is spelled t-h-e-r-e no problem uh two to three days later i wake up and have an extra twenty thousand in my account I did a search of lock poker, and from what I saw, people were selling me their money for pennies on the dollar. By the way, it was their money again. 
I reached out to the person who gave me the money, and they want their cash. This is tilting me to read that word there. I hope he doesn't use the word there anymore. I was not about to get taken for a third time, so I I said I would send it back to him. He wanted his cash. We argued back and forth for a few days, roughly. I wake up the next morning and lock poker is closed. So that's the end of that story. (laughs) I don't think that's the end of that story. So let's now dive into this story where another gentleman is accusing of scamming him on Facebook Messenger. My wife tells him I am not working today. That is my birthday. She goes on to tell him there will be no loans given out, no staking, nothing will be done this date, period. Zero work. He put zero work, all caps. Now that, I think by work he means like, like staking is work. I think what he's trying to say. Now, now under that he types okay, so I think it's all over. I put him in three tournaments the day before and squared up with him because he lost all three. Horrible player, IMO. So now... Now on, on TP, I think maybe it means true poker, the day after my birthday, he calls me and tells me I owe him all this money for all the tournaments he lost. I told him I had nothing to do with this action on that day as well, my wife telling him that. So now he's butthurt, has taken off with everybody's money for black chip poker. His real name is Lincoln Terrell. Ah, see, it's, it's, all, it's all pointing back to Lincoln Terrell now. And his screen name is Catalyst Poker on ACR and BCP. And BCP. If there's anything I could do... For anyone who reaches this thread, just reach out to me. The nice person who runs this forum made my account so I could say my side of the story. Thank you very much, Todd. Oh, thanking me. That's very nice. I, I should ask him if he wants to... Uh, should ask him if he's interested in joining a staking group with me. <laughs> As well, if you have any more questions, I would love to answer them. Please feel free to have, have, leave a comment or reach out to me. Thank you for your time. I've also text-saved as well... If, uh, as well as his treats. Oh, I think he means threats instead of treats. I have to translate. Like, this sounds a lot better me reading it than what it even reads on the forum. Like, there's, there's so many misspellings I have to translate here. I personally do not know how to load all that info on here. Maybe, Todd, you could help me. Once again, thank you for the opportunity to say my side of the story. So, that's confusing, too. But it sounds like he's trying to say that it was his birthday... That someone wanted to be put in tournaments, that his wife told the person, no, Seth isn't doing this today, it's his birthday, he's not staking anyone, the guy played anyway, the guy lost, and then the guy's like, okay, well, you were staking me, so give me the money I was supposed to be staked, and, uh, and, and Seth's like, no, no, it was my birthday, remember, I wasn't staking you that day, you were playing on your own, and the guy got all pissed and then and trashed his reputation, and the guy who did this is supposedly this Lincoln Terrell. Uh, I'd have to th- analyze and think about this some more, but my initial reaction here is uh, I don't think Seth is telling the truth. Just from everything here. Just from the reputations coming in, the fact that when you have one person on one side and a bunch of people on the other side involving something with scamming, uh, usually the people on the other the, the several people are right unless these several people are the ones who are refusing to talk about it and the one person is like when we had Mark Klang on here and he was scammed by several people in blackjack there it was very clear that Mark Klang was in the right because he was putting it all out there and everybody else was reading it and refusing to comment of these very damaging accusations but when it's one person who already has a bad reputation being accused of scamming by several people who've, to my knowledge, haven't had a problem before. And both are willing to discuss it. It's usually the group that is correct. So, 
I don't have any proof of this, but that is my initial thought here. But I'm going to post on Poker Fraud Alert probably tomorrow on this thread, which is called uh, Seth Weintraub, who was featured in 2 Plus 2 Scam post three years ago, Scamming Again. You can go read that thread later. I w- what I like to do in threads like this, because this is very confusing, and I I try to figure it out, and the stuff I can't figure out, I ask for clarification. And once I get some clarification, then I kind of break it down for everybody so everyone can understand in plain English what's really going on. Even if I don't know fully who's right and wrong, just like at least we can understand it. This, the, both sides here are, are, are very confusing. I, I see how they all got together here because neither side can tell a good story. Neither, neither side seems very coherent here, which is kind of weird. But uh, I'm going to try to figure this out. And I'll, I'll post in this thread and try to get some answers. I'll even email Seth to go take a look that I've responded. I don't know if he's scanning the thread or not. But uh, you know, I'll do this with an open mind, though. I'm not going to just decide Seth is guilty before we get all the information. I'll do it with an open mind. And if Seth really uh, somehow is being falsely accused here, I'll come to his defense. If, if it seems like he's not and these people are in the right, then I will... Uh, Join the group saying that he's probably a scammer. Seth Weintraub, by the way, I'm, I'm pretty sure is a Jew. Wouldn't you think so? so. I mean, not to make any <laughs> stereotypes, but I mean, <laughs> Weinberg? Yeah, I, Wein- probably. Weintraub. It's probably not Korean. Yeah. Weintraub. Weintraub yeah, whatever. And I see a picture yeah. of him. He, he kind of looks like a Jew. and so. But I, I won't let that... Affect me here, even though I'm also a Jew. I'm not going to just take his side because he's a Jew. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be uh, very unbiased here. Is that a thing that where, where you normally would? No, I'm just saying that if anyone would suspect that, I'm just saying that uh, they don't have to worry. Even though it's uh, one Jew analyzing scams of another Jew, that uh, I will not allow that to color my judgment or cloud my judgment. So a very hard to even follow what's going on here. But uh, here's here's a, a good tip for everybody. If somebody shows up and says, I want to get involved in staking or anything else, they want to join you in some kind of financial transaction, and they have a reputation for some kind of scam in the recent past, even semi-recent past, it's best, it's best to say no at that point, even if they seem very nice and very generous. It's best to say no. Best to just pass on that one and involve yourself with people in the future who don't have that history. Because it, it kind of seems like from this guy's story that he actually was aware of Seth's past and just let him get involved with them anyway. So, here's another scam that doesn't have to do with poker, but this is really... Uh, an incredible story. Eddie Tipton is the former head of cybersecurity for the Multi-State Lottery Association. The Multi-State Lottery Association runs Powerball, Mega Millions, and several smaller games. And several of these use a random number generator to produce winning numbers and tickets. Now, I didn't even know that about lotteries. I didn't know they used random number generator. I, for some reason, I still thought they they all used balls. Did you know that some of these lotteries use uh, random number generators? I don't pay any attention to lotteries. I have no fucking clue. 
But if someone asked you, wouldn't you think it was just like those balls that, that fly around in one of these uh, yeah, machines and then just come out? that's the last thing that I saw. That's but maybe I... some of the smaller games, you know, where people don't actually tune in to watch. Yeah, yeah well, uh, so some of these that weren't very small, though. Listen to this. So he was formerly a programmer with the Multi-State Lottery Association, and they're the agency that administers the state lotteries. Uh, he designed and maintained software for uh, computerized number generate random number generators that uh, would select winning lottery numbers in many states across the country. And this is according to the Office of Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller. So Tipton, he, he's a, a Texan, by the way. He lives in Texas. He doesn't live in Iowa. But he's accused of buying lottery tickets in various states, including Iowa, and selecting numbers that he knew would win. Kind of like super using the lottery. I didn't know such a thing was possible. But you know, this is kind of like how you don't feel bad when some of these poker sites get scammed. You know, I, I don't feel bad at all if the lottery gets fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. Well, actually, who got screwed, though, were just, were just the players. The lottery itself didn't get screwed. It was the. That's uh, true. The lottery takes their skim no matter what. Yeah, it was. It was all the, right, all right. You got a point. Yeah. You got a point. So. Uh, I, I gotta go, man. I'm dead. Okay, I'm dead okay. Tired. Well, thank you for being part of this. Get, and Calwatch. Get Trader Ruski in here, man. You know, I think the problem is here. If you, uh, I think the problem was that was having sex at the beginning of the show. Much like I say that uh, masturbating before a poker event is has good is good and bad. It's good that it keeps you from uh, you know, staring at girls during the event as much and and being kind of agitated. You haven't uh, had the release in a while. It's bad in that uh, it can make you tired. I think that you started off tired here because of that. It's well, just, I, I was tired before then, but you're probably right. Yeah. You know? Okay. There yeah. probably is a little bit of that. I always have a more sound night's sleep when there's a little action, you know? Yeah. Well, okay. I, I, I can't blame you for doing it. I'm just telling you that uh, that's that it's probably an effect. You probably could have made it through this story if it wasn't for that. So, okay. Look, man, when the wife messaged me and says, you know, come up, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, Druff. I enjoy the show, but I mean, we we have our limits, okay? No, I understand. You've been, you've, <laughs> you've been married for a number of years. You know, you you can't just uh, turn that type of thing down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Plus, I've got a bunch of stuff to do tomorrow. I can't be dead tired either. Yeah, so I understand. Okay. Well, thank you for being part of the show. And I guess uh, no trader risky. Seems like I'll just have to. Uh, and Scott from the East Coast has disappeared at some point, so I'll I'll just have to go at this myself. If anybody else wants to call in and uh, and join, you can seven seven five fraud fifty five. Thank you very much, Calwat. All right, man. Later. Good night. Calwad going to sleep with a, somewhat of a smile on his face from a few hours ago. Um, you know what another problem would have been for Calwat if he had told his wife no? Is this would give her more of the ability to say no to him in the future. He doesn't want a situation, and I, I, I've never asked him how much he has sex with his wife, and I, I probably don't even want to know that, but I'm just speaking in generalities here. If he says no, I'm doing the radio show, I don't want to leave it, we'll do it some other time, then when she turns him down in the future, when he wants to have sex with her, then she can say, oh yeah, well, you, know, you turn me down those other times, you do it too. Yeah, I'm turning you down, but you've turned me down, so what can, even if that's even like the only time he turns her down... She can keep using that over the years. So he's got to always say yes by default. That's the situation. So, going back to Eddie Tipton, the lottery scammer, <laughs> uh, 
he didn't buy all these tickets for himself. Or I guess he'd buy them, but he couldn't cash them in. Like He, he can't claim he won the lottery in uh, five different states in these really hard-to-win lotteries. Like There's no way anyone could be that lucky. So he would then give the tickets to other people who agreed to cash them and split the money with him. Now, one of the people he gave the money to, you know, it's a, it's a great cover. If you can't cash the tickets because it'll be suspected, uh, why don't you just give one of them to your brother? <laughs> That's what he did, though. He, he had his brother do it. So one of the tickets went to his brother, Tommy Tipton. And this investigation goes way back. Uh, it, the investigation against the two Tipton brothers began in 2010 when a $14.3 million hot lotto jackpot in Iowa hit. And uh, they were wise to it, though. The lottery officials refused to pay it. And then they started investigating him. And the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation traced Eddie Tipton's scheme to other states that he'd done this elsewhere. So now... Back to 2017, Eddie Tipton made a deal with prosecutors. He pled guilty to the Iowa charge of the uh, ongoing criminal conduct. And the prosecutors dropped a money laundering charge in return. So he's going to serve the Iowa sentence concurrently with a sentence of five and a half years, or up to five and a half years, so probably less than that. In Wisconsin, where he also pleaded guilty to theft by fraud and computer crime. His brother, Tommy Tipton, who was actually a former judge in Texas, is somehow only serving a 75-day sentence for a misdemeanor charge. That's a pretty light sentence. How do you get away with a 75-day sentence for something like that? And... There's deferred judgment on a felony charge of conspiracy to commit theft. The one who actually tried to get the uh, four point three, the the fourteen point three million dollar jackpot in Iowa, was not his brother. I guess his brother did another one, but uh, the one who tried to get the one in Iowa for fourteen point three million was a friend named Robert Rhodes. He pled guilty to fraud and is going to be sentenced very shortly. My question is here, how can this guy be so stupid? So he's smart enough to set up this scam. He's smart enough to think of doing this, and he's smart enough, obviously, to be a programmer for the Lottery Association and to program the random number generator and, and, and being able to figure out how to exploit it, which isn't that hard to figure out how to exploit your own programming, but still, he was able to pull off, from a technical standpoint, the scam. All he needed was to get away with it. And you would think he wouldn't do this in multiple states. Like, how hard is it to get someone to do this on a one-time basis someone who is otherwise not known to be associated with you very closely. And I know, yeah, you have to trust the person. You can't just put an ad on Craigslist. You know, hey, who wants to take half of a $14 million lottery that I'm going to rig? Like, you have to know the person is, number one, not going to report you, and number two is actually going to pay you the half. But on the other hand, when there's that much money involved, 
you can probably find someone who will do it and probably keep their mouth closed about it just because they don't want to get in trouble either. So, you would think that this could be pulled off in some way and just do it once and be done. But the fact that he did this in multiple states is amazing. I thought he'd get away with it. It's also amazing why he hasn't gotten a stiffer sentence. I don't understand this. How could he get anything but a ridiculously stiff sentence? How? So he's allowed to serve his Iowa sentence concurrently with the Wisconsin sentence, which I always think is so stupid. How can you serve something concurrently? I know you can, but why should you be able to? If you have two sentences, they should be tacked on to one another. And if they're in different states, then one does not start until the other ends. Otherwise, it's it's like uh, one of them doesn't exist. I mean, let's say I got a five-year sentence. Could I claim uh, I'm serving the, this uh, five-year sentence in uh, 1,800 prisons simultaneously? So it's actually only one day. <laughs> That's the same thing. That's how ridiculous it is. If you can't physically be in two prisons at once, you should not be able to serve a sentence concurrently. And since you cannot be in two places at once, you should not be able to do that. So, this Iowa sentence, I don't even know how much it is, he can serve it concurrently with the Wisconsin sentence, which at maximum will be five and a half years and probably less than that, what he actually gets. So for these, this uh, nasty scheme, which defrauded, and as I was saying to Calwin, not even the states, but actually defrauding the players of the lottery, because when they won, someone else didn't win. That $14.3 million went back in the pool because they didn't pay it, and then it just probably rolled over to the next jackpot. But everything else that was paid screwed someone, and even when he won and nobody else did, uh, I guess if no one else picked the numbers, they didn't directly get screwed, provided it went back into the next week's lottery. But they were the ones that they did win and collect. Anyway, the whole scheme is to cl- is to screw everybody who plays the lottery collectively. So how can you screw people for this large sum of money and get such a light sentence? I would think something like this would be like 25 years because of the amount of money involved. This isn't scamming the lottery for a thousand bucks. This is for 14 million on just one ticket that of, of several they were doing this. And how stupid are they to not have checks and balances to prevent this? Like, did they not think that when a computer selects the lottery numbers that someone programming it might take advantage? Did they not think of that possibility that maybe you should not let someone program it who could then use that knowledge of the way it works to exploit it? How did they not take steps to prevent that? And there are steps you could take. Like there can be certain requirements in the way that the random number generator works to where there's no way for even the programmer to predict how you know, what numbers it's going to generate. 
In fact, that's a lot of times the goal of designing a random number generator is for it to use some sort of random or mostly random outside information to combine and then determine what's known as a random number seed. Uh, for example, something PokerStars was doing for a while, and I don't—I I assume they still are, but maybe they've... Uh, I know they, they do some other weird stuff with, like, lasers, as was described in that weird video they did. But one thing they were doing for a while was collecting mouse movement data from all their users combined at the same time. And then they would take the... Do you think that's just random mouse movements, like the way you move your mouse towards the button? They would collect that, turn it into a mathematical equation, and then combine everybody's mouse movements together, and then use that to generate a random number seed, to where even the programmer couldn't reproduce that, because he doesn't know how you know, 30,000 people are going to move their mice at the same time. The only way someone could ever crack that would be if they were to get that information that the PokerStars server, like if they put some backdoor in to get that information. But as long as that information was being sent to the server and received in a secure fashion that could not be interrupted in any way, or uh, sniffed in any way, then even the designer of that random number generator would not be able to crack it. So I don't know what they used at the Multi-State Lottery Association, but obviously not a very good one, (laughs) because... It was something that this guy was able to crack and predict what the lottery numbers would be correctly. So how did they not have something in place to ensure that someone who designed it could not use it? But that's that's the government for you. That is the government for you. They'll let these major holes exist at times that will just leave you scratching your head like, how could this have happened? How could someone have been so incompetent to allow this to happen? Or some organization have been so incompetent? And that's apparently what happened here. And a criminal took advantage of it, and had he not been too greedy, then he probably would have gotten away with it. But this guy apparently did this across multiple states, and I guess they already were suspicious in 2010 with that claim in Iowa. They, maybe they linked uh, Robert Rhodes to him. I don't know. doesn't say how. But uh, scammers everywhere. And when there's big money involved in a lottery, that's when you've got to be real careful not to allow anyone to take advantage of it you have to have measures in place to where if somebody decides that this is what they want to do they just won't be able to but to leave it to where one guy could pull this off obviously that uh, was a poor design well there's a requirement here's the next scam story it's not totally a scam, but it's uh, I'd say this is kind of shady. There's a requirement in all casinos in the United States that they must have at least the amount of cash on hand to cover every single chip in play. If they cannot, 
then they are operating against the terms of their license. They're operating illegally and they can be shut down. Well, this happened in California, in Clovis, California, which is near Fresno. The 500 Club Casino was shut down for not having enough money on hand to cover every chip in play. So apparently they were short by a good amount. It wasn't like a tiny shortfall. It has been closed for over a week. And they were shut down about a week ago. I think it was on uh, the 14th of August. Let me see if I can find the exact date. Something around there. They were shut down for not having enough money on hand. Now I have trouble finding this. I'm trying to look for the date that uh, they were actually shut down. There's a card player article. It was on Wednesday, so it was a week ago. It was Wednesday, August 16th, apparently. There was a raid by state officials, and the California Attorney General's office said that they uh, both lacked enough cash to cover the amount of poker chips in circulation, and they also lacked sufficient records to document their chips in use liability. So apparently they didn't even have good documentation of how many chips were out there. The state of California described the difference in chips out there and money they had on hand to be, quote, substantial. They also claimed that the 500 Club repeatedly failed to provide the requested documents pertaining to its available funds. So now they are auditing them. Now, the club is not admitting to this. They are saying that uh, they are not in violation of gaming, vi- of gaming regulations and that they have more than enough money to cover the chips uh, between the cash held at the cage, the card room's vault, and its bank accounts. Well, that's not good enough. <laughs> they, can't, they can't have money in the bank. They need to uh, have it on hand at the casino. So by that, they're kind of admitting that they don't have enough. They also said that they have $800,000 in bonds. So I think what they're trying to say here is, uh, yeah, we may not have had it right at the cage, but uh, we could have gotten it at any time. We have uh, 800000 in bonds. We have a bank account. So if, if there had ever been a run on the bank here, it would have just been a short time and we would have had the money for the people who want to cash out. But that's, that's not good enough. They, the requirement at all casinos pretty much everywhere in the U.S. is that you have to have cash for every chip you allow in play. Once you sell chips to poker players, you have to keep that cash associated with those chips. Now, when you rake chips, then then you get the chips back. Then you don't have to keep that cash anymore. But any chips that are out there, you have to have the cash to cover it. And that's it's also accused they don't even know fully what's out there. They didn't even document it well. So it's claimed that they're aiming to reopen soon. However, it hasn't happened yet. 
So if you go to the 500 Club in Clovis, what will you find? Will you find a closed casino? Well, yes. Will you find an abandoned building? Believe it or not, the answer, the answer is no. It's not totally closed. You just can't play poker there. You can't gamble there. But as of yesterday, you'll be happy to know that while you cannot gamble at the 500 Club Casino, you can now eat there. <laughs> yes, food is once again being served at the 500 Club Casino, even though the card tables are remaining empty. The 500 Club has opened its restaurant again. Nobody can play poker, but but you can eat. You can come and have a nice meal. <laughs> Who's going to come to the 500 Club to eat? Hey, honey, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? Let's go to the 500 Club. But there's no poker. That's okay. I like the food there. They make a good pepper steak. Is the 500 Club really a go-to destination for couples and families in Clovis that want to have a nice meal? Like, why would anyone go to that restaurant when you cannot gamble there? I understand going to a restaurant associated with a nice casino on the Strip. But would anyone ever go to some kind of crappy card room just to eat there? When you know you cannot gamble or do anything but eat? There's another area of concern, and that is the impact on Clovis, would you believe? Clovis is not that big of a city. It, it's kind of considered an extension of Fresno, but it's a separate city. In 2016, Clovis's population was 106,000. So not a small city, but not huge. It's considered part of the Fresno metro area. But uh, one of the concerns is that it's affecting the city, this closure. Because people work there, and they can't work during the shutdown. Also, the city makes money in taxes. And there's not that money coming in that the city was expecting to get. So Assistant City Manager John Holt said, the one-week closure, which probably represents somewhere in the neighborhood of a $10,000 impact on the city of Clovis, it's relatively small, but our concern is that it may be closed longer than that. So they're worried that if it stays closed for a long time, then they're really going to have a budget shortfall because they said uh, since it opened in June of 2012, it's been about 400000 to 500000 additional revenue to the city of Clovis. So it's been beneficial for us to have that money available to use for other services. That's what this uh, Holt guy said. It goes into our general fund to be used to provide police and fire services, among other things. He says police and fire, so it sounds better. Because, like, you know, there's a casino that's not acting right. They're, they're kind of shady. They're not keeping up with requirements that the state puts on casinos. And they don't want people in the city to revolt saying, why is this here? Why don't you get rid of it? Why do they still have a license? So he's trying to say, look, you know, this is why we have police and fire. Next time your house is on fire, remember that this casino paid for it, which, which is not really accurate. Because the general fund is used for a whole lot of things in any city, in any 
government that has a, a, a general fund. Even the federal government has a general fund. So the general fund can't be said. Th- this isn't just police and fire. It's for so many different things. He's just naming police and fire because that's something you don't want cut. That's something that you can relate to, that you're not that unhappy your tax money is being used for that. So if it sounds like this casino is enabling fire services and police services, then you're happy it's there. But truthfully, if they're getting like 10000 a week from this, uh, first of all, his math's not very good. Because if he's really getting 10000 a week, then it should be over 500000 a year. But he's claiming since June 2012, it's been about 400000 to 500000 which doesn't make any sense. In that time, it should have been like $2.5 million. So which one is it? So apparently, the John Holt is not very good at math. There's also about 200 employees there that are out of work. And I guess about a quarter of them are... Or, uh, he's in 200, 250 employees, and about a fifth to a quarter of them work in the restaurant. <laughs> that must be a pretty big restaurant. They have like 50 people working there. And then he says the 200 employees have a negative impact on the economy by having employees out there who are no longer making a living. Now he's really stretching it. In a city of 106,000, if you take 200 people out of work, it's not really hurting the city economy. It hurts these 200 people very much. It does not hurt the overall economy of Clovis that they cannot make and spend money. 200 people out of 106,000. Now, if the town is like isolated and has a thousand people if 200 are suddenly out of work yeah that's going to impact the town's ability to circulate money to engage in commerce but not not 200 out of 106,000 i mean this guy this guy holt i don't think i'd want him being the assistant city manager in my city doesn't seem like he could do basic math and it doesn't seem like he understands the impact of 200 people being out of work in a city of over 100,000 people. He should have said the more politically correct thing to say, and that is that he feels bad for these 200 people. That he's very disappointed that 200 people who counted on this casino for their income are now out of work. That's, that's what I would have said. That he feels for them. He feels for their families. That they didn't expect this. It's not fair to them. These are all good things to say if you're a politician or any kind of public figure. You don't complain that with 200 people unable to spend money in Clovis, now the economy is going to struggle. It has a negative impact on the economy. Come on. I wonder how many other card rooms have this situation and just haven't been caught yet. Uh, By the way, in related news, Howard Lederer and Chris Ferguson have announced plans to open up a card room in Clovis. (laughs) All right. Speaking of card rooms that were closed, the Westgate Poker Room has reopened. What is Westgate? You may say, I've never heard of Westgate. Westgate is in Las Vegas. Does that help you? 
Well, you haven't heard of the legendary Westgate Hotel and Casino? Maybe you know it as the LVH. No? Haven't heard of the LVH? Well, what might LVH stand for, or have stood for at one point? What at one time well-known hotel in Las Vegas, a very large hotel that was once the largest hotel anywhere in the world at one point, I believe, have the initials LVH? Well, LV is Las Vegas. So the Las Vegas H. Ah, the Las Vegas Hilton. Yes, the Las Vegas Hilton, which has sunk more and more into irrelevance with each passing year, but once a very big deal in the 1980s. They became the LVH, once they were no longer associated with Hilton, then they became the Westgate. And that's what they are today. I used to stay in the Hilton as a kid. Obviously, it was with my parents, but uh, I have many memories of being brought to Vegas and uh, being in the Hilton hotel room. Even though I could not gamble at that time, obviously, I was, uh, I was still happy to be there. I still enjoyed it. And the many times I came to the LVH, sorry, the Las Vegas Hilton, it was not called the LVH back then, I, I have to say somewhat framed my desire to eventually uh, gamble and play poker myself. So whenever I hear that property mentioned, I think, oh, I was there so many times. They're also known for having a very large sports book. In fact, in the 80s, they called it the Superbook. And still, by today's standards, it has a large sports book. They hold some contests over there. It's, a, it's still a pretty respected sports book, despite the fact that the property itself is a big time has been. The two issues with that property are, well, number one, it's just kind of old. And, and number two, it's not in a good location. It's on Paradise, in the North Strip. So, given that most of the action in Vegas takes place in the Center Strip and on Las Vegas Boulevard, this is neither on Las Vegas Boulevard nor near the Center Strip. So to get to it, first of all, you have to go down to Paradise, which is like two streets away from the Strip, and then you've got to travel north, almost away from the Strip, and it's like directly down the street from Circus Circus, to the uh, to the east. That wasn't as big of a deal when the Strip did not have its prominence like it has today. So like in the 80s, that wasn't that big of a deal. But uh, now it is. At one point, I believe it was the biggest hotel in the world as far as number of rooms. It was very big. But uh, like the MGM Grand is bigger. And now there's other hotels that are bigger. But there's really nothing that interesting there anymore. They attempted to revive it in the 90s by... They brought some kind of like Star Trek-themed thing over there, but it never really worked. It did have some conventions coming there for a while. They have a convention center right next to it. But it's it's a big time has been over there. Anyway, their poker room has not the best history recently. They, they it, it's been uh, struggling for a long time. In 2013, they had some controversy when UB cheater Bonnie Lanehouse 
was hired as the poker room manager. Bonnie Lane hosts, uh, it's, it's not clear if she directly cheated, but she definitely helped move a lot of the cheating money for Russ Hamilton. And this was uh, shown and proven by a lot of the subsequent investigations. She was never charged with anything. She was never arrested. Of course, neither was Russ Hamilton. But it's very clear that either she knew that she was helping move cheating money or she should have known. One of those two. But there's no way that all this money went through her uh, at the request of Russ without her knowing. It just she, she had too much knowledge in the operation for her not to have questioned anything. And she was very close with Russ, and she even lied about that. When she was questioned about this, she lied about it and claimed that uh, she hadn't seen Russ in such and such many years. And then someone found total proof against that. They found like a photo of them together in Montana. So she and Russ were good friends. And she was also accused of uh, stealing chips from, from as a tournament director at one point. So uh, Bonnie has a, a very checkered past. And some people, including me, encouraged those that knew about her past to call up the LVH at the time in 2013 and let them know about what Bonnie had been up to in the past, especially with the UB stuff. And they did. <laughs> people who listened to the show called in, people who read 2 Plus 2 called in, people who read uh, you know, other blogs about the matter called in, and uh, she was fired very quickly. She barely worked there and was fired. And the room has opened and closed... Uh, I, I haven't really kept track of it, but I know they've kind of opened and closed a number of times. But they have, they're back. They have come back. And they've been closed since the summer of 2015. So it's been two years. They reopened on August 9th. It has six tables. And they supposedly spread no limit, limit, and pot limit. Probably PLO. It's also not open 24-7. It's only open 18 hours a day. Sounds like a great room. So there you go. Um, a number of poker rooms have closed in the past uh, six years, this includes Circus Circus, Sunset Station, Aliante Station, El Cortez, Riviera, Texas Station, The Palms, Bill's Gambling Hall, The M Resort, Tropicana, Gold Coast, Tuscany, and Fitzgerald. They've all lost poker rooms in the last six years. But one has returned at the Westgate. Exciting stuff. I would not suggest visiting the Westgate Poker Room unless you're staying at the Westgate. Unless you like six-table poker rooms that are open 18 hours a day. When a poker room is open anything less than 24 hours a day, it is a good idea not to bother going there. That's typically not a very good poker room. 18 hours a day is good for a restaurant or a supermarket, but not for a poker room. The American Gaming Association, known as the AGA, has released a code of conduct, a new code of conduct, that 
they claim is a pledge to the patrons. Now, what is the American Gaming Association? It is a lobbying organization for the United States casino industry. And that's really what they do. They're, they're lobbying. They're, uh, and, and every once in a while they have get-togethers and they figure out their stance on various issues and then use their monetary power to try to influence lawmakers around the country. That's what lobbying is, of course. But they've come up with a new code of conduct. And let me read to you some of it. And I'll tell you why it matters. Uh, Here's what it says. Pledge to our patrons to promote responsible gaming. AGA members will make information available promoting responsible gaming and where to find assistance, including a toll-free helpline number. This information will be available and visible on casino floors and at cash access devices. Okay, so they're they're basically saying that uh, if you're always going to be able to find information on those gambling helplines, and they'll even put them at the ATM machines, so you know where to get help if you're a problem gambler. Nice people, huh? The AGA members will make available on their gaming-related websites information describing responsible gaming, their policies and practices related to responsible gaming, and where to find assistance. And that'll be on the website too. When I say members, they mean the member casinos. AGA members, where permitted by law, will make available to patients and employees information generally explaining the probabilities of winning or losing at the various gambling games offered by the casino. Yeah, I don't believe that's going to happen. Now, make available, that doesn't really mean post. (laughs) Make available means if you go to the right desk somewhere in the property and ask them, that they will give you a list of uh, what the general odds are on games. But you have to know to go look for it. And honestly, if you have to know to go look for it and know where to find it, you can probably find it more easily online by just Googling the game. I've always felt that casinos should be required to post this information on each game, so people really know what odds they're playing for. Because otherwise, uh, you know, it's not really honest. I understand that the casino needs an edge to operate. I'm not suggesting that casinos should operate with zero edge, otherwise they don't make money. Otherwise they can't stay open. They can't pay their employees. They can't pay the rent. They can't uh, pay for the electricity, etc., etc. So they have to have an edge. But what's not fair is where there's a massive edge against the player and the player doesn't realize it, especially some of these gimmick games and side bets and stuff like that that seem like they're they're maybe very lucrative for the player, maybe a great deal, maybe really fun. Maybe the player assumes that at the least at the very least there's a small house edge just like everything else, but that it's not a terrible bet. When in reality some of these have like twenty percent house edges. So I've always hoped that one day, and I doubt this will ever happen, but one day that casinos will be required to post what the house edge is on each game. So before you sit down at that slot machine, or that video poker machine, or that blackjack table, or the, or place a side bet at the blackjack table, that you see what the house edge is on each bet, and if you still want to place it, because you're feeling lucky, 
or you just want to have fun, then go ahead. But at least you come in as an informed consumer. But the fact that you have to go to sites like Wizard of Odds, which most people would not do. The only people who go to sites like that are, are gamblers who are very interested in finding out the best games to play and perhaps finding ways to beat the casino, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's a very small percentage of gamblers. You, you, you stop the average gambler that's playing video poker, for example. He'll never have heard of wizardofodds.com. So it sucks that you have to go to these websites, which before these type of websites even existed, you couldn't find this information anywhere except for some books. You have to do that to find out what your real negative edge is in the game instead of the casino just making it clear to you at the machine itself or at the game itself. So they're claiming that member casinos of the AGA will provide you this information, but only general information. It's the information generally explaining the probability. So it'll say things like, well, video poker, depending on the pay tables, will range from uh, 96% to 99.5% payback. That doesn't tell you much. And that's if they are, quote, permitted by law to do it. I have a hard time believing that any state will disallow them from disclosing this information. Why? Why would casinos ever be prohibited from stating what the odds are on any of their games? I don't believe that. Okay, next pledge. Each AGA casino company will have a policy in effect for all its casino properties, providing opportunities for patrons to request in writing the revocation of their privileges for specific services, such as markers, players' club cards, check cashing, comps, and gambling promotions. So basically, you can not completely ban yourself, but... Stop yourself from being able to cash checks there or get promotions from the casino or even get markers. But, like, why even have that? Why not just (laughs) allow people to ban themselves if they've got a gambling problem? They're claiming this is kind of like a middle ground. But I think if you're already doing that, if you're you're making it so you cannot get a player's card and not be issued comps, because you're afraid it'll make you come there and gamble more, maybe you just shouldn't be gambling. If you tell a casino, don't give me comps, because it's going to make me come here and gamble more, when you say don't give me comps, that's when it's time to stop gambling forever. You should want every comp they're going to give you. It says, each AGA casino shall make reasonable efforts on a facility-by-facility basis to honor a written request from any person that did not knowingly grant that person access to gambling activities. For each person that makes such a request, the casino will make the person will provide the person with a listing of resources in the area surrounding the casino where assistance with gambling-related problems is available. They're basically just saying if someone writes a request, don't let me gamble here, they'll honor it. I thought they have to do that anyway. AGA casino companies reserve the right to exclude a patron from gambling without a request from the patron. Okay, that's always been the case. So then they also have code and conduct about uh, to prevent underage gambling and minors in the casinos, uh, to serve alcoholic beverages responsibly, uh, to advertise responsibly. Let's let's go to advertise responsibly. Because that's that's always interesting of how casinos advertise versus what you really get there. 
Uh, this code applies to the advertising and marketing of casino gambling by the AGA member companies. It does not pertain to the advertising and marketing that is primarily of hotels, restaurants, and entertainment that may be associated with or operated or promoted by casinos. For the purposes of this code, advertising and marketing includes, among other media, radio and television ads, print, direct mail, social media, billboards, and internet promotions. Casino gambling and advertising marketing will contain a responsible gaming message and or a toll-free helpline number where practical. Yeah, I've seen that before. They, they, they put it in tiny print at the bottom. Reflect generally accepted contemporary standards of good taste. <laughs> what does that even mean? What does that even mean, contemporary standards of good taste? Does that mean like like when a guy wins at the blackjack table, he doesn't rub the tits, of, rub rub the chips all over the titties of the girls sitting next to him? Like what is what what do they mean by that? Contemporary standards of good taste. Strictly comply with all state and federal standards to make no false or misleading claims or create a suggestion that the probabilities of winning or losing at the various games offered by the casino are different than those actually experienced. No, you guys don't ever say that. You just say, come down here, winning's fun, and you don't bother to say how hard it is to win. You show people winning and having a great time. Usually the dudes winning have a lot of hot chicks surrounding them. That's a very in-your-face, non-subliminal message. (laughs) Casino gambling, advertising, and marketing will not contain images, symbols, celebrity entertainment, entertainer endorsements, or language designed to appeal specifically to children and minors. That means that uh, Kermit the Frog will not be advertising a casino anytime soon. Uh, hi-ho, uh, Kermit the Frog here. Um, I, I'm here at the Bellagio Casino, and uh, I'm playing blackjack. Oh, I was, I was just dealt uh, an 11. An 11. Uh, uh, dealer, I'm, I'm going to double down here. Or double down. A 10. I, I win the hand. Yay! Like, you're not going to see that. You're not going to see that commercial. Feature anyone who is or appears to be below the legal age to participate in gambling activity. So, they're not going to have any minors claiming they're gambling or have someone that looks like they're too young to gamble in the commercial. Contain claims or representations that gambling activity will guarantee an individual's social, financial, or personal success. Well... It's funny, a casino got in trouble, or I guess they were under fire. I don't think they were in trouble, but they were under fire some years ago. I forget which casino. I think it was like an Indian casino in California that had an ad like, short on cash this week? Come on down and play. It was something like that, where it was trying to say, if you're short on cash, come here, and you won't be short on cash anymore. And it's really the reverse. But I... Don't agree that they're not going to advertise that it will guarantee an individual's uh, social or personal success because they don't say it'll guarantee. But when they show you gambling and having fun and having hot girls surrounding you, they're they're definitely implying it. I'm not saying they shouldn't be allowed to, but when they claim they're not going to do this, they are going to do this. Uh, be placed before any audience where most of the audience is ordinarily expected to be below the legal age to participate in gambling activity. So they're, they're not going to run this on uh, on Nick Jr. And imply or suggest any illegal activity of any kind. So these all sound very noble, but these are things that they already do. And some of this just makes sense. Like they're not going to advertise on a kid's channel about gambling because it's mostly a waste of advertising dollars. Yeah, there will be parents watching occasionally, but... 
they, they'd much rather advertise somewhere that is primarily watched by adults. But even if they can say, okay, we want to advertise on the kids' channel because maybe the kids will get excited by gambling due in the future, or maybe the parents will watch and it's a good place to reach them, that they won't do this. But okay, they, they just don't do this because it would look bad. So I'm not going to read the rest of this. It's a pledge to our employees, a pledge to the public. This is all pretty meaningless. Uh, keep in mind, again, this is a lobbying arm of the gaming association, this, of, of, of the, not gaming association, but of the gaming industry. So they're not a charity organization. They're not a help organization. This is an organization that exists to get laws passed that are favorable for casinos. So the only reason they are doing this is to look good. So, so when they do their lobbying, they can point to what their entire membership base has agreed to. And then the politicians who they're trying to lobby will say, oh, look, you know, the, the, this, this is a responsible industry. This industry is trying their best to prevent pri- problem gambling, and they're trying their best to prevent underage gambling. So that's the reason they're doing it. It's all for appearances. Casinos do not care if you are a problem gambler. Casinos do not care if you're an underage gambler. They only care about the consequences for allowing these activities. Both the consequences in publicity and especially the consequences legally when they are caught by regulators. But they don't actually care about you, about your gambling problem, about miners that manage to play there. They don't care. All they care about is making money. Now, there are exceptions. Like, I've told the story before about Steve Wynn, where one of the biggest whales of all time, Terrence Watanabe, was playing in his casino and just losing a fortune. This guy not only had a fortune and was losing it quickly, but he was one of the worst players of all time. He just did incredibly dumb things at the games he played. And Steve Wynn actually called him in and said, I'm, bar- I'm barring you from my casino. I think you're a problem gambler. And Wynn didn't do this for any kind of selfish reason or for appearances. No one even knew about it at the time. He did it because he just felt bad. He just didn't want to take this guy's bottom dollar. He didn't want to watch this guy's fortune be decimated through his problem gambling. So he actually made a moral decision to kick him. Then Harris went and scooped him up. <laughs> so he lost the rest of his money at the you know, Harris Caesars. And they didn't care. They were happy to let him lose all that. In fact, that was alleged later in a lawsuit. They were both suing each other. They were suing him for a marker he didn't pay, and he was suing them for allowing his problem gambling and for giving him too much to drink and I think even pills to keep him in an intoxicated state so he'd lose all his money. Eventually, both sides just agreed to walk away. He agreed to not uh, try to get back any of the money he lost and they agreed not to pursue the additional $60 million he lost on markers. But they already got like $700 million from him, so they were pretty happy. Anyway, Steve Wynn, he, uh, he kicked him before that. 
just because he didn't want a problem gambler there. So I give Steve Wim props for that, but most casinos are not like this. And even at the win, I'm sure there's plenty of problem gambling that is not stopped because Steve Wynn does not personally get involved. He only got involved here because the guy was such a huge whale, and there's no way you could ignore him. By the way, Little Caesars trivia that's been mentioned before on this show, Terrence Watanabe was the only person ever to hold a player's card above seven stars. He had a card called Chairman, and Chairman was created at his request because he did not like being on the same level as the other seven stars. He felt that his gambling was so much higher and he lost so much more money that he deserves a status above that. So they created chairman just for him. And then as soon as that lawsuit took place and he was no longer going to be gambling there, they did away with the chairman ranking there. Nor did they ever publicize the chairman ranking. It was just a secret ranking he had that was above everybody else. Now, there are chairman cards at other casinos, including like the station casinos. I don't know if they got that idea from the chairman that that existed at Harris Caesars. This was back in 2007. Or if it just happened to be the same name. But there are a number of chairman cards now at other casinos. But not at Caesars. Seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. This is actually going to be one of our shorter shows. I think we're up to the last topic. I don't think it's going to be a really long topic. And this one just kind of flew by. It's funny. I put the agenda together today, and I go, oh, "That's a lot of topics." I bet this will be a long show. No. Right now it is twelve sixteen a.m. and I'm on the last topic. Uh, before I get to that last topic, since we have a bit of time here, I want to talk about Poker Fraud Alert and how we differ from other poker media companies. Because we do. And I'm not just talking about the salacious elements that sometimes accompany this show or our forum. But I'm talking about even the way serious poker topics are handled. Poker Fraud Alert really is the only fully independent, fully unbiased, non-profit poker media that exists. And if you think I'm wrong, then try to point out any other poker media that meets that description. Fully independent, non-profit, and unbiased. And the reason it's important to have those titles is because when controversies spring up in poker, when scandals spring up in poker, you want to know there's somewhere that will cover the story honestly and fairly and without any kind of bias or without any kind of fear or without any kind of the BS that comes along with a lot of other forms of poker media. 
We don't have any sponsors at the moment. We haven't in a long time. The few sponsors we ever do take are ones that would never influence our content and are ones that are very unlikely to ever be stories on this show of any kind. The site has never run for profit. The site is run by one person, and that's me. Nobody else owns Poker Fraud Alert. Nobody else ever has owned Poker Fraud Alert. It's always just been me. And I've always just wanted the truth in all these matters to get out. Whether the truth makes someone look good who I don't like or makes someone look bad who I do like, I still want the truth to get out. And I always want people to feel like they can come to this site if they have a story they want to tell and they'll know it won't be deleted or suppressed or censored or approached in a biased sense. But that everyone will have a voice if they get screwed in poker and that everything will be handled fairly and that if someone's accused of a scam that they're not instantly treated like a criminal and silenced but they're always allowed to give their side of things. And that I will always consider all sides before giving my opinion. Or if I do give my opinion before I hear all sides, that I will modify my opinion at that point. As has happened before. That everybody who is accused of wrongdoing on this show is always welcome to come on and defend themselves. So... When you go to other forms of poker media, you have to ask yourself... Do they take ads? What type of ads do they take? If there were to be a negative story about one of these advertisers, would they cover it fairly, without bias? Would they stop running these ads if it's proven that this advertiser is a scammer? And if you can't say yes to that, maybe you should reconsider whether you trust that source. So, I can't think of any other place on the web, at least with any kind of reasonable traffic. When I say reasonable traffic, I mean something that is at least actively followed by uh, a number of people. It doesn't have to be a huge site. Poker Fraud Alert is not a huge site. But it can't be a site that nobody ever goes to. But I can't think of a site even equivalent to the size of Poker Fraud Alert or near the size of Poker Fraud Alert or bigger that meets this criteria. And that's part of the reason I wouldn't want to take this site down anytime soon. Because I feel it's something that needs to exist. So the, the site exists for a number of reasons and and you know one of the reasons is to continue that neverwin poker community that started 13 years ago um another one is just to provide this radio show that people got used to over the years even when I was on a different site and Brandon was on a different site and you know a lot of the people listening to this show were listening to other shows preceding this one that had some similarities to this one and of course featured me and other people you still hear on this show. But 
another reason, and the reason this is actually called Poker Fraud Alert, is because I, I felt there was a need for this site. I felt that there was no fully independent, non-profit, totally unbiased poker media. And sometimes I'll, I'll see complaints from people, like, uh, the poker media is awful, the poker media, they, uh, they cover everything up, they're never fair, they're never unbiased. And I say, this one is. This one is unbiased. This one is fair. Fair does not always mean I'll take your side. Fair doesn't mean if you're accused of something that I'll be the one to stand up and say, no, you shouldn't have been accused of it. You may be guilty, in which case the fair thing to do would be say would be to say that you're guilty. <laughs> but I'll always approach it fairly. And I'm sure you guys have heard before on this show where sometimes I'll discuss someone I don't personally like, but I will say things like, despite the fact that I don't like this guy, he's always been known to have been honest. Or I believe him, even though we don't get along, I believe him in this case. Like I'll say things like that because I, I'm not looking for excuses to bash people I dislike. I'll be open if I dislike someone, and I'm happy to criticize someone for something they've done wrong if I also dislike them. I'll be honest about that. But I won't ever let that change my honest reporting and opinion on the situation. So that's why there have been times I've come out here and said, even though I don't like such and such person for such and such reason, I don't believe they're in the wrong here. Or I think you can trust them even though I don't like them. So I want to talk about uh, the Conor McGregor thing. But one, one more extension to that is that this also applies to casinos and online poker sites. I'm not anti-casino. I'm not anti-online poker site. And there have been times where I've defended them when everyone else is claiming they did something wrong. It happens every World Series where there's a story that everyone's outraged about something the World Series did, and I say, nope, they're actually in the right here. This is actually much to do about nothing. And there's other times that I come out and call out the World Series for a fail or for bad decisions or for stupid things it's done. So it applies to everything. Companies, individuals, whatever. Okay, let's talk about Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. The fight is on Saturday. It's uh, two and a half days from now. By the time you hear this next radio program, it will be over. And people have been very excited about this fight because it's a cross-genre fight. It's, uh, yeah, there's been the rise of MMA over the years. There's been the slow decline of boxing over the years. And here's the intersection of the two of them. You have the hottest star of MMA, which is Conor McGregor, and he is up against uh, Floyd Mayweather, who's been the best boxer for quite some time. And even though McGregor has done extremely well recently, uh, he, he's considered out of, out of his element here. 
because he's fighting in a format that he's not used to. And the things that he would do to win in his format of fighting are just not allowed in boxing. So people are saying this is like apples and oranges that you you can't be good at one thing. You can't be good. You can't be a great MMA fighter and automatically be good in boxing. I guess it's kind of like the no limit and limit thing in poker, but even to a greater degree. That if you're a great no limit player, but you've never played limit before, and then you try to play a limit game, you're probably going to be a big fish. And the reverse is true as well. That what makes one good at one thing does not make one good at the other thing. Even if there is an intersection of the skill set in some ways. So, Floyd Mayweather is the uh, undefeated 11-time five-division professional boxing world champion, Floyd Mayweather Jr. He is 49-0 and with 26 knockouts. And Conor McGregor is the current UFC lightweight champion, and he's just uh, definitely been the hottest MMA fighter in recent years. So this is going to take place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas on Saturday, August 26th. I don't know the exact time. I think probably sometime around 9 p.m. Pacific. I always wonder why these things start so late. I mean, it's fine for people on the West Coast, but I always wonder why these things, with, you know, with all the undercards that people aren't that interested in taking place in the more prime hours, why, why are they having the fight often after midnight East Coast time? Don't they think they lose some audience of people who don't want to stay up that late? Anyway... This is going to take place, and McGregor is the big underdog. But it's been jumping around very much as to what the true odds, or not what, what the odds of the time are. And the true odds, people don't really know what to set on this. There's never been anything like this before. So, uh, it started out where Mayweather was actually like minus 2,500, which is insane. Minus 2,500, for those of you that don't know, means you'd have to bet $2,500 to win $100, which I, I never thought that, that type of bet is ever smart because you're just you're risking too much to win too little. It's, it's all downside, very little upside. But it's moved since then because so much money has been going on McGregor for whatever reason that they had to move the line. Because 
what casinos typically try to do is they typically try to get the amount of money on both sides to where they're guaranteed to win no matter what because of the juice. So that's what they're trying to do, to where they don't really care about the result because there's just the right amount on each side to where they're the winners either way. Otherwise, the casino is gambling, and the casino could actually lose. And if it's a big event like this, where there's a lot of money being bet, if it's very heavy on one side and it doesn't change, then the casino really takes a bath if it doesn't go the way they want. Now, sometimes the casino will take that risk if they feel very strongly about their position. They will take this risk. Sometimes they will think they have the experts here. They know they'd rather everyone goes to the sucker bet that they expect to lose, and um, the casino will risk taking a bath just in case that doesn't happen. But often what they like to do is move the line around to where they're guaranteed to make money either way. But they're claiming on this one that that hasn't happened, despite the movement of the odds. So I'm looking at oddshark.com, which is, uh, it's been tracking the odds of this fight. On November 17th, it was, uh, to show you what massive juice there can be on these things, minus 2250 for Mayweather and plus 950 for McGregor. What that means is the minus 2250, you'd have to bet 2250 to win 100 and plus 950 means if you bet 100, you'd win 950. Now, for it to be fair with no, no house edge, it would be minus 2250 and plus 2250. But here it's minus 2250 and plus 950, which is horrible to casino juice. But p- putting that aside here, uh, I'll give you the progression. A few weeks later, December 6th, Mayweather was minus 1800. McGregor was plus 850. But uh, almost two months later, January 29th, 2017, minus 1,400 plus 750. February 27th, about a month later, goes to minus 850 plus 525. So in just the time from November 17th to February 27th, and of course this fight wasn't going to take place for another six months, in just that time, in those uh, three months, three and a half months, the odds almost got three times better for Mayweather, for the better. If you're going to bet on Mayweather, you get paid almost three times as much if you bet on February 27th versus November 17th. But it gets even better. Now, it regressed a little bit on March 16th to minus 1,200 for Mayweather, but then it moved to 700, minus 700 for Mayweather and plus 450 for McGregor on April 24th. Then it, it, it moved a little back up, but then as on June 15th, it was down to 600 for Mayweather and 400 for McGregor. So minus 600 plus 400. 11 days later, June 26th, minus 550 for Mayweather plus 375. That's a huge movement. Minus 2250 to minus 550. Then it kind of stayed around the same for a while. But July 12th, which was uh, a few weeks later, minus 500 and plus 350 for McGregor. Well, it's kind of been bouncing around from minus 500, minus 550, minus 600 for Mayweather for the last 
Uh, about uh, two, uh, one and a half months. But it started to move again. August 16th, just a week ago, minus 450 Mayweather, plus 325 McGregor. Still the money coming in heavily on Mayweather. Or, I'm sorry, McGregor. Now it's minus 400 plus 300. What's interesting too here is that is because of uh, because they've gotten closer, the house edge is also less. The house likes to take a bigger edge on these huge favorite, huge underdog bets because they can get away with it. Usually, people will just uh, if they really love the huge favorite, they see it as free money. Then they don't they'll just bet it even with this tiny return, and then. Since most people like the underdogs in these situations, the house doesn't want to take as much of a risk, so they figure people will be happy enough getting nine and a half to one. And they'll offer that instead of what really should be much more. But as it gets closer and closer to even, then they can't do this anymore, or people won't bet it. So now it's minus 400 plus 300. Now what's interesting is that makes it more than six times better now for bettors on Mayweather than back on November 17th, but only uh, three and a half times worse, or less than three and a half times worse, for McGregor betters. But putting that aside, that's that's quite a line movement. And it's because they are really just trying to get people to bet on Mayweather. And just people aren't doing it. The heavy money has been coming in on McGregor. So... There has been uh, some talk that this could actually be one of the biggest beatdowns that a casino will have in a sports book if it turns out that McGregor does win. Unless they can finally move the odds enough to where they get a lot of money back on Mayweather. But so far, they're just not getting it. So it's still moving. And I don't know if it's going to stop moving. I don't know. I wonder if all the way up until fight time, if it's going to keep moving. I wonder how low the favorite line will go for Mayweather to where at one point you're... You're not going to get. Uh, you're not going to have to lay that much of a price. This is an article from the New York Post, which admittedly is a crap publication, but nevertheless, it's entitled "Las Vegas Book Staring Down Mayweather McGregor Disaster." People are putting their mouth. Or, sorry, people are putting their money where Conor McGregor's mouth is. Though McGregor isn't expected to leave his first professional boxing match of winner this weekend, if this brash UFC lightweight champ is somehow victorious, Floyd Mayweather Jr. won't be the biggest loser in Las Vegas. Despite the overwhelming consensus from experts that the 29-year-old Irishman has little chance to beat the undefeated boxing legend this weekend, bettors are overwhelmingly in McGregor's corner, accounting for 89% of all action, according to betonline.ag, and could be setting the city's sportsbook up for one of his darkest days ever. This could be one of the, this could be the worst loss in the history of MGM Resorts, 
Jay Rude, vice president of MGM Resorts Race and Sports, told ESPN. Before the bout was eventually scheduled, the Westgate's La- Westgate Las Vegas Superbook listed Mayweather as a minus 2,500 favorite. Notice the Superbook I mentioned earlier? See, it's, it's still respected, the Westgate uh, Superbook, despite the fact that properties it has been. And McGregor is a plus 1,100 underdog. As recently as June, Mayweather, who returns from a two-year layoff, was listed as minus 800 with McGregor as plus 500. With the action continuing to be so one-sided in McGregor's favor, the fighter who has never lost to a professional boxer in 49 fights is currently listed as minus 475 to win, while the mixed martial artist is at plus 325 to win. Of Mayweather's eight fights since 2011, the 40-year-old has only had such low odds to win in two fights against Manny Pacquiao and Canelo Alvarez. They're saying Mayweather has been... uh, so favored that he's fought eight times since 2011, and uh, six of the eight times he was actually favored less than this. Or sorry, favored more than this, where you, know, you get paid less for winning with him. And those were all against professional boxers, which Conor McGregor is not. There is the age factor, because uh, I believe Conor McGregor's 29. Yeah, he is. He's 29, and Floyd Mayweather is 40. So that that part is a little bit of a factor where McGregor could have an edge that people aren't expecting. But still, boxing is just such a different animal than MMA. I'm going to take a look right now what Bovada's odds are, since a lot of you may be returning there to play poker. Let's take a look what Bovada's odds are on the fight here. Yeah, it's minus 400 plus 300, just like I mentioned. So they're right there with uh, what Odd Shark is saying. I don't think they have very high limits. They usually don't let you bet more than 500, or they don't let you leave them on the hook for more than 500. So if you want to bet on... Mayweather, you could probably bet uh, 2000 right now to uh, win 500 which is what it would be at minus 400 But you couldn't bet more than 500 Well, you can also... The payout can be more than 500 You can never bet more than 500 if it's going to pay more than 500 So, for example, you couldn't make an even money bet of 600 but you could make a 600 bet to win 500 if the odds are like that. Anyway, I think it's going to keep dropping. That's the money is still flowing in for McGregor. It's been flowing in for McGregor, McGregor the whole time. So, if you want to bet Mayweather, I would suggest holding off. I would suggest just waiting, 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 and seeing if it gets really low. May, who knows, what if it goes off even or something crazy like that? I don't think it will, but what if it gets to minus 200? At some point, it's going to be very, very hard not to bet Mayweather. Because I really think he's going to win. And I hate those big favorite bets, but minus 400 is already getting to the point where if you really think it's going to win then minus 400 is worth doing. Because if you look at it, okay, 
Minus 400 means you've got to bet 400 to win 100. So what that's really saying, minus 400, is that if one out of five times you're right, then you're going to break even. Because if you think about it, if the first four times... Or sorry, I'm, I'm not saying four. I mean one of the five times you're right. One of the five times you're wrong, you're going to break even. I knew that didn't sound right. So let's say the first four times you're correct. So you bet 400 and you win 100. So you're up 400 at the moment. The fifth time, you're wrong. So you lose 400. So what happens? You're even. So basically, if you think there's an 80% chance or more that Mayweather's going to win, then minus 400 is a good bet. So if you feel very strongly Mayweather's going to win this one, you probably should bet this, but I, I really would suggest waiting a few more days to see if it slips even more. Something else that's interesting here, if you just read this article, this crap article from the New York Post, there's one thing to be understood from this one important piece of information in this article. That's the quote from Jay Rude, the vice president of MGM Resorts Race and Sports. This could be the worst loss in the history of MGM Resorts, he said. So why is that significant? Okay, let's think about it. Why would the vice president of MGM Resorts Race and Sports say something like that? Why would he be telling the New York Post that MGM Resorts is going to take a huge beating if McGregor wins. What's the purpose of stating that? Even if it's true, what's the purpose of him stating that? Here's another quote in the article. I've never seen anything like this. I can't believe it's this lopsided. Zach Jormlin, super, uh, sportsbook supervisor at MGM Resorts, said, There are over 6,000 more tickets for McGregor than there are for Mayweather. A lot of people hate Mayweather, and a lot of people want to see him get knocked out and make some money. This would be really a really, really bad loss for us. The whole world is bet- betting McGregor, and the line just keeps dropping and dropping. So, why are they saying this? Well, there could be one of two reasons for this. They could be trying to encourage people to bet the other side by noting that the line is dropping and dropping. So those that wanted to bet Mayweather before and saw the minus 2,500 and said, um, there's no way I'm doing this, and then maybe they don't realize that it's, it's getting closer and closer to even, that it's getting closer to a more reasonable favorite bet where you don't have to put up a massive amount of money just to make a little. So maybe they're hoping that they will attract enough people on the other side by pointing this out. But it could also mean that they're trying to encourage more people to bet on McGregor. That by acting scared that McGregor is going to cause them massive financial hurt that people are going to think, wow, I'm going to finally stick it to the casino. They've really screwed up here. 
Everyone understands that McGregor is going to win, except the casinos. They're going to take a huge beating, and I'm going to be part of it. So when you hear this is the biggest loss we're ever going to take, blah, 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 you think of all the times the casino beat you, all the times you're kind of pissed as you're leaving there that they kept your money. And this is the one time that you could put the hurt on them. You won't be the only one putting the hurt, but you'll be part of a collective of people that just put the beat down to the casino for not understanding McGregor's ability to win. And perhaps they're hoping that when you read this, that you're going to want to jump on that train to sting them with this record-setting loss. Listen to the quote again. There are over 6,000 more tickets for McGregor than there are for Mayweather. A lot of people hate Mayweather, and a lot of people want to see him get knocked out and make some money. This would be a really, really bad loss for us. Notice he stopped short of saying a lot of people hate Mayweather and are emotionally betting against him just because they hate him so much. He said, no, they hate Mayweather and a lot of people want to see him get knocked out and make some money. Make some money is key here. Not just they hate him, but they they want to make some money. So they're betting against him. This would be really, really bad for us. Just want everyone to know that it's going to be really, really bad for us if McGregor wins. No, no reason we're telling you all this. Just, yeah, if McGregor wins, we're going to really be suffering. So, yeah, bet on who you want, but we're going to really suffer. I have to think that they are trying to get you to bet on McGregor by making those statements. And usually when the casino feels strongly enough about one side... then you want the side that they think is going to win. You want the opposite side from what they're trying to get you to bet. However, you might ask, if that's what they want you to do, then why do they keep changing the line? If they want all the money on McGregor, why don't they just leave the line where it was? And there will be a lot more. So, it could be two things. It could be that they would prefer some more money on Mayweather as a safety net. But at the current odds they are, that... uh, They don't want massive money on McGregor at plus 950. But at this point, they're happy to take the the massive money at plus three whatever. So maybe that's what they're trying to say. Maybe at the current odds they've moved it to, they'd still like to see more on McGregor. They just don't want... uh, They don't want it at what they had it before. So if they are wrong, they don't have to pay as much for the people who are continuing to dump money there. Or maybe they are... Maybe it's just very simple. Maybe I'm just uh, 
looking at this the wrong way. Maybe they are just moving the line for the reason a lot of times the line moves, and that is just they want the money back on Mayweather to give themselves a guaranteed win either way. He did say, I think we're going to see more from Mayweather this week, and it should help even it out a little bit more. But we may keep seeing more from McGregor, too. Hopefully we have some big bets on Mayweather coming this weekend. By the way, from what I'm hearing, these smaller tickets all seem to be going for McGregor. When I say all, I mean literally all, but mostly seem to be going for McGregor. And the big tickets seem to be going for Mayweather. But there's way more small tickets than big tickets, so still a lot more money's gone for McGregor. I still think Mayweather's going to take it. In fact, the bigger money being bet on Mayweather would indicate those people know more what they're doing than the casual better who just slaps down a little bit of money on McGregor because they get him as an underdog and because every time he fights, he seems to win. So if you are in Las Vegas this upcoming weekend. It's going to be a zoo there. It's going to be very busy in Las Vegas this weekend because of this fight. Even those that are not going to this fight are going to be watching it there and betting on it. A very busy weekend in Vegas. If you're not going for that reason and you you have no interest in the fight, I would suggest maybe you reschedule your trip if you can. Though it's kind of getting late to do that. So, How will it impact poker? I think it will impact poker in a good way. Most people who are in Vegas to see a fight or bet on a fight are not very good poker players, even those that will go and play poker during that weekend. So if you are in Vegas, I suggest you check out your local poker room especially ones that are more high-profile poker rooms, such as Bellagio. And I bet a lot of fish will be coming into those games. That's when you want to be there. You don't want to be there during the World Series in the cash games where you're playing against a lot of the best players in the world, many of whom are rarely in Vegas otherwise. And you can also try these cash games when nothing's really going on, but then there aren't that many games running. And a lot of times you're against, against a lot of locals who know what they're doing, but the time to be against a lot of tourists who are not very good is during a major event like this, especially a major event like this, which attracts a lot of gamblers. It's different than something like EDC, which attracts a ton of people to Vegas, but not a lot of people who are going to sit and uh, play poker for any kind of, uh, decent money. But something like this, it's going to attract a gambling crowd and a crowd that isn't likely to be very good at the poker table. So definitely check out your local poker game. And don't do it during the fight, of course, because those people are not going to be in that game. But right after the fight, before the fight... Anytime that weekend that isn't interfering with the fight, I think the game should be good. So that's all I got. 775 fraud 55. 
I'm seeing in chat, Peter Binklage said, I think the gravamen of this guy's complaint against Weintraub is that Weintraub treated makeup like a loan, which it's not. So, I still don't quite know what that means. (laughs) Does that mean like, when someone was in makeup, that Weintraub would then like demand people to pay him whatever they they're owed in makeup, and then just kept the money. I don't know. I'll have to understand this better later. Nobody was very clear. Well, I'm out of topics this week, and to be honest, I'm I just kind of feel done for right now. I do have one more topic in mind that I just realized today, just before the show, that I forgot to talk about when I came back two weeks ago on August 9th, and that was the topic of the guy who was kicked out of the World Series. Ah, screw it, I'll talk about it. Let me grab some water here, and I'll talk about it. If I don't talk about it this week, the story will be so damn old by the time I get to it next week. It's already kind of an old story. I'll talk about it because it never got talked about on the show. And it's about someone I previously discussed on the show. So, and I was interacting with this guy on Twitter as it was happening. I I just forgot about it because it, it, it all broke just as I busted the main event. So I wasn't really in a mood to talk about it. But it is something pretty interesting. And it, it really hasn't been talked about that much. And this goes back to day three of the main event. There's a poker player named Joseph Steers, or Joe Steers. That's S-T-I-E-R-S. He and I both busted from the main event in a way. On July 14th, day three. But he went out a bit differently than I did. I busted just because I ran out of chips, like everybody else who busted. He busted because he was disqualified on day three with 600,000 chips, which at that point was a lot. It was more than I ever had in the event. I I never cracked uh, 200,000. This was an update from WSOP.com. Sorry, it's July 13th, not 14th, but whatever. At about uh, 9 o'clock p- Pacific time, when players returned from dinner break, one player's seat was empty and roughly 630,000 chips he had previously had in front of him were gone as well. Turned out this player had been banned from all Caesars properties and thus barred from entering the World Series of Poker Tournaments. This player had knowingly bypassed security, going to great lengths to hide his real identity when registering for this tournament. When the tournament organizers found out, his stack was terminated and his chips were removed from the tournament. He left the premises without incident. His tournament buy-in remains in the prize pool, so the payout is not affected by this incident. So basically, they took all his chips and would not refund his money. And he he started asking some of his poker friends to 
tweet out on his behalf that he was mistreated by the World Series. He also had been playing in a bunch of uh, daily tournaments at the World Series prior to this and cashing and getting away with it. Now, if this name sounds familiar, it's because we've talked about him before. In April 2015... He posted on 2 Plus 2 about uh, being banned from the World Series, supposedly due to card counting at Blackjack, and he was hoping that people would help him out by requesting that he get uh, let back in. So... A lot of people defended him, especially ones who are Advantage players or pro casino advantage players and pro meaning for them, not professional. A lot of people defended this guy at the time, thinking that he got screwed. They were basically ignoring all the details and just saying, hey, you know, the guy counted card counting in blackjack, give him a break, let him play the World Series as long as he doesn't play blackjack. That was a lot of people were saying that and saying that uh, it's pretty bad how. He was treated, and he told this whole long story about uh, mostly the Horseshoe Baltimore mistreating him. Well, I'm not going to go over this whole thing again. Uh, you can find a discussion of this on a Poker Fraud Alert radio episode that we did uh, in April, early April 2015. See if I can find it. Uh, see if I can find the exact date. If you want to go listen to that episode, let me find it. It's definitely in April 2015. This episode. So you may want to go back and listen. So we did a long segment on it. You may not remember it by this point, or maybe you weren't listening at that point. But you can go back into the archives. Yeah, April 8th, 2015. In fact, the every episode I try to give some kind of uh, funny name. This one was actually named after his story. It was called Mama Said There'd Be Casinos Like This. And that's because part of the story involved him getting his mom trying to get him back into the casinos. And... We did a long segment on it. But this guy really caused his own problems. And that was my determination. That I had no sympathy for him. Because he pretty much screwed around with Horseshoe Baltimore after they kicked him. In December of 2014, they kicked him out of there for a card counting. That part's pretty standard. You know, that can happen. At that point, I would have had sympathy if he tried to play the World Series and they didn't let him. But uh, eight days later, he tried to return and play a poker tournament there. He didn't check with anyone beforehand if it's okay for him to come back. He just decided for himself he could. And they... uh, They didn't let him. They kicked him out. 
Amazingly, eight days after that, he came back again to the horseshoe. This time with some kind of casino offer with free play coupons. He got caught again. And then just five days later, after being kicked out, he returned yet again. Every time he kept returning saying, look, I got mailed more coupons. Obviously, that means that uh, you guys are inviting me back. Well, that's not true. And would you believe he came back even one more time on February 27th, 2015? Every time they keep telling him, don't come back, every time he keeps coming back. He came back on December 27th, January 4th, January 9th, February 27th. Over and over and over again, they keep telling him, stop coming back here, he comes back there. Why? Well, I got this free play thing in the mail. Well, everybody knows that these free play things you get in the mail are generated months beforehand. The data is months old. I don't know why it's so slow, but it's always like months behind. So if you've been kicked out of somewhere and you're getting offers in the mail, that's because a few months ago they decided you'll be getting those offers. And sometimes you'll still get offers even later than that because sometimes the marketing computer is not tied in well or at all with the computer that has down who is banned and who's not. So that's pretty well known in the advantage play community. But even if you do not know this, when a human being there who works there says you are not allowed to come back no matter what and you keep coming back, it doesn't matter what offers you're getting in the mail. The important decision is coming from the human being telling you you cannot come back here. Mailers do not supersede what a human being working at the property tells you. So this guy just kept challenging the horseshoe over and over, either to screw with them or to try to find loopholes, whatever it is. He pressed it as hard as he could. He entered a foolish game of chicken with Horseshoe Baltimore. He thought it was his right to be there, which it wasn't, and he lost. He lost the game of chicken. So now he, he's completely banned from all Caesars properties. At first, it was just the, at first he was just kicked from the Horseshoe, then it eventually became all Caesars properties because of the way he behaved. Okay? So that was that. I don't hold any animosity towards him. This is a, a dispute between him and Caesar's properties. But at the same time, the guy caused his own issues. I have no sympathy for him. I have sympathy for the card counter who gets caught card counting and then can't play the World Series. I have no sympathy for the guy who returns over and over and over again when told not to and then complains when he's barred. <laughs> when he's barred from all their properties. You, you, you've got to use some common sense. And if you don't, then you have to suffer the consequences. Now. This was a story from back in April of 2015. By the way, here's a little uh, video of him talking about it. Hi, my name is uh, Joe Sears, and I'm making this video to explain how I was barred from the World Series of Poker for counting cards at Horseshoe Baltimore. Um, There was an article released in the Baltimore Sun this past Sunday that covered the issue, but omitted many of the important facts. Okay. I, I just played that to get an idea. So if you wonder what this guy sounds like or what his demeanor is, there there it is. You, you can watch the video, by the way. If you go to the Poker Fraud Alert thread called uh, Card Counter Banned from World Series of Poker After Caught Counting at Horseshoe Baltimore Blackjack Game, if you find that thread in the, in the Poker Community Discussion Forum, uh, that's where that video is. So... He was the one kicked out. 
at this year's World Series of Poker, like about an hour after I busted. I did not play with him at all, but he got into the main event of the World Series of Poker and got kicked. Now, you may wonder, well, how did he do that? Didn't you have to use your player's card to register? And wouldn't they have noticed at that point that he is banned? That is what everybody wondered. Well, it turned out that he made a player's card with like his first and middle name instead of his first and last name. I don't know how he got away with that because your uh, driver's license says your full name, but I don't know what he did. But so- somehow he was able to get a player's card that way and was able to play that way. And somehow, I-, I don't know what he was expecting because how far did he expect to get before people would realize who he was and disqualify him? Like, did, did he expect to play the final table of the, of the World Series main event? Did he expect to win it and have no one realize that he was the guy that was banned for good? So I don't know at what point he thought he could cash and still stay under the radar. Because cashing is meaningless if they won't give you their money. And if you've been banned beforehand, even if you win the main event, they won't pay you and they don't have to pay you if you were previously banned. Though it would be funny if he got to the final table and they had to ban him. They're like, uh, sorry, actually he shouldn't have been here, so now the final table is eight people. But they would have figured it out before then, but let's say they didn't. Anyway, they did find it, but but semi-near the money. Not semi, but pretty close to the money. I was close to the money. He busted, like, they took him out like an hour after I busted. You know, maybe less than an hour after. I busted right around then. Probably almost simultaneously. So, look, he's still doing the same thing. He's still banned from the World Series. He's still banned from all Caesars properties. He still returns, this time under uh, a kind of falsified name where he changes his middle name to his last name. They catch him. He's kicked out again. At the time when you know when he tweeted and when other people were tweeting on his behalf, all these stupid poker players were going, come on, we, we demand answers. We need to know what happened here. This is unfair, blah, 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 blah. And Seth Polanski responded something like, believe me, there's much more to the story. That's all I'm saying. And I think that's probably all he could say because... Even with barred players, they have a right to privacy, and if Caesars were to divulge too much about this, then they could be sued. So I saw this. I'm like, well, okay, I've got to divulge it. (laughs) First of all, this guy made his story public back in 2015, so I'm not releasing secret information here, but I, I want the truth to get out, and so this wasn't being portrayed properly. He wasn't kicked out for no reason. This wasn't from just a minor card counting issue. This was a guy who challenged them over and over by repeatedly returning when they told him not to. So I linked to the relevant threads on Poker Fraud Alert. I made everyone in that Twitter thread understand. Even the person who first brought it to everyone's attention, Ryan LaPlante, thanked me and said, okay, you know, thanks for clarifying it. I didn't realize this. So by the end there, most people didn't have much sympathy for the guy and said, you pretty much made your bed, you got to lie in it. So kind of interesting, though, that a guy with 630000 in chips at the main event on day three, a nice stack, almost surely would have cashed 
for a minimum of 15000 and probably a lot more. Never got the opportunity to keep playing because he should not have been there in the first place. He was not allowed to play. And somehow he thought that he'd somehow cash in the main event and get away with it. Came close, but didn't happen. Now, had he been able to cash, had he been able to cash and had he been paid, once he was physically holding the money in his hands, they could not take it away. So let's say let's say he min-cashed for 15000 He went to the cage, they paid him 15000 and right after he stuffed that last bill into his pocket, they said, ah, 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 hold on, you're Joe Styers, you're not Joe whatever. We're not paying you, give us the money back. Do you think they could have brought security over and made him hand the money back? you think they could have arrested him and taken the money back? Well, they could have arrested him for uh, trespassing on the property. That they could have done. But they could not have taken the money. Once he's actually paid the prize money, provided that he did not receive the money from any form of cheating, which he, he was not cheating. So he, he was playing the tournament fairly, like everybody else. He just wasn't supposed to be there. So once he's been paid, they can't take it. Uh, believe it or not, that's actually the law involving underage gambling, that once you're paid, they can't take it back from you. I actually kept that in mind when I would underage gamble. I used to play video poker. Not all that much, but occasionally for low stakes. I would play video poker in... uh, casinos when I was 15 and 16 and 17, you know, under 21, but starting from when I was 15 and I, when I was 15, I think it's like five foot eight at the time. And as long as I kept my back to everybody, they couldn't tell I'm a kid. Uh, once they saw my face, it was obvious I was 15. Like I didn't look old for my age, but being five foot eight, yeah, it's close enough to, yeah, there's a lot of adult males who are five foot eight. So I wasn't short, even for an adult male. And as long as I kept my back, they didn't see my face. So I'd play a machine that's against the wall and hope they don't see me. But knowing that they could see me at some point, what I did was, uh, these were back in 87, it was all with coins that would come out of the machine. There was no cash out ticket. So every time I won, I would hit cash out and the quarters would go ding, 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 ding. And then I'd take the quarters out and I'd stuff the quarters into my little bucket and then I'd reinsert them. It sounds like a pain in the ass, which it was. And I didn't play for a very long time this way. But I did this so they could not confiscate my money because if they came up to me with credits in the machine, those they could confiscate. But once I had them in my possession even in that little coin bucket, they could not take them. They could kick me out, but they could not take them from me. On the occasion they would catch me, they'd say something like, can I see ID, please? And I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, I left it uh, in the room, or I don't have it with me. And then they'd tell me some statement about underage gambling. I'd go to jail, blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, okay, then just leave. (laughs) So I didn't do it a whole lot, but even as a 15-year-old, I knew to always cash out of the machine. And I never did anything but play machines or make sports bets. And then if I'd win the sports bet, then I would give it to an adult to cash for me. 
because they don't know who placed it. They, you're just holding a ticket. I did not try to play blackjack until I was actually 21. Or poker, that came much later. So, getting back to this guy, uh, had he been paid, they could have arrested him, but they couldn't have taken it back. But no matter how much he cashed, even if he won, if they have not paid him yet, they do have a right to disqualify him. Now, the money has to go somewhere. The casino can't keep it. The money would have to go back into the prize pool and redistribute it. In this case, there was no redistribution. He was just seen... It was just treated the same way as if he busted, except his chips were taken out of play. So there should have been 630,000 chips that just should have been in the, in the final tally of chips that just weren't. They should have just been missing there because he was disqualified. I don't know if there were any other disqualifications, but he was one of them. In fact, he was probably the latest disqualification. I couldn't imagine another disqualification that was later that we wouldn't have heard about. So... Kind of a weird story. I don't know what he thought. This guy never made much sense. Like, how do you keep coming back to the same place over and over that keeps telling you you can't be there and keeps upping the penalties on you as far as uh, banning from their properties? Like, why keep doing that? Why agitate the situation worse? What, What do you think he's gaining from that back in 2015? And then after all that, what does he think he's going to get away with entering a major tournament like the main event of the World Series of Poker if he's barred from playing? It's insane. So as frustrating as it must have been for him for, to run up a stack like that so late in the event and get pulled out of the event a few hours before the cash hits, uh, what else did he think was going to happen? It was funny because he was talking to me on Twitter, and he was well, even though I was against him, like I wasn't being rude to him, I wasn't being nasty, but I was very clear that I felt that Caesars did nothing wrong here, the World Series did nothing wrong, and that he's at fault. Despite that, he was willing to have a discussion with me on Twitter, a very civil discussion, and you can find it if you look at my Twitter from July 13th in the evening, right after I busted. Despite that, he ignored my request to come on the show. He didn't say no, but he didn't. Uh, he just wouldn't answer me. So I, I guess, <laughs> I guess he only wants to be on uh, media that's going to cover him positively. This is always how I felt about casino advantage players that I have respect for them. In fact, in some ways, I am one. But you have to use some common sense, too. And if you're going to really, really push the casino after they tell you to stay away, and you keep coming to, you keep finding ways to circumvent that, and you get caught, I don't wish anything bad on you. And in fact... Uh, more power to you. I hope you get away with it. But you know what? If you do get caught and suffer consequences, I don't feel bad for you. It's on you. You took the risk. In many cases, you took a stupid risk. And there are many reasons casinos 
can be vilified or fairly criticized for how they've treated advantage players over the years. But not in cases like this. Not in cases where the advantage player gets caught and told not to come back, and they repeatedly do so. And brazenly try to test the limits of the casino. Those are the ones you can't feel sorry for. Those people are causing their own problems. And the advantage player community should not get behind people like that. They should get they should get behind the advantage players who are actually abused. Not the ones who are trying to screw with the casino or test the limits of the casino and push it too far or behave stupidly and then get themselves into hot water. Those people, they shouldn't have the community support. They should just fend for themselves. That's tonight's bonus topic, the Joe Steers topic. And that will be the end of this show. I think my throat hurts a little bit from all the talking. I think it's because I think it's because of two reasons. First of all, I did most of the show by myself without uh, a co-host. But second, or I should say half the show, not most of it. But second, I think Calwatt didn't talk as much tonight because he was out of energy from both the drive and from having sex during the show. How many people... How many poker radio shows do you think are out there where one of the co-hosts has sex during the show? You think that happens in the 2 Plus 2 poker cast? You think uh, you think Adam Schwartz has to do the show by himself for a while because Terrence Chan goes off to have sex with his girlfriend? You think that ever would happen on that show? You think that would happen on any poker show besides this one? I find myself saying that so often that stuff happens on this show... That doesn't happen anywhere else, good or bad. <laughs> I don't even know if this is good or bad, but yeah, I think that Calwatt was really just kind of subdued this time. He didn't have the usual oomph because <laughs> he burned out all his energy at the beginning. But I, I also have to blame it on the 14 hour drive he had to make yesterday. That would take a lot out of you. And I have never made a 14 hour drive in my life. The most I've ever driven was actually this year. In January 2017, I drove 560 miles in one day. Because I drove from Lake Tahoe to Southern California. And then I also had to turn around at one point because I forgot something. I, I drove 30 miles out of Tahoe. Realized I forgot something. I had to drive 30 miles back. Drive the same 30 miles again. Anyway, the whole thing ended up being 560 by the time I was done. That wasn't very fun. I did. I stopped and visited a friend in the Sacramento area, at least. Uh, broke the monotony a little bit. The day wasn't all bad. Anyway, people. We'll be back next week, August 30th. Final show of August around the same time, 8 p.m. Pacific time. Thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Dreff and Friends show. Hopefully next week our co-hosts will have sex after or before the show, not during, but we'll see. Good night. Shalom. Shalom.